Serum Visions is a Magic the Gathering podcast. 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 You came here to imbibe the sweet lymph, to become inspired and filled with joy. These episodes will be about an investigation of metagames, deep dives on decks you may not have seen, and a place to supplement Serum Visions. The oil is within you now. Embrace it. You will soon be complete. Experience the Gataxian Probe. This is not Brian Madam. This is uh, Zach Ryle, one of the hosts of the Serum Visions podcast, and I'd like to welcome you to the Gataxian Probe. Uh, this is a supplemental series that uh, I wanted to do for Serum Visions. Since we record every two weeks, it always feels like we have a little bit of time, and sometimes there's a topic that demands attention, and so I just want to have the freedom to drop in these extra episodes from time to time about things that I think are important and uh, you know if we have a special guest like we do today that we have access to that we can talk to them about things that are important. So we've had a lot of uh, crazy shakeups in the modern format due to the ban list announcement which we will get to in a minute um, but before I get there I would like to welcome our very special guest of Niv-Mizzet fame and enigmatic incarnation glory. It is the one the only Mordekaiser. How you doing? Hi. Hey, Zach. Thanks for inviting me. Well, my name is Mordekaiser. I've been playing Magic the Gathering for around three years, I think. I started in early 2018 with Ixalang pre-release. And since then, I have always tried to find some shanky deck that oh, I love. Oh, so that's pretty recent. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a pretty new player, actually. I think I played my first border match in less than three years ago. Wow. And, and you're from uh, Argentina, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm an Argentinian player. And I started with some taxes list, played the absent flick that absent flicker that Antoine was trying to make work on an MTCO. Um, from there I was oh. I finally said, Fine, I'm going to play a real deck. I'm going to build Amulet Titan, I'm going to get the reps, I'm going to get results. And damn Shiggy Wiggy got a five oh with the misset. And he had to get a post deck with the misset, which just was the start down the, which made me fall down the rabbit hole in that exact minute. And I just loved it. Yeah, Niv, Niv Mizzet is definitely something I, I truly share your passion for. I started playing for it, uh, play, playing it uh, in late 2019. And I just, uh, I love five color decks and especially like mid range or control decks. So it was right, right, totally at home for me. Uh, and uh, it was, you know, powerful, interesting, and um, infinitely customizable as uh, I think you would say the other deck that we're going to talk about today is uh, very similar in that way, yeah? Oh, yeah, exactly. I just... Niv and Enigmatic have that in common. It's like the spell version and the creature version of the closest to a toolbox you can have nowadays in modern. 
hitting their correct um, silver bullets. Instead of instead of Anmurigo and such, you have Magus of the Moon and Eidolon of Rhetoric, but you just try to get your engine going and then lock your opponent. Yeah, and that's one of, one of the things I've said for a long time about Modern is um, a lot of the mid-range and control strategies, um, even, even those that do have a combo kill or some very, very powerful endgame, it's incredible to me how many of the best archetypes always have some kind of toolbox. So, like, Titan has the Summoner's Pact or Elidomri's Call. Uh, Wurza has the War of Invention. Um, there, there's just been a lot of them where you, you get to play one-ofs in your main deck or sideboard and actually leverage them very heavily. Um, so it, it removes a lot of the variance and it gives you access to tools against specific archetypes that other people have problems with. Oh yeah, exactly. It's mostly the fact that Modern is such a fast, a fast format that sometimes people just say, I'm not going to play an interaction, I'm just going to combo, and then they face like a main deck pitting the middle and just roll down each other and cry. <laughs> well, like, I, I I'm going like to play Jiggy, this Belcher. Jiggy. Yeah, Jiggy Jiggy probably feels a little bit attacked right now. No interaction. <laughs> that's my that's my move. My move I is would, playing no interaction. I would never personally attack Jiggy, but I could make a statement <laughs> that targeted him. Like I could say something global that maybe embrace him. Maybe just a bit. Just seeing his, <laughs> seeing he, he just five with a deck that has literally zero ways to do nothing about anything your opponent his opponent is doing in the main deck. Yeah, at least. yeah. So we're, I mean, we can get ahead of the um, the next deck dump here, or he might even end up in the next one after that. I, I don't know when they uh, curate everything for the Monday. Um, it's on Tuesdays, dump, but, uh, I think. So the it's next on one. Tuesdays. Okay, so he, he'll he'll probably make it. Um, but but our, our good friend Jiggy Wiggy in classic style with 61 cards in his main deck. Oh, he uh, has 61 hit... cards. He always has 61 cards. <laughs> I hate him. Um, and he, I know, I know. But he uh, just 5-0'd with uh, Grixis Lazav Breach. So buy your Underworld Breaches now because Jiggy is going to break them in half <laughs> in this new modern format. And I'm sure we'll talk about that on the next episode of Serum Vision. So you can check that out. Uh, and I'm sure Jiggy Wiggy will go a little bit in-depth about that deck at that point. Editor's note to all of our dear viewers. At this point, we begin uh, talk about the recent bend and restricted announcement that affected Modern. And then we go on quite a long exploration of the Modern um, 5-0 dump. I did not know how long that was going to take. Um, so if you are mostly interested in the Enigmatic Incarnation deck dive, you can hop to about... Two hours and 50 minutes on the timestamp of this audio file, and you should be able to get straight to the uh, explanation of the Enigmatic Incarnation deck with me and Mordekaiser. Otherwise, I would be happy to have you uh, join us all the way along here with uh, our dive into the effects of the modern banlist announcement. Thanks for your time. Enjoy the rest of the episode. One of the reasons that I'm happy to have you here is uh, I would say that you are probably a, a very passionate and, um, you know, uh, intense player of modern uh, in a competitive sense, even though, like me, you like to play slightly off meta decks. Is oh, exactly. 100%. Right. I would never play an unplayable deck. Like, I would right, never right. play something tier 5, but if I can win with a tier 2 with double the effort, I will do so. Well, that's what I what I uh, I summed it up one time. There was a, a really pro player who was um, who was saying to me like, why why don't you ever play any like of the the top tier decks? Because you know you keep playing this Nimbusit deck and you always top eight, but you never win. Hmm. Uh, the, we we had a weekly one K 
in Toronto. In fact, oh, okay. there's probably more than one, but there was a weekly 1K that a lot of people went to. And uh, every time it was modern, I'd probably play something like Niv-Mizzet or, or something like that. And he said, you know, if you played a good deck, you could probably win this by now. And I said, well, I would rather top eight playing something like this that I love than win playing any of the decks that I think are sort of top tier. And it's not... I'm not criticizing the people who do that. I just it just doesn't have the same thrill to me. You exactly, hundred percent. I, I I don't feel the same way, and especially if it's my rule, like something I helped building. Right, it's it's, just I mean like... that's even, yeah, that's even more of like if you put your stamp on it, right? Like I was playing Niv Mizzet, but I was playing main deck Megas of the Moon, um, and <laughs> like you know that's crazy. Yeah, but you could do it when uh, Astrolabe was around the same way. Yeah, yeah, of um, course. Yeah. So, so. Uh, I've I've been burying the lead a little bit because we have had an incredible week oh, of yes. modern because on Monday it was banned it was announced and it immediately went into effect there were five bans and a rules change in modern so um, Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath uh, Mystic Sanctuary Field of the Dead Simeon Spirit Guide and Tybalt's Trickery were all banned from modern and there was a rules change to Cascade, specifically targeting the uh, Tybalt um, Cosmic Imposter decks that were cascading through their deck to hit uh, Valky, God of Lies, and casting the seven-mana Planeswalker side. Um, this has been called by the most recent episode of Faithless Brewing as the most impactful ban announcement of all time. Certainly one of the most impactful on Modern that has ever happened. Um, it feels very similar to the, when they banned Hogak and Faithless Looting and unbanned Stoneforge Mystic. It feels very similar to when they banned Oko, Mox Opal, and Michael's and Vladis, but it's so much bigger than that. More, do you have any um, like immediate thoughts on that? Well, I was just amazed by the bans. I was like, maybe they will be idiots and just ban Valky. Maybe they will, I don't know, leave everything as it is and just leave us to dwell in this I, I don't even know how to describe the previous to the banning modern. Valky was just so insanely boring for everyone. So when Monday comes, yeah. I was talking with Boos at the moment, and he just said me, man, I'm about to cry. I can't believe they have finally done it. Yeah, and, and to so to that um, point, I think... Um, I mean, I have my opinions about Uro. Anybody who knows me uh, knows that. And I, I think in terms of modern, I think Uro was a bit villainized. People were sick of losing to Uro in a lot of different formats. And it is a very powerful card. And I think that has to do the most with Uro being banned. But I am certainly quite happy about the banning of Mystic Sanctuary and Field of the Dead. Um, generally speaking, I thought those cards were doing more than they than they were supposed to in way too many different decks um and to the critics of uro that say oh you know he he results in a lot of unfun repetitive play patterns uh, i think mystic sanctuary was more responsible for that and i think field of the dead was more responsible for like it just amped up the power level of so many decks beyond what they should have had well, it, it was just such an easy conclu inclusion, you know? Yeah, I, I always said... My, a friend was playing Omnath, Four Color Omnath, a week before the bannings, and, I, and he played an Uro and got a Mystic Sandory and a Phil of the Dead trigger, and I said, like, oh, look, a whole future Levant stack. The three... Sp Uro, <laughs> Phil of the Dead, and Sandory trigger at the same time. And I just yeah. said, and in the perfect order, because it was first Phil, then Sandory, and then Uro. 
and that's how I felt yeah. the banning should have been, and I would have been really annoyed by like ban Uro and leave their tooling around. It would have been mostly the same, but people had people hated Uro just because of how it was not a matter of how strong it was, but how annoying it was to just lose a lose a game to it. People hated Uro yeah. more than it deserves generally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it was one of those things where, as as a player who has played many in Uro, um, I have known a lot of people who look at Modern as the drag race format. And when I'm saying that, what I mean is two players who are both trying to go as fast as possible to cross the finish line, and, you know, there's not a lot of interaction. It's not normally um, celebrated as being one of the the, the um, pillars of modern is to play highly interactive magic. But when you talk to most players who I, – I, I don't know what the right <laughs> way to say it is because maybe that's just me being biased. Um, but I just feel like a lot of people always praise one of the best parts about magic is being the interaction. Oh, um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's just awkward to, to say, like, oh, we love the interaction, but modern is the drag race format, and that's how it's going to be. Because, you know, I, I've heard it called the people's format before, and in many ways it does feel like it because, um, you know, the Faithless Brewing guys pointed out that the the diversity in the modern deck dump every every couple days is unbelievable. And you I really, you know, people say you could 3-2 with anything in modern, but you could 5-0 with basically anything in modern, and that's a beautiful thing. Oh, yeah. And it's relatively affordable, you know? Do, shock lands uh are affordable, dual lands are not. Like I'm just, you know, yes, they're expensive relatively speaking to, you know, a hobby, but not on the same level as dual lands. I mean, that's yeah. a difference of what, 20 times the price? Yeah, yeah, but in that aspect, we have a slightly different um, opinion. Yeah. Because of how, well, because of the countries we both live in, like, we can both agree that MTGO is a bit cheaper. But uh, a little? A little? <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. Ma far a lot cheaper, but still, Magic is, like, ex fucking expensive here, sadly. Like, a lot of people want to play Magic, and... Starting to play with proxies is becoming more and more, or more and more common for people getting into the game because it's unaffordable. Sadly. No, no, and I'm a I'm a huge fan of proxies. Um, when I when I used to work at an LGS uh, local game store, I had a, a, a it was like thirty proxy decks um, printed out that I would keep in the store, and they were all like tiered modern decks or like Perfect. fun modern decks. And so the point was that when people wanted to come in and, and, and they wanted to uh, learn modern and buy into the game, I'd say, listen, play with all of these decks and find one you really love. And then you can think about buying into it. Because if you are the kind of person who hasn't started already collecting magic, I mean, it's going to be a lot of money from zero oh, to yeah. the point you, you own a deck. And I've seen very experienced magic players in my life um, buy into decks that they think they're going to like without actually taking the time to play them a bunch. And then it, it turns out very quickly that they don't like it and they end up selling it, you know, very quickly. Afterwards. Less than a week. And they yeah. lose, they, they lose a lot of money that way. I mean, you get what 60, 70% value. If that, oh, yeah. you know, you'd be pretty if you, lucky. If you just go and go and sell it fast. And, and it's funny because most people that just buy into a deck are the first ones to go, all right, now I have to sell this deck fast to buy another one. And that's where they just lose like 50% of the value. Right, right. Anyway, not to get too much into the uh, financial aspects of money. Oh, but of course. Anyway, 
Uh, <laughs> so um, getting back and getting then back the, in the road. <laughs> yeah. So the the final two bands were um, Simeon Spirit Guide and, and Valky. Uh, oh, sorry. Just to, to loop back a bit. So the the Uro Omnath Ultra Value Menace is gone, and Uro. Um, Sanctuary and Field, which were all these sort of super mid-range late-game um, engines. All of those are gone. Um, so I think it's going to make uh, the field a little bit more diverse in terms of mid-range stuff, um, because Uro is no longer the king of all of that. And it may, in fact, open things up to different strategies. Um, Co Diamonds is a streamer that I was just made aware of uh, in the last couple weeks, and he is a, a lover of uh, a color combination like Abzan. And Abzan... You know, you, you really could compete playing Abzan because Jund was clearly the premier mid-range deck that wasn't an Uro deck. Oh, yeah. Um, and then there were all the Uro decks. And that <laughs> was really all you could play in terms of, like, mid-range stuff for the most part. Um, but now that, that things like Abzan are going to be a lot more open, and, and that's good. I, I mean, I'm a fan of that. Even though I loved Uro, you know, maybe maybe we will see more diversity even than before, and that's great. Um, I think the so format anyway, the, is an amazing place. I love the format. yeah. Today. No, well, it's funny. We'll, we'll we'll get to that in a second because um, so Simeon Spirit Guide and Tybalt's Trickery were the other two bands. Now Tybalt's Trickery was specifically to surgically remove a deck that um, it was just incredibly obnoxious. Um, it it was like pulling a, a lottery uh, a slot machine you know lever and just seeing whether you won or not um, on turn one, two, or three, and almost nobody could interact with you. Uh, I think that's fair. Well, I think that I I think the Simon Spirit Guide leaves a good guideline that they did not ban the monkey based on power, but based on how annoying it was in general to modern and how dangerous it could be. Right. So yes, the other the other ban here was Simeon Spirit Guide, um, and if you want to hear a, a bit of a sort of post mortem on what that means, um, you can listen to the most recent episode of Faithless Brewing because I think they did a wonderful job and I don't want to rehash their their content here. But yeah, I, I would say, largely speaking, the, the way they summed it up eventually was to say, if you're playing Simeon Spirit Guide, you're not doing anything fair or healthy or whatever whatever words you want to use to describe the fact that you're, you're trying to win very quickly and you want to cheat on mana. Um, and... I think Wizards has decided at, at this point that that's just not what they want the identity of modern to be. Um, in the last episode of, of Serum Visions, I was talking about the idea of creating a format and creating an identity and a feeling for that format. And I think they want, in this way, to distance modern combo from legacy combo more because for a long time it was more different and over the last couple years it has seemed to become more similar there are more turn one and two kills legacy is the format where you can expect your combo kill opponent the combo decks can kill you on turn one or two and modern that's just not supposed to be the case yeah so um, yeah modern was based on that that's a reason yeah, they had. That's a reason Legacy had Force of Will and Modern didn't. It's like you need to interact right. with that. You should not right. expect and to interact with that in Modern. Right, and that's the check in Legacy is the Force check. You can play a Force check deck, and you're just going to lose when the, the opponent has Force of Will. <laughs> and then post board, exactly. it's going to be it's going to be really hard. So, um, but in Modern, th with the banning of Mox Opal and rest in peace, Mox Opal. I mean, I love Mox Opal. No, I was um, so happy. I was so happy to see it go. I'm sorry for you and Shige. I was just champ jumping oh, on my fine. bed, screaming. 
No, I mean, I, I get it, you know, because it's one of those things where if if you say to me, listen, the rules of engagement in modern are that mana is something that you have to work for, then I will say, oh, okay, yeah, then Mox Opal is clearly something that is out of line with that. Um, and uh, anyway, you know, I, I feel for the affinity players. I feel for the, the people who, you know, Lantern, Prison, and, and things like that, but if if this is healthier for the format overall then you know we, i think we just have to take it yeah um and that's that's i feel like the simian spirit guide banning is in line with that um and we'll get to some of the um some of the the where faith is brewing talked about some of the victims but in this league dump here we're going to see what uh, the survivors look like right now because we are going to be talking about the very first 5-0 modern deck dump since this banning took effect. But before we get there, do you have any overall thoughts about the format as you've been playing it over this week? Um, because I know for me, the first day was hilarious. <laughs> the first 24 hours while they playing were the insane. deck. Yeah, I went 12-3 and three, and I think something like 60-70% of my, my games were against Burn or Mono Red Prowess. <laughs> which um, which is to be expected. I reached the yeah. point of playing four Cyber on Thin Ice, four Aerial Champion within the main and the side, and four Core Firewalker in the first 24 hours. <laughs> I was just so t tired of getting bolted. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it, it made it very easy to rack up the wins, you know, when everyone was playing <laughs> yeah. Burn. But, but since, since that point, the meta has heavily diversified, and uh, we're seeing a lot of decks come back. Um, it's harder to notice what's missing um but uh when we get to the end of the deck dump we can comment individually on on some decks that we think uh it's surprising that they're missing or maybe we won't be surprised maybe we won't, won't notice um i for one was not seeing a lot of for example green white titan um was oh you know, I, the moment i saw the banning i was like rest in peace reclaimer reclaimer is back right. to being crap yeah it's not going to be good enough in modern anymore i think but um even, that deck wasn't actually putting up that many results um, before Kaldheim came out. Oh, yeah. Um, it had had a, a heyday, and then it sort of seemed to fall off. Hmm. And then once Kaldheim came out and we hit this, like, combo winter nonsense with the Tybalt's Trickery and the Valky decks, um, it really didn't have a, um, you know, it didn't really have the ability to fight. Anyway, yeah. so um, if you've got the Modern League dump from uh, 2021, February 19th, opened up, you can follow along with me and Mord. As we get into this deck dive, we've been joined by the wonderful Brian M. Artificer of the Serum Visions podcast. Welcome with us, Brian. Hello. Hello. Very excited for this one. Oh, absolutely. Well, we're going to be um, diving into the Enigmatic Incarnation deck later, and I know you have been playing some amount of that. Um, but before we are all confounded with that sweet, sweet brew, oh, such let's sweetness. go talk about this first Oh, it's such sweetness. But let's talk about the relative sweetness of this new 5-0 dump. So we've got essentially what is a new format. As uh, Mordekaiser was pointing out uh, to me a second ago, um, there were some decks that slipped through the cracks into this that have copies of Valky or um, Tybalt's Trickery. We'll mention them, although we'll probably not look at them in depth. Um, so right off the bat, Axeno playing Mono Red Aggro or um, sort of 
am Hayashi red as I look at it. This is the Obosh, the Prey Piercer version. So I would think it's fair to say that none of us are surprised to see this deck in the 5-0. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. It's exactly what you expected to happen within these burn and Iset prowess. No Udo means no so much life gain. And I, I'm... I'm always impressed by these decks' ability to grind you out. Um, if you play a mid-range deck with other colors against this deck, you expect it to be a pretty easy matchup. And even assuming that you can navigate their four copies of main deck Blood Moon, you think to yourself, well, there's no way they can keep up with me. But between Bomat Courier, Bone Crusher Giant, and Seasoned Pyromancer, they can really uh, generate card advantage, light up the stage. Yeah, exactly. Light up the stage. Um, all while putting... Amazing. Yeah, constant pressure. Yeah, it's, it's quite, quite the powerful deck. Um, so this has been a mainstay of Modern for a while, and I, I think uh, it, it won't be surprising to see it stick around. Uh, more, do you want to yeah, take the next course. one? Yeah, of course. Then we have Alan07 playing some sort of green rare, which is, oh, just regular old scape sheet from 2019. Titan Shift, baby. Yeah, we are back to 2019. We have scape Shift as a tier one deck. Well, it does have four copies of primetime in it, so, you know, pretty much anything with four copies of primetime can 5-0, as I think we've we've started to learn. <laughs> Titan plus Dryad means the possibility of, of a 5-0 is not so low. Yeah, you know, Dryad using Groves, I was actually proposing... Um, Sort of a an idea of like, what if we wanted to to nuke, um, not nuke. If we wanted to take some of the power away from the top tier archetypes, um, things like Lavadart out of the prowess decks, and things like Dryad the Elysian Grove out of these Titan decks would definitely hit them hard. But uh, I, you know, I'm happy to have these decks back in the format because you know, classic green red scape ship. Yeah. It's such a good check on the format. Like if you're trying to do too much nonsense, just ask yourself, can you beat red green scape shift? If you can't, you might need a better deck. Can you, can you beat six balls in turn four? You have to ask yourself that question. <laughs> can you do that? Right. And, and it, it's a single sorcery. It's quite easy to deal with. Oh yeah. You know, do you have four either gas somewhere to do, to use? This deck is not even playing cavern of souls. Like, seriously, Why it's, it's not. not playing Card of Souls? Uh, I assume because their color requirements are too high. And uh, anyway, there's certainly certainly a deck that uh, took advantage of this gap um, to put up a Oh, exactly. I haven't seen it in a also, while. Also, talking about Dryad, I, I find it so fun that it's just a nymph. It's enchantment creature nymph yep. being called a Dryad. No, no, it's, it's, it, it, is, it is now a Dryad. Oh, I know, I know. Fixed. But in paper, you just don't know that. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yes. Oh, no, absolutely. And they, they did actually make the rules change, and they were like, um... <laughs> Sorry? It's supposed to be a... It's supposed to be a... It was a cross-taker situation that it comboed on itself. Exactly. Always exactly. hurts. Um, Brian, would you like to take this next one? Sure. Uh, we have Amplum Nox. Ah, oh, man, I'm butchering that. <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, Am Amplum Nox on... Is it Blitz? Um, and so this one looks pretty stock to me. Uh, it is playing the three mutagenic growth, which I've seen kind of in and out of some of these lists. Um, and some vapor snags in the side. I don't know if that is quite stock, uh, but I definitely got got by the vapor snag in uh, a recent league. I was running the enigmatic incarnation deck. I had stabilized at one life, and then they, they got me with the vapor snag. Yeah, yeah, no, and Vapor Snag gets around um, 
things like Oriac Champion or Core Firewalker that have protection from red. So it, it that, gives yep. it gives these decks more flexibility, as does um, Kozilek's Return. I've been killed by Kozilek's Return out of their sideboard too. So they're they are very much ready for your protection from red creatures. I have um, yeah, I had seen the Kozilek's Return, uh, but yeah, I was surprised by the Vapor Snag, and that was exactly what they did. They got me got my Oriac. I don't know why I'm laughing. I'm laughing so hard at losing two Vapor Snag. I know, I know. It's like it's one of those like it's 2021. How are we losing to Vapor Snag? Exactly. This isn't Mirrodin or Scars of Mirrodin draft. Why am I losing to Vapor Snag? <laughs> this isn't not supposed it to turns happen. Out it's just a good good tempo spell. Yeah. And one of the things, can either of you remember? Really quick question. Um, I used to play against these decks a bit during their early heyday, and they would always have four Swift Spear, four Soulscar Mage. Four Stormwing Entity or four Sprite Dragon, but never both. Is that am I mm, remembering this accurately, or am I totally crazy? Kinda, yeah. The very first drafts only played for the four Entity, and they they started to yeah. slowly pile up on the dragons. They said, well, one is good, maybe two is better. What about three? Well, let's go with four, and they just started to go more and more inside in, <laughs> into them. Yeah. And it, it's funny because I, I swear the wisdom from, from the players who were good at it before is like they couldn't afford to play that many two-drop creatures. But you see, you can see now that they're down to 18 lands. They have four opt. So, you know, they're, they're more greedy, I think, than they've ever been in terms of they have to mulligan hard sometimes. And that has been the way that I've beaten them more often than not is when they take too many mulligans or they keep a, 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 a sort of shifty hand and they can't miss their or they can't hit their land drops. Exactly. I'm gonna make a slightly off off topic comment because I was just looking at the second Isid Blitz list to see if it also played for the Spite Dragon. And I'm sure this has to be a guy that either lost to an aquatic incarnation or is just sad with life. Because he's playing Terror's Staple common stern dismissal. <laughs> which is three oh, stern dismissal main deck. Main deck. He's playing that's main crazy. deck what? stern dismissal. <laughs> and it, that is a blue instant bounce target creature or enchantment. An opponent control. So you, you cannot even bounce your own stuff to protect wow. it. That's just uh, bad. Uh, that's weird. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. Otherwise, <laughs> anywho, carrying on, we've got a modern staple green Tron back in full effect. Um, this version is playing two main deck Thought Not Seers and three main deck Thrag Tusks. So it's a bit of a weird list here, but the general strategy of Ancient Stirring, Sylvan Scrying, and Expedition Map in order to assemble your Tron, I think we can all say we're not surprised at all to see Mono Green Tron coming back. And almost even during the worst of times, you can almost always expect to see one copy of this deck um, in one of the two weekend challenges. Even when it's being hated so hard, it'll still put up one result on a weekend. There's a hundred percent chance you'll see it when you remove your sideboard hate pieces for it. <laughs> we were talking exactly about that with Zach regarding Storm, but Tron also fits into the into the <laughs> slot. You, rem yep, you yep, remove yep. the sideboard, the deck appears and then vanishes for a month till you remove it again. Yeah, yeah, just like Dredge. These decks come and mm -hmm. go as the sideboard hate for them uh, continues. And um, this is playing the full boat of four Karn the Great Creator. Um, I think that's a great direction for these decks to go, especially in a very um, hostile, volatile metagame. Because one, you can cast Karn the Great Creator on four lands, which means if you get Blood Mooned in game one, you still have a chance. 
Uh, and two, it gives you access to a sort of Swiss army of um, sideboard cards in game one or game two or game three, um, whatever you need, whenever you need it. And these decks can really use a hand on that sometimes because, uh, you know, sometimes your Ulamogs and your Thragtusks and your Wormcoil engines won't be enough. Yeah, it's, it's uh, even running Witch Bane Orbin, the cyborg, which they have removed, but with the resurgence of so much burn, they just like, I need Hexproof at any cost. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, exactly, and they have things like Trinisphere, they have things like uh, um, Grafdigger's Cage, so they have access to a lot of different tools. Uh, that That is definitely the way I can think that Tron will be most successful for the moment. Um, next up, we've got uh, a deck that is heavily popularized by uh, streamer, streamer Giglio MTG. Uh, what do you think about uh, Grohl midrange here, Mord? Personally, I'm going to say this, I love this version, but I hate Ponza. This only plays two pillars, and I'm fine with it. But I'm the sort of person that just hates go having my opponent go pillage, stone rain, pillage, pillage, stone rain, attack with my elf till you die. Yeah, well, so the running joke for me has been that for a long time, um, Ponza or the um, my favorite deck name of all time on MTG Top Eight, these decks were labeled as Grull Landlocks <laughs> for a long time, um, which I just thought was fabulous. Um, but this version is playing two pillages, so it really is very, very light on land destruction, but it's playing four blood moons. So it's really leaning on the aspect of hosing your opponent and not so much on the actual Ponza. Exactly. exactly. Because when I, think of, when I think of Ponza, I think of the year 2017 or so where they would play you know, 12 main deck stone rains and eight one-man accelerators – and you almost always ended up winning because, yeah, they stone ranged you like three or four times, but then they didn't put any threats into play and they never tried to kill you and you were able to rebuild and win. Exactly. Um, but these de these decks are not like that. They're they're sort of a lot like the M. Hayashi red deck. They're a very powerful mid-range deck that gets to use green acceleration and just huge creatures. I mean, Bone Crusher Giant, Season Pyromancer, Glory Bringer, Bloodbraid Elf. I mean, these just put so Clothes. much value into play. Yeah, Clothis is a nightmare for control decks. Oh, yeah. Clothis um, is a that clock. Is... It's just. It's clock, yeah. it's I, life it's game. It's so much better than I ever gave it credit for. Yeah. Well, the, when Clothis started um, coming to prominence, I was playing a lot of um, four color control, the iceberg control deck that I so dearly loved. And um, it was it's just such a problem card. And when you, the rest of the deck is hammering at you with haste creatures and lightning bolts, uh, that Clothis becomes a real... Suddenly they have like two Utopia Sprawls and they go Blood Raid into Season Pyromancer and it activates the Clothis all of a sudden and you are getting hit for seven. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, the Utopia Sprawls and the Arbor Elves, sometimes you don't notice how close to uh, seven Devotion they are and all of a sudden they're attacking you with Clothis. <laughs> it's like, oh no. Um... Next up, we've got one of the big winners from this weekend that actually won one of the challenges, I believe. We've got uh, good old classic Azorius Control. Um, Brian, I saw that you were uh, excited to play some Control again, perhaps. What do you have to say about this list? Uh, I I mean, I love it. So I've never been a huge fan of the, the Heavy Planeswalker builds, and this is not one of them. There are no Narsets in the main. There is a Vendelian Click in the main, which, I mean, talk about your throwback. They're uh, back, baby. I haven't seen that since uh, Brazen Borrower was printed. Um, you got engineered explosives in the main, 
which is pretty spicy. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by that choice. And then we got the Stoneforge package with Sword of Feast and Famine and Batterskull. Uh, and then my boy Teferi 5 to top things off. So, yeah, I'm, I'm liking the look at I this one. I'm a bit one. shocked. And Shark I'm a bit shocked you're ignoring main deck, modern staple, peak. Yeah, good old peak. How are you not mentioning Peak? Has shown oh, yeah. Up. yeah, Peak has shown up <laughs> from time to time as a uh, fifth copy of Opt that has some um, sort of different functionality from time to time. Um, realistically, they're playing it as a fifth copy of Opt, oh, yeah. but uh, every now and then it's a big, big deal um, just to know what your opponent has got going for them in their hand. So yeah, um, Azorius Control, perhaps not quite the correct name for this. Uh, Blue White Stone Blade or uh, Shark Blade is perhaps more accurate. I mean, they're they're very low on Shark Typhoons. They only have one copy here, but um, we all know this is the 5-0 deck dump. So um, when these lists are curated, I, I would assume multiple people 5-0'd with um, a Blue-White Stone Blade list. And we only see decks that are different by at least 10 cards from each other. So um, exactly. there's probably a version of Blue-White Stone Blade that is not playing main deck to explosives, um, probably one that's playing more Shark Typhoons, probably one that's playing a Sword of Fire and Ice. So um, if you are the person who's interested in this deck, uh, look for other versions of this list if this one doesn't suit your taste. Because uh, in my personal opinion, when I see something like one engineered explosives in a main deck like this, I go, mm, mm. I don't know about that one <laughs> for me. Well, I wanted to talk about something now that I see this list. The other day I saw a, a, a Twitter post, but I don't, know, I don't exactly remember who that said, banning Stoneforge Mystic would increase the win rate of the average, average, average control player. And I was like, maybe that's true. Maybe Stoneforge is a trap. And, uh, Stoneforge is a trap. Maybe Stoneforge is I a trap. I, I don't think that that's true, though. Um, I, I think Stoneforge into Batterskull the next turn in a variety of scenarios is very, very powerful. Um, and it lets you compete in a sort of mid-range way and in a fail case kind of way that very other, very few other cards would do. Um I mean, maybe the, maybe they're right. Maybe they know more about it than I do. But uh... I, I think that for everybody who improves their win rate for not playing Stoneforge, you're going to have an equal number of players who lose due to timing out. Because that was, <laughs> that was my MO. I used to take uh, blue-white control, Stoneforge list control to the LGS, and I just went to time and round every <laughs> single time. Because colonnade beats are kind of slow. Well, and, and Although, you know, new tools. There are oh. a lot of new tools out there. So it... We didn't talk well, about the, that, the that bindings. Of that deck, yeah, they won't even... The newer versions of those decks play zero colonnades a lot of the time, and one Snapcaster Mage will be their only creature. No, Shark Typhoon the, is like, sometimes, such a good yeah, wing. Well, one. Shark Typhoon now. Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, I mean... It's always been one of those things that I've known since I was uh, playing as a teenager is blue or blue-white control... Um, that has like no threats. Yeah, th that was always a concern. You just needed to learn how to play fairly quickly. Because um, once you've made it through some of the early turns of most games, um, it becomes pretty straightforward as long as you don't tank on too many decisions. But you can all sure. of a sudden you can all of a sudden lose a game if you make the wrong one. So it, it is definitely a, definitely a harrowing well, experience. 
a lot of the problem is that you know if you're using Jace or Teferi as your win con, uh, people are heavily incentivized to force you to play it out. And sure. milling somebody with the Teferi emblem uh, and tucking your own Teferi over and over is not a quick way to play. No, and I, I had many opponents <laughs> who just admitted they were like, you know, I, I want to make you play it out because there's a better chance that we tie at the end, and like that's better for me overall. Sure. Like, sure. all right, well. You're right. Let's do this as fast as possible. Yeah, I would never yeah. do that. Well, that. Yeah. At FNM, that sounds a bit... I don't want to say douchey, but I would say douchey. No, that's douchey. At, at FNM, I'm going to go ahead and say that's douchey. I, I can understand that in a league, in a modern challenge, on whatever more competitive... Or even in a 1K or a competitive scenario. But at FNM, come on. You are you have lost this game, dude. Just and in paper, if you ever run into that problem, uh, as long as you're a player that's very confident that you're playing through your turns basically as quickly as possible, feel free to call a judge and have them watch the match. Because you could just say, listen, uh, I believe that I, as the control player, are, am more vulnerable to being you know, the victim of, of the clock right now. I think I play very quickly, and I just want to make sure that someone's watching this game and making sure my opponent is playing quickly. Well, I will talk about that slightly. Yeah. Well, and especially with the Teferi emblem. I mean, what's sure. their, yeah, what's exactly. their recourse? You know, if you have them completely well, if you have them completely locked out, then there's absolutely no excuse for them tanking any turn, right? You know, if, sure. if yeah. I will add slightly to that when we talk about uh, the enigmatic deck because that's something that tends to happen in a specific matchup a lot. Mm. Well, we will get there when we get there. Next up, we have Jund Death Shadow by Control Freak. Um, this is a very strange version that's playing Bloodbraid Elf. Um, alongside death shadow not something that you would normally see I, I think i'm much more likely to see swiss spear running alongside the death shadow and uh they've got a main deck copy of luris of the dream den no luris as the companion anymore which means street wraith is back on the menu um th this is like a very jund mid-range kind of yeah. shadow deck uh, i think that's fair to say i'm yeah. trying to figure out how they activate traverse in any decent way or matter if they should yeah, traverse I'm not, um, without any enchantment or tribal or anything weird. Yeah, this is a very off, um, sort of interesting version of these decks. I think um, they were definitely going in a very different direction than we would normally have seen these decks. Uh, it, this is much closer to normal Jund, but playing some Death Shadows, playing some Street Wraiths. Um, it's, yeah, it's funky. It's funky fresh. <laughs> exactly. I I'm very surprised by the Bloodbraid Elf. I suppose by the time you're casting it, you're probably within range to have at least a one-one Death Shadow, but basically not being able to cast your Bloodbraid Elf until you're sure that your Death Shadow is online seems like a I mean scary proposition. Unless unless you draw one of the basics, you mathematically have to take at least seven damage to get to four mana. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's probably pretty I think safe. it's, unless you just draw your basic and not a single fetch land, you are likely going to be below 13 by the time you get to 4 mana. But it's interesting to play the crazy, Blood Raid Elf. The crazy thing for lands. me is that Jund is like a 22-23 land deck that plays 3 or 4 copies of Ren and Six <laughs> to make sure that it's able to actually get its mana going. This deck doesn't. This deck is on 19 lands. I mean, how many times are they gonna have two Bloodbraid Elves in their hand and three lands? In exactly. Play, you know what I mean? I, like this is, this is very risky and weird. I mean, four Mishra is almost an extra land and a half, and two Traverse is like two really bad lands. 
But even then, it's. Yeah. I mean, fortunately yeah, for Mishra, it's just a it's like two lands at shy. least. But yeah, it's shy on lands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I mean, sometimes you get lucky. That's MTQ. Yeah. Um, next up, we've got uh, Modern Classic Humans. Uh, this is a five-color aggro deck, and if I was ever to play an aggro deck consistently in Modern, I think it would probably be Humans. I, I love these guys. They're they're so neat. They're so interesting. You get to play some very funky cards. There's a lot of like interesting um, interactions in between your different creatures, and you have tools to deal with almost any type of deck that could pop up in Modern. Um, the most remarkable thing for me about this humans deck list, which looks pretty stock, um, is that there are zero copies of Magus of the Moon in the 75. Does that strike you as strange, Mord? Or is that in line with how you think they'd be playing right now? Um, in this specific meta, I think I would I would be running not only Magus of the Moon, but I wouldn't play Militia Bagler over Dreamwalker. Never. In any deck. Realmwalker, sorry. They're playing Militia Bagler and I would 100%... Oh, in the sideboard. Yeah. Ah, I see. I and see, yeah, I, see. I would yeah, run yeah, yeah. at least a mouse in the sideboard. You kind of need it in this meta. You, you're well, no. this is this is from the meta earlier this week, and you can see three copies of Oriok Champion in the sideboard. Yeah. So that definitely hoses uh, Burn and Shadow reasonably well. Um, and those are also decks where humans doesn't always have a terrible matchup already because they've got Kitesail Freebooter, Meddling Mage, Thalia, so they get to mess with the opponent's uh, burn spells a little bit already. Yeah, exactly. Burn has always been an easy matchup for humans. This is uh, one of the self-hating humans players. They are running the Plague Engineer in the yeah. sideboard as well, which I have to imagine is a nod to elves, because I've seen elves popping up a lot. Yeah, but we're every gonna... time I talk to anybody that has played it, everybody's like, don't play it, it's bad. And then it continues to, <laughs> to do well, so I don't know who's playing it that's No, I think well. there's... Because uh, everybody I talk to just says no. Elves is bad, but people love elves. So there's a lot of people trying to make it work, and some of them get lucky enough. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've been really impressed. The first two or three times I played against them, it was a joke, and I just knocked them over. Um, but the last two times I've played against them, they've put together really impressive boards very quickly. And uh, I definitely lost both of the matches. So elves is something to keep an eye on. I mean, some of the new tools they got, like that new lord, the the green black uh, three two menace that comes into play and sort of gets one elf out of your top five cards. Elf steering. I don't think they should be. Pl yeah, they shouldn't be playing that card. That's just not good enough. Um, but some of the other stuff they're doing is crazy. I mean, if you've ever seen a realm walker and a heritage druid go off, it's it can be super super nutty. Um, so just just something to keep an eye on because they have been putting up results very consistently even when the Valky deck was going off. Yeah. Uh, next next up we've got Eight Guide. Um, Brian, any thoughts on Eight Guide or as you like to call Wayward Guide Beast, the Red Days? Uh, I was just about to say my only thought is for Wayward Guide Beast uh sweet i'm in i mean i you know in, in seriousness like playing with that card i feel like there's got to be a deck somewhere that wants that effect um you know it's it's neat uh it had some fun game in red black scourge when i was playing it in there uh i don't know if if i mean obviously this list 5 owed i guess it's good enough for that but um 
Yeah, not a lot going on here. You got your burn spells, you got your goblin guides, your swift spears, your guide beast, and your Eidolon of the Great Rebel. And I kind of wonder if a lot of the power of this deck comes from the Eidolon, because that card can be quite also, a Also, eight anti-life gain spells, four Skullcrack, and four Rolling Vortex is just... This guy has a plan and will stick to it. No, oh, I, yeah. and oh, as yeah. someone who has played against burn a lot and knows how to navigate that, that matchup... Um, usually to a lot but um one of the things that messes with burn the most is how many two mana burn spells they draw and what this deck has going for it is four copies of lava spike four copies of lightning bolt two copies of shard volley four copies of skewer the critic four copies of rift bolt um so they're not playing any copies of boros charm at all they're playing three copies of searing blaze um so this is very mana efficient but it's not card efficient. So this deck will severely suffer from mulligans in a way that normal burn will not. But they get to sort of prop themselves up on the fact that they get to play eight Goblin Guides. And if you've played against burn enough, you know any game they start off with Goblin Guide turn one, Goblin Guide turn two, you are in big trouble very quickly. Yeah. Also, so, for some reason, the Guide Beast has trampled, which cost me two lost a game yesterday because I just champed with that. <laughs> I was at four, and I said, well, I was just champ with this Birds of Paradise. What could go wrong? And then, bold the face, wait, why? Yeah. <laughs> How did I lose one yeah. life? That, it was a sad yeah. way. Well, it's supposed to be part of the downside, right? Because anytime they deal damage to you, they have to bounce a land. Exactly. <laughs> Grixis Wurza is back. No longer Jeskai. Um, by D.D. Milau. So I don't know who D.D. Milau is, but congrats on the 5-0. I I keep wanting to take this back through leagues, and I I don't know. It just, it's a slog online. Uh, This one is running the four Emery alongside four Goblin Engineers. You got three Engineered Explosives, uh, down to two were in this one, and three Metallic Rebukes. Um, I like the artifact count. They're up at 21. Uh, a lot of these lists had kind of been shaving, and I, I noticed that they're at 22 lands as well. Uh, the most surprising thing for me is that they are running three Sword of the Meek, so I guess they're worried about graveyard hate with that one, or they're trying to draw it naturally more. Um, I'm usually pretty inclined to cut on the swords, uh, even going as low as one sometimes. You really only need to worry about it if you're worried about like a surgical extraction or um, whatever the, the split second surgical extraction, blanking on the name is. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because a lot of times, if you're afraid of that graveyard hate, you can just play around it. You know, you leave some mana up so that if they try and exile your graveyard, you just activate the Thopter Foundry again and get the sword back. So, uh, yeah, kudos to this pilot. Um, not seeing anything super spicy in the sideboard. A lot of one ofs. Singleton Cleansing Wildfire. <laughs> Why? Which, uh, I guess that's a nod towards the Tron matchup, which is historically pretty bad for this deck. But yeah, but a one uh, one of Damping Sphere with four engineers and two words is like what you would think would be the plan, and then they were like, "Well, hold on, <laughs> that's not enough. I need one cleansing Sh- wildfire." Just in case, I want a wildfire. <laughs> Yeah, you I, know, you, 
Just, you just want that extra little bit of uh, safety, you know? Yeah. Well, to be fair, Cleansing Wildfire does have a, a second functionality, which is you could board it in, in in matchups where you think you're going to get Blood Moon and you're worried about it. You can use it on your own land and turn it into a basic that's tapped. Um, it's not something I'm a huge fan of. I'm just saying I've seen people do it. So it's definitely something that people do and think of. Cleansing Wildfire is the new surgical extraction. People just love saving it in against everything. Yeah. And Ashiok was the new um, surgical extraction previously. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the, 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 the three mana. Uh, people, people love to overboard these cards. They, they think that they're super effective in some matchups where they're not, and they'll just bring them in because they think it hosts them and it doesn't. Um, to the three Sword of the Meek um, consideration in this deck, I think that's entirely because this deck is looking to combo very quickly, and um, Emery milling a sword is more likely with this, or you could draw it. And if the field is full of burn, you really need to increase the the chance that you could combo on turn, let's say four at the latest, as high as possible. Um, sure. So sure. I, I think that's what that's all about. With, I mean, so they've got the two wars and the four engineers. So they have a f six effective tutors right there, and then call Emery a foe tutor. I, I mean, I, I'm with you. I kind of feel like Urza is usually the limiting factor. However, you're you're right. With a lot of burn, you just want to get that that Thopter Foundry combo. Online, right, because that often will pull you through more than the infinite yep. combo. That you don't need yep. the infinite combo to win a lot of games as long as you get the first two. Pieces. Oh, exactly. Um, although that said, the the previous deck we looked at had four main deck skull cracks, so it's not always enough. Um, the next deck yep. I'm super excited to talk about because I've already played this one on stream and um, you can find the, the video on my YouTube. I listed it as Esper Inversion. Um, so this is the first of two decks in this deck dump that I will call post Simeon Spirit Guide Ad Nauseam decks. Um, so the Inverter of Truth deck was uh, a scourge of the Pioneer format, one of the best decks that that format has ever seen for a good long while. Um, this deck is playing for Inverter of Truth, but that's sort of a plan B or even C in this deck list. So um, really quickly, I'll run through it. So we've got four Thassa's Oracle, four Inverter of Truth, two Gideon of the Trials, two Teferi Time Raveler, three Jace Wielder of Mysteries, four Angel's Grace, three Serum Visions, four Spoil of the Vault, four Pentad Prism, three Talisman of Dominance, one Talisman of Progress, two Wishclaw Talismans, four Phyrexian Unlife, and 20 lands, um, some of them rainbow and otherwise just um, covering your, your Esper mana base in the main deck. So the goal of this deck is to win with Thassa's Oracle in one of uh, two major ways. One is to play an Inverter of Truth to make your library very, very small. Uh, the Inverter takes your current graveyard and takes your current library. The library goes to exile and your current graveyard becomes your new library, which is usually pretty thin. And then you apply Thassa's Oracle soon after that, you win the game that way. Um, and this is new-ish for modern. It's not new, people have done this before, but it, it's never been particularly successful. Um, but this deck is running the other combo from Ad Nauseam, which is Spoils of the Vault, um, in addition to either Angel's Grace or Phyrexian Unlife. So for those who don't know, um, Spoils of the Vault is a black instant that says, name a card, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal the named card. You put that card in your hand, and you remove all the other cards revealed this way from the game. And you also lose one life for each of those cards. So... If you name a card that is not in your deck, all of a sudden your library is removed uh, and you lose one life per card, which, you know, will kill you unless you have Angel's Grace or Phyrexian Unlife going on. 
Now you have no library and you can cast Thassa's Oracle and immediately win the game. So um, that was actually something Ad Nauseum started doing once Thassa's Oracle was released. And it was surprising to me that the Ad Nauseum deck could suddenly win considerably faster than it ever had by casting Ad Nauseum. I mean, Ad Nauseum is five mana, but this combination could be as cheap as um, three mana on a single turn or four. Um, so if you cast Phyrexion on life on one turn, then the next turn you can play the Spoils into Thassa's Oracle. Uh, or you can cast Angel's Grace, Spoils, and Thassa's Oracle. And you also have a workaround five mana version where if you have two Spoils in your hand, you can cast the first Spoils to get the Oracle, the second Spoils to remove your library, and therefore um, you only need an Angel's Grace to complete that one or if you have an unlife in play you can do it that way so i think the inverter and the title inversion for these decks is a, is a bit distracting the other version of this that we'll see a bit later on is more similar to the uh previous builds of ad nauseum than this one is um so even though we went one four in the league i i, I felt pretty confident that this deck has some promise um, without Simeon Spirit Guide. What do you guys think? Is this is this uh, a way forward for Ad Nauseam pilots that are feeling disillusioned, or is this a sort of flash in the pan? Thing? I think it's the closest thing they could have to what they like, but I still feel the difference is outstanding. Like The decks are almost uncomparable in power level regard and how fast they were. And also, the fact that... You they have no way to self-exile their graveyard, means Inverter can be really bad in interactive games. Like, I, I remember original versions of these decks were running like one of or two of Nihil's Spellbomb. So they were able to combo... And that's to exile their own graveyard? Yeah, exactly. To be able yeah. to combo in late game, because just picture a long game where you lost two spells, got a Gideon removed, and... I don't know, had a, a card discard. You have five or six cards piling up in your graveyard, and then you just... You, you need four more turns to win with the Oracle, and that's not viable at all. And one, one of the weaknesses I found in this list was the Inverter all the time. I never once even felt like I wanted to cast it. Um, and this deck is also running an abysmally low three copies of Serum Visions as any kind of cantrip, which is... That is really brutal for a combo deck. Though I will say the the thing that I was impressed by was the four copies of Sheldock Isle in the mana base. So this de this card is most often seen in Mill right now. Uh, it has the hideaway mechanic. So when it enters the battlefield, it enters tapped. You look at the top four cards of your library. You get to hide one of them under the Sheldock Isle. And then it says blue tap. You may play the removed card without playing its mana cost. Well, that's amazing. If a library has 20 or fewer cards in it. So with this, um, if you stack uh, a, a Jace Wielder of Mysteries or a Thassa's Oracle underneath it, um, then when you mill out your library with Spoils of the Vault um, or Inverter, you can then use one blue to cast an, a, a Thassa's Oracle at instant speed or Jace Wielder of, of Mysteries at instant speed, um, which will... Uh, in the case of Thassa's Oracle, you win on the spot. In the case of Jace, Wielder of Mysteries, you'll win on your next draw step, or if you can activate the Jace. Um, so that that was impressive to me, at least, in terms of innovation on the deck, because I hadn't seen that before. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty spicy. 
Uh, is it normal for them to be playing the Gideons, or is that new because of the you know all of the, the no, nonsense? No, yeah, it's, it's definitely banned. not new. And um, one of the things I was incredibly impressed by with the Gideons, it is a three mana um, card that has an it creates an emblem that says as long as you control a Gideon Planeswalker, you can't lose the game, and your opponents can't win the game. Uh, I, I was incredibly impressed by that. Um, it, it's like extra copies of Phyrexian Unlife or Angel's Grace. Um, which I thought was very, very clever. So I think Gideon of the Trials might become a part of these decks uh, in the near future as that type of card, in addition to the fact that it deals with mid-range and aggro threats to buy you time to combo off. It's a good pseudo-removal against an entity, and also it's playing Wall of Shards in the sideboard, which is some amazing things yeah. I'm about to steal. Yeah, and and some of the, the better matchups for this deck are things like um, Death Shadow decks, um, and um, burn and anything generally aggressive that gets hosed um, by Phyrexian Life by Angel's Grace. Mm -hmm. um, and th I didn't run into, into any of that during my league, which was a little, uh, a little strange. So um, that th this deck list, it, with this 5-0, I think that was um, probably ran into more of the mid-range and aggro decks and less of the uh, controlling decks than I did. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Next up, we've got uh, Bant Stoneblade by DM95. Not surprised to see this deck here. Um, this version has no copies of Noble Hierarch, which I think is one of the more powerful things you can be doing in these decks. Um, however, this version is correctly constructed to respect the fact that it's not playing Noble Hierarch. It's not playing any Spell Quellers, um, and it's playing um, only two copies of Teferi Time Raveler, and it's generally a little bit bigger, a little bit more controlling. It's playing some Shark Typhoons, Cryptic Commands, uh, Teferi Hero of Dominaria on the top end, and two Jaces. So this is kind of similar to the blue-white Stone Blade deck we saw before. Um, any thoughts on this one, guys? Arctic Tree yeah, I was watching the same comment. Glacial Flood Plane. Kalheim lands. Yep, yeah, so they are playing some of the uh, Enter the Battlefield tapped snow dual lands uh, in their mana base. These are fetchable. Uh, the Glacial Flood Plains is a plains and island. The Arctic Tree Line is a forest plains. Uh, do they have the, the blue-green one in here? No, well? they don't. Also, second battle school in the uh, side is some spice. Yeah, definitely see that more often when there's a lot of burn around and um, decks that are going to be packing shatter effects. All right, but not, I don't think generally surprised to see this here. No, this and, is and it's, probably it's pretty stock and without any new cards besides the, the mana base. Uh, Brian, uh, the Lord High Artificer, could only join us for that amount of time, and so Mordekaiser and I are going to continue on uh, without him. So next up, we've got the five-color Scapeshift deck from Doom Switch. You sounded excited about yeah. this when you mentioned it earlier, Mord. What do you got to say about this one? I just love this sort of deck because it's... It's a sort of thing I would play. I, I think Doom's, um, Doom had a great idea. Valky is the first time you have a... It's the first card besides the Misset that you can play proactively with Bring to Light and feel comfortable with. Like you're not wasting your mana. It's a bit shocking that it's yeah. really hard to find a good threat for 5 mana that it's good proactive. Like Niv took that spot and that's the reason the deck became a good deck. And Valky makes a great second, second best without playing five colors. Yeah, so um, once upon a time, there were I mean, um, four color, there were four color bring to light scapeshift decks. Um, I don't think this archetype has had much traction in the last probably 18 months at least. The last time I saw someone playing anything like this was 
GP Toronto in 20, I want to say 2018, 2019 early. Um, so it's it's been a while since I've seen this deck on the radar at all. So the idea with this deck is to use the card Bring to Light, which is more well known from being from Niv-Mizzet decks, to get the card Scape Shift, and they play Valakut in their um, mana base. So if they have at least seven lands in play, they can shoot you for 18. If they have eight lands in play, they can shoot you for 36 all in one go um, with actual cards that say mountain on them in the mana base. So there's no dry to the Elysian Groves here. No shenanigans. There's no Prismatic Omen. Yeah, they're just doing it honestly um, with the, the escape shift. But this deck gets to play only one copy of escape shift because it can tutor for it. And then around it, they constructed a control shell. And this one is actually, I, I would say this is the, the the next evolution or the current version of the money pile um, that, was, that was good before. So the Uro Omnath deck um, has sort of merged with this um, Bring to Light plan and the Valky interaction with Bring to Light. And uh, yeah, it, I mean, I played against this in the challenge. It seemed very powerful. Uh, it seems like the kind of deck I could love. Um, and I think this is going to be yeah, quite, it's a fun deck. quite the member of the metagame now. But the mana base yeah. sucks. The, yeah. Six so I, 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 I beat this deck with, um, oh, I, think, I think one game... I horrifically messed up their mana by putting one spreading seas into play and turning one of their triomes into an island. And they just yeah. couldn't play half the spells in their hand because they didn't have green all of a sudden. Well, just look at the um, mana base. So they have Cryptic, Supreme Verdict, yeah. and they want to cast Spring Light. They have a Valky that they sometimes need to cast. And they play six Tablands. Yeah. Yeah. So this is definitely um, very powerful but uh, a little bit vulnerable in terms of um, land hate and in terms of just variance. You can just die to not drawing the right lands. But uh, definitely something to keep our eye on because it's going to be powerful. Oh, yeah. Uh, next up, we have Azorius Spirits. This deck was hitting it hard during the Tybalt era. Um, I don't think there's anything super, super interesting about this deck list. It's most of the stock cards. This is the blue-white version, so no collected companies here. Just... Mausoleum Wanderers, Rattle Chains, you know, Supreme Phantoms, Drog Skull Captains, um, Skyclave Apparition, as every white deck has gotten a boost from Skyclave Apparition being printed, uh, this one has as well. So, uh, not surprising that this deck had a 5 0. Deck, not surprisingly, being played by Dr. Queller. Yes. <laughs> uh, aptly named. Aptly named Dr. Queller, who has a number of 5 0s with the deck already. The card that's kinda new and I'm always surprised with is Shacklegeist. The one that taps creatures. Yeah, me too. But I've played against it enough times where I've been more than a little impressed. Exactly. By it. Uh, it is. It is like uh, objectively speaking, when you look at it, you're like, this card is really low powered. Um, but just being able to tap your one flying creature every couple turns or once in a game can kill you really fast. I had that exact same exactly scenario with Shorion and Shacklegeist. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Or um, humans has like just Mantis Rider, um, or you know one one or two Kitesail Freebooters. It's like you have one or two creatures and you think you can buy time with them, and nope, nope, absolutely not. Nope. Next up, as I mentioned before, one of the mid-range decks that is breaking free of the Uro uh, curse. This is an Abzan deck with Siege Rhino. No, no, no. Let Rhino die. Yeah, I know. Please let I Rhino know, die. I, I don't know why you want the Rhino to die. I, I think the Rhino is a wonderfully fair because card. I just don't know what this deck could possibly late. hope to do in some of uh, no. some of the combo matchups. 
I, I started playing Magic a bit too late, so I never saw Rhino as a good card. It was always just, why not play Uro? Why not play Hogak? Why not play... I don't know what was on fashion when I started playing. Right, right, yeah. No, I mean, you just have to respect the Rhino. It's just one of the, like, once upon a time, this was the best mid-range thing for you to do <laughs> if you could play the right exactly. colors. And, like, every now and then you must see one in a game and go, oh, yeah, that is pretty impressive. Four mana, four, five trample that drains for three. That Helix is my, fa my face. Yeah. It's a meme of, it's, I mean, it's a bigger blood that always cascades into Helix. Yeah. Yeah, people thought it would have great hope in Pioneer. And uh, it, it did for about four hours. one and a half weeks. Four, four and days. Then, uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it could not last, unfortunately. No, Pioneer is such a weird format. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, generally a stock Abzan deck, but expect to see more of these decks popping around. This one's a Stoneforge Mystic version. There are Stoneforge versions. There are non-Stoneforge versions. And, uh, you know, take them seriously. All the Black X mid-range decks are... Um, this is one of the best ways to play interactive magic in the format because Thoughtseize and Inquisition are such a powerful core um, for almost any strategy. And then Fatal Push is always one of the better removal spells. Um, so whenever you run into one of those Black X mid-range decks, they can always beat you. No matter what you're playing, no matter what you're trying to do, they can get you. So you uh, you want to, you know, at least have your play tight whenever you run into these matchups because um, they, they will punish you if otherwise. For some reason, it's running Reflecting Pool, and that, yeah, and that hurts me. Uh, probably just to cut down on the amount of damage they have to take. Um, I played Reflecting Pool in um, one of Mr. Rabe's four-color decks at one point. And I have to say, I was incredibly impressed by it. One of the things that's amazing is that if you have the reflecting pool in your draw, then when you fetch your your triome, even when the triome is tapped, all of a sudden your reflecting pool taps for all your colors. Yeah. So that's pretty. Wait, nice. how, does, how does reflecting pool work with abundant growth? Uh, it it can tap for any color. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Like also, that. it plays Gideon Alley of Sandicar, which I do love. It's like my rhino. I just. My, fr my first deck was yeah, a token deck. One of, one of in the sideboard, but it, yeah, it's like Tezzeret for me, Agent of Bolas. I just love him. Just look at him. Look at the child. He's a, so glorious. He's a himbo. Yeah. <laughs> he's my himbo. Nice. Yeah. Um, so as mentioned, next up we've got the uh, other version of Azorius Control. This is not Shark Blade. Um, this is not a Stoneforge deck at all. This one is playing main deck Narset, and the only creatures are three Snapcaster Mages. So this is the very hard control version. Um, not a Miracles deck, no Terminus here, just three copies of Supreme Verdict and one Search for Azkanta. Uh, you think that's any good uh, right now? Um, I think Azkanta. I, I love Azkanta. It's so slow to do anything. <laughs> But also, I, I love yeah, the fact... Yeah, I, I mean, I like the card, too. ...that the castles became playable, because I always loved the castles, but sadly they came with Mystic Sanctuary, so they were not islands. Right. right. castles are lands that mostly enter and tap and have really decent effects for a decent cost. Scry 2 for 4 or make a 1-1 one, one on end step against the ferry is not something to always ignore. No, I agree with you. Um, in Pioneer, I was playing Castle... It was like two or three of the White Castle as basically the only way to win the game that wasn't Planeswalkers. Um, and I, I had great success with that deck. So, um, yeah, Castle Ardenvale, Castle Vantress, and one uh, Gyre Reach Sanitarium in this deck to set up the Narset lock. I mean, this exactly. is... Um, yeah, this is very hard control. And uh, over, over this week... Um, the o really the only hard control deck that I consider 
that has been successful is the blue white deck and they won one of the challenges this weekend so blue white quick off the mark they know how to deal with the burn heavy combo heavy aggro heavy metagame exactly good for them i expected and kind of hoped they would be playing what's that accumulated knowledge the new accumulated knowledge frantic inventory because yeah, yeah, i yeah. love that card but sadly it didn't see play yeah, it's it's a little slow, and the the mana investment on the first one is just really really rough. Exactly. Um, and they're not playing four copies of almost anything here. <laughs> no, not they at need all. to be they they need to have a broad set of cards to deal with modern. They can't go too hard on anything. Well, that's modern, specifically post ban modern. You can face everything at any time, and in yeah. a league you can see five different decks that play nothing alike. And that's something I love. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. what I love about the And they've got a Stony the Silence in the sideboard, which is kind of crazy. Stony uh, Silence. I, there has been a slight resurgence of prison strategies, so I'm not amazed. I'm playing a collector roof. Well, let's not let's not forget Jiggy Wiggy's 5-0 already yeah. with uh, Grinding Station and uh, Underworld <laughs> Breach. So Exactly. Maybe pack your, uh, your Stony Silences now, people. It's a moment. Um, next, next up, we have the, uh, I believe, German streamer god's shadow um playing the very first deck i was excited to play when i started up with modern three years ago it's a uh, grixis control i was expecting the three mana card that flips valky i'm i'm disappointed yeah no cascade no no, no, no. no. they're playing no Luris no, no the cascade they are excellent oh um um uh, i have no idea to the winds exactly release to the wins. release, release to, the wins. to the wins release to the wins yeah yeah but it's the thing so is, bad that, i love it the grixis control yeah, that's against the Grixis control idea of no bad cards, right? <clears throat> it's running Balgi. They definitely don't play any bad cards. They play no bad cards more. Don't you dare accuse them of playing bad cards. What's wrong with you? I'm, do you want me to talk about the Prodigy? Do you want me to talk value. about the Prodigy? Do I have to talk about the Prodigy? I mean, you can. Well, Prodigy and Meyer Triton are equally bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Meyer, Meyer Triton in the sideboard is... Well, it's, it's a little bit of light gain... Uh, I am surprised not to see any copies of Collective Brutality um, in the sideboard, and certainly none of the well, main decks. So. Well, Triton activates Chase, gives targets for Lurus, and that's Oh, it. the Triton with Lurus is definitely something that I hadn't yeah, seen it, before. It, it's for that. It's um, just because it's a recurable to, uh, way to gain life in black, which is really interesting. And also males and maybe males are miserable, so it's interesting. Sure, sure. Um... This deck is playing. Is this deck playing sixty-two main deck cards? Because it says seventy-seven total. Oh fuck! That's crazy. You're going to make me count. Um. Well, we've got eight, uh, eight, twenty-eight, three, and twenty-three. So that's twenty-six. Yeah. Uh, thirty-four, thirty-four. It's playing sixty-two lands. Sixty-two lands main deck. Why? Sixty-two cards. Why? Why is he following us? Yeah, he's just trying to he's just trying to one up Jiggy Wiggy. <laughs> exactly. Um, the two Valkys. It's the two extra Valkys that should not be there. Yeah, <laughs> but it could be it or the two uh, Jace Vrin's Prodigy. Because I have to say, in like a burn heavy meta like we had in, earlier in the week, plus all the Black X mid range decks, it's crazy to me that they're playing Jaces yeah. like that. Two Jaces. And you cannot convince um, me to run Serum Visions over Thought Scour in this deck. Thought Scour is so much well, better. Well, he he. He always plays the Serum Visions, and I, I've done both when I've played Grixis Control, or um, he calls this Grixis Midrange usually. 
because you know it's not playing any of the big control threats yeah. it's it's much more grindy um you're playing a lot of discard and counter magic in the same time or not a lot of discard but you're playing a little bit of discard a little bit of counter magic and a little bit of burn it's actually th these decks I, I will always tell people it's actually much more similar to playing blue moon with a little bit of splash in black yeah um if you notice the, the mana, um, it's almost all blue spells, and then a little bit of discard in black, and a little bit of burn in red. Um, so so that's what it's a greedier version of Blue Moon without obviously without the moon effects. Um, and then these versions playing Luris. Anyway, uh, this is a very very cool deck though, and if you are interested in seeing it played, you can check out Gods underscore Shadow on YouTube. He uploads. Uh, it's like a league every two weeks or so. It's not a huge amount of information, but he is very good at what he does, reasonably descriptive, and um, and you get to see that deck uh, go out. And uh, it's it's like it's like playing Fancy Jund in a way, or you know, uh, greedier Blue Moon. Uh, and speaking of Jund, next up we got the classic Jund. This is this is what you're looking for when you like Jund Jund. This is Jund. Uh, three red and six, three Liliana, four blood. There's I, I don't know if there's anything to say about this deck other than I'm sure the people who play it are very happy to be back and not worried. I just about, love Season Pyromancer. Uh, it's such a good threat. It is, and they're not playing any main deck um, Croxa, which we'd seen oh, a lot, and they're not even playing any in this that's sideboard. Surprising. So yeah, uh, I mean I I think. It's um, Tarmogoyf is more efficient in the fact that like it comes down, it's big, and then it just goes, and you don't need to do a lot of work. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's... I think Croxa might might come back if if the meta is more grindy and they have to worry about other mid range decks. But that's the definition of Tarmogoyf. It's a large stick, a really large stick, and that's it. Yeah. And then the the Pyromancer is so good in game ones a lot of the time against other mid range aggro decks because it just goes so wide and it gives you so much. All of a sudden, cards. yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, you have four power and toughness, but it's all spread out. You can chump block Death Shadows forever. Oh, yeah. well, that's like, that's why people just hate the more battle rage. <laughs> I cannot chump. Nope. You jump and you die. Also, it's playing the full the full playset of Cleansing Wildfire. Clearly, a shunt player that knows to fear Tron. Well, and and to its credit, um, when big mana is riding high, Jund is not a good deck. No, no, no. Uh, they have a really hard time with that matchup. Um, but for the moment, for this week, uh, the big mana decks were not uh, super popular, so we got two of them. Exactly. Um, next up, we have a uh, Cascade Jund deck um, with uh, Lightning Skelementals. Um, it is an interesting version, but, um, you know, the, the, the fact that it's playing four Demonic Dread, four Violent Outbursts, this is one of the decks that slipped through the cracks oh, yeah. into this 5-0 dump and, and is not really uh, indicative of the, the new format. So I, th I think you, you, it's fair we just skip over that. Yeah, but then we have a Nemesis deck. And this is by uh, Idutra, uh, who I'm sure you're aware of more than I am. Yeah, he's from the new Discord. Uh, regards to him, it's been a while since we last talked. But yeah, this is a Wonderful. stock, beautiful version of the deck. Um, it is playing some one ofs. Uh, well, so th this is the uh, this is what I thought the premier Valky deck was going to be, but I think the four color, five color scape shift deck maybe is going to be the premier deck for Valky um, in the in the near future. Um, but yeah, this is this is one of the versions of Niv that was uh, existing before uh, the recent ban change, and um, without Uro. Um, they are play this version is playing four growth spiral. Um, yeah, which is new and strange, but it's not crazy because the deck was already playing four Ren and six in. Uh, this is an eighty card deck, but 
the deck was already playing four red and six, so Growth Spiral is very powerful along with your four Utopia Sprawls to help you ramp. Um, because one of the crazy things Niv-Mizzet could do, I, I'm sure you've experienced it, is when you go turn one Utopia Sprawl, turn two Uro, turn three Niv-Mizzet. I mean, that's I mean that's just that was a good start. Insane. But we can always talk about the God start, which is turn one Utopia Sprawl, turn two Teferi, bounce anything. Turn two, play Utopia Sprawl, play Teferi, bounce anything, into turn three Niv-Mizzet on his sense step, and you're just like, I'm a god. You're nothing. Yeah, but You're that a is, that, that's uh, you need you need two Utopia oh. Sprawls for that one. But yeah, yeah, no, it's it's possible, and I've seen I've seen it done. Um, but this version actually has the ability to go turn one Utopia Sprawl, turn two Growth Spiral. But one of the lands you play can be a tapped Triome, so you you can actually very easily um, set up your mana beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. So Growth Spiral, uh, unintuitive and new. Um, maybe not here to stay, but I definitely see why that is the direction. Your spiral going. just has um, one problem, which is we're playing in a really aggro meta, and if you look at the colors in Growth Spiral, Lightning Helix, Zakaya's Guile, <laughs> not a single peep coincides, and you really need Lightning Helix and Kaya's Guile early game to survive. Yeah, abrupt decay can help, but yeah, you're right. Um, once upon a time, and some of the early other versions I've played have played some sideboard fatal push. We don't see any of that here. But yeah, it's definitely possible. Yeah, we see the Thoughtseize, which um, is what I, I used to run. And Wusa was always on the push. It has always been a split within us. Wusa plays push, I play Thoughtseize. Mm -hmm. And um, the, um, uh, the the life gain, though, um, I actually didn't play a lot of Niv-Mizzet since Omnath came out. And when I did come back and play the deck now, which is playing four Omnaths in this version, um, you know, I, I, I had lots of games where I never drew an Uro against Burn, but because I drew one Omnath, that was more than enough to push me over the finish line and, and, and ensure that I don't die. And this one's playing four Kaya's Guile, four Lightning Helix. So I, I wouldn't worry too much about the Burn matchups, but I agree with you. If you set up, let's say you go turn one, uh, land sprawl, and you're like, all right, I'm going to turn two growth spiral. And then your opponent goes turn one goblin guy. You're like, uh oh. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you go turn one forest. It's going to be a minute. <laughs> First I mean yeah. blue, and then you're like, you're like oh, oh, fuck. No, it's it's going to be a while before I can gain any life. I hope I don't die first, and you might, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, definitely um, definitely an interesting tension in those matchups now. Um, I'm happy to see the Nissa of Shadow Bows in here. I really like that in, in these deck lists when I've played it. And I'm unhappy to see no copies of uh, Sisse, Weatherlight Captain. I really, really enjoy playing with that card, but I, I do admit it's probably a little bit cute sometimes. Yeah, I think Sisei um, time to go. Sisei time to go happens when Golos had to go as well. They had to go like as a package. First lot's kind of open, yeah. Golos, Philos, Deder, and Double Sisei, and I think that's the exact spot the four, the four Growth Spiral are taking today. And then, of course, the three or so Uros went and they... Uh, yeah, you have uh, the Nisa, yeah. the fourth Guile, and... There you take the Nisa, the fourth Guile, the fourth and the four Omnath. Exactly. The fourth Guile, yeah, yeah. You just yeah. run anyway, it up um, nicely. Five, five color Niv Mizzet has been mostly successful in its 80 card version recently, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised in any 5 0 dump to see a 60 card or 80 card uh, Niv Mizzet multiple times. Oh, exactly. So, uh, sweet deck. Always love to see that and uh, keep your eye on it. I wonder if uh, they made it up in the top of any of this weekend's challenges, and I, I hope we get to see them there soon enough. Um, Next up, we've got uh, Miracles. Miracles. This is uh, four copies of Terminus. And four Behold the Multiverse. Um, and four Behold the Multiverse. Um, otherwise, this is a one copy of Snapcaster blue-white control deck. Oh. 
Um, and yeah, four copies of Behold the Multiverse, four copies of Terminus, and they're really leaning on those. And Colonnade uh, beat them. Yeah, and they've got the Colonnade. So they're, I mean, the whole win here is three Jace, the Mind Sculptor, two Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, and Celestial Colonnade. I mean, that's really their only way to win the game. And uh, you know what? Sometimes that's good enough if you're a very patient and very quick uh, blue-white player. Exactly. Um, yeah, next up, 80-card Kiki Cord. Oh, I know. I love seeing this uh, here. They've got four Court of Calling, four Eldritch Evolution, so they are really able to put together their combo uh, even in an 80-card deck. They've got four Birds of Paradise and four Noble Hierarchs to Accelerate. they got Main Deck Revoker, Main Deck Scavenging Ooze, three Voice of Resurgence, one Archon of Eermira, one walls. Eternal Witness, one Magus. Eight walls, yeah. Four Wall of Blossom, four Wall of Omens, and four Ephemerate. Yeah. So this is uh, this is quite the deck list. Uh, there's no blue, which we've seen in a lot of uh, versions of these decks if they play Felidar, Guardian, and Sahiliri. This one is just Naya creatures with a Kiki-Jiki and four Resto Angel. I mean, this is... It's this seems like the most streamlined version of this deck I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, it's so square. Eight tutors, six removal spells, four FM rate. I kind of like it though. I really like it. No, I like it too. I'm actually looking at it and going, you know, I want to try playing this um, because the deck we're going to be doing a, a deep dive on today is the uh, Enigmatic Incarnation deck, which is a very mid-range controlling. Uh, kind of strategy with the toolbox this one is definitely much more combo focused but they do still have good disruptive element but uh, kiki core definitely something i would be interested in playing on stream yeah in the near future yeah next time we have oh this is this is a deck that probably made it 5-0 during valky times without being a valky deck it's a bandstone force playing so much hate to those decks it's playing spell queller meddling mage Archon of Emer three Archon of Emeria main deck in a collected company deck. Yeah, that's kind of crazy, huh? This is a deck that just wanted to beat the Valky Cascade decks on of its time. Also, mm -hmm. and it certainly would be able to do so, but uh, three company. What, what, do you think this is hurts me? Yeah, three collected company, three to fairy time Ralver. I mean, but this is a deck that I mean, like, look how many three drops they have. They have what eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, fifteen three drops in this deck. Yeah. So like. The, the percentage chance of hitting um, five or six mana in value off your collected company is very high. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm shocked by not playing four collected company like any company deck. Oh, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a little bit crazy to me, but I'm sure they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, and collect, collected company is definitely, like, if you're already playing this many three drops and you play that many four drops and the batter skull and the sword, like, you do have a problem of, like, there, this deck has no card selection at all. Yeah. So if, <laughs> whatever you're drawing, that's what you're playing. So if you, you know, if you run into a clump of lands or the opposite, if you run into a clump of expensive spells, you can get in yeah. trouble quickly. Also, it plays a card that I just love and wish I could play more, which is Gavoni Township. Yeah, Gavoni Township is uh, is quite quite the fun card. Uh, next up, we've got the, uh, uh, the another version of uh, Mono Red Prowess. Um, the most interesting thing about this version is playing Heartfire Emulator. Um, not what is playing that? Oh. the sideboard Obosh. The Bad Prowess creature. Yeah. Yeah, um, and they're not playing Abbot of Carol Keep for some yeah. reason. I have to think that this is just some kind of budget thing or experiment that went better than expected. Challenged them. Yeah. Yeah, because I think generally the the verdict was in that 
um, Abbott of Carol Keep is just better than Heartfile Emulator, yeah. and I can't think of too many situations where that. Well, that's just not I can think of one scenario, which is if you have too much prowess, Lava Dart could become problematic for Abbott, while otherwise Lava Dart becomes almost textless in a mirror. Sure. Yeah, I, I I can agree with that. And there there are situations where um, if you have a Heartfire Emulator on the board and your opponent plays uh, a big one big creature before combat, you could pump up your emulator and sack it. To... No, 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 no. I can't see it. I just no, can't see it. No, it's just the, it's just the toughness thing. You're it's right. it's, it's just either Lavador plus Brennan Six or nothing, or just a challenge that went right, weird. Right. We got goblins. Yeah. Anyway, um, this is the goblin combo deck that we were seeing before. Um, this one actually has come up a few times in the last little while, and I'm always happy to happy to see it around. Uh, I'm glad that goblins gets to sort of sit at the table almost any time in five O's. You remember probably only six months ago, seven months ago, every you know six weeks or so, one goblin deck would five O, yeah. and it was usually mono red. And it was like, how did they win? It's like, uh, it's just kind of a mid-range deck. Sometimes they splash black for the um, munitions expert. But it, it really couldn't compete with things like Jund. It couldn't compete with the control decks. Um, but now that they, they have a combo kill yeah, with Snoop um, was, Harbinger Snoop is and an amazing Moggy card. Harbinger is a terrible card. That is such a combo just a combo enabler. But Snoop is... It's a green version. It's a gr it's a grinding card. It can get you card advantage and it can combo. It does everything. Mhm. Mm yeah. It's it's fantastic. I uh, I'm just a big fan. I, I like goblins. I've liked it since um I started playing an onslaught and goblins <laughs> were one of the main tribes there. And uh, they're they're just like they have a I have a soft spot for goblins and uh, I'm I'm happy that they exist in some form. And one of the great things about the deck is, even though it is a combo deck that can kill you on turn three, um, they also can play a very good grindy game against a lot of the other aggro and creature decks in the Well, format, Matron so. and Ringleader makes it. So if you have a Vial mm -hmm. down, everything can go south really fast. Mm -hmm. And Slinging Lieutenant um, actually gains life. Yeah. So it gives them a lot of play against burn um, and other aggressive decks that are trying to punk you out at the last second. Like, it's... Uh, Take goblins seriously if you run into them. They are they are not to be trifled with, and they, they can kill you all of a sudden very quickly. Exactly. Uh, next up, we've got As Foretold, oh. Surviving Without Simeon Spirit Guide. Um, this is, of course, the Living End version. So the, these these versions didn't always play Simeon Spirit Guide. Yeah. Um, but it is playing four Crashing Footfalls, which I would expect to see alongside Electrodominance oh, and Simeon Oh, well, but guide. this is the Living in version and not the one I hate the most. Remember we were talking about the Correct. deck we hate the most in Magic? I lied. It's not oops. It's not anything. The deck I hate the most, it's Restore Balance. Oh, and yeah. luckily, this is <laughs> That's, not... That's uh, definitely rough. This is not Restore Balance. This is just a fair deck that I actually like. Mm -hmm. Have you ever played a lot of decks that have Force Negation in them? I have played a few that like I was the first to play four forms of negation and they miss it. Sure, sure, sure. I, I played I've played one or two, but my point is um, when I play against uh, Restore Balance, yeah, it's savage sometimes. But on the flip side, I remember all the times where they went for their Restore Balance and I forced. Oh them, yeah, and that's and, uh, and you just feel bad about no yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh right. Anywho, <laughs> they suck first and they are like, oh wait, I made a mistake. 
Yeah. So this version is playing for, as we're told, for Crashing Footfalls and for Living End. Those are the only payoffs they're playing for their um, Electro Dominance and as we're told. Just the Crashing Footfalls, just the Living End, so no copies of Ancestral Visions, which I like. Uh, I'm, I'm happy that they're doing it this way. And they don't really need it because uh, four Curator of Mysteries, three Straight Wave, four Windcaller Aven, and four Stripe Waver Winder um, sort of function as cantrips. Yeah. So, um, the last time I played this deck, it was a good solid 4-1. Um, that was at least a month ago. Why are you playing it, it's fun. both? It's proactive. Why are you playing both? Living End and Crushing Footfalls? footfalls? I, sort of I don't think I no, was playing Crushing exactly. Footfalls in I'm that I'm a bit version, surprised actually. they're running Footfalls. Like, how many times are going to go like for a Living End and they're going to hit two, two Rhinos instead of the Graveyard? Mm, yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, but yeah, I like it. They're not playing any cascade spells, so this is this is a very controlled. Oh, okay, no, they're, um, they, it's just from the hand. Yeah, I like it that way then. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. So only electro dominance and as foretold, those are the ways you're cheating spells. Perfect. And the spells you're cheating are living end and crashing footfalls. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I like it then. Yeah. I, I, but again, I I don't know if I've ever seen crashing footballs and living end in the same deck together. Maybe I have. Also, silo divisions um, is a really f good land. Yeah, yeah. So they are playing eighteen lands, but they're playing one copy of Salindi Visions. And Salindi Visions is a two and a blue instant that says, "Look at the top six cards of your library. Reveal an instant or sorcery card from among them. Put in your hand." So this is a great draw spell for. Um, for something like this. They're playing 21 spells, which seems light, but you remember Salindi Visions does hit six cards, so you're pretty likely to hit one. You only need to hit one for it to be worthwhile. Um, so yeah, Living End, still solid. Absolutely not surprising. Um, oh, next up, we've got Esper Control. This is nice. I know. there. I, there's definitely some people around who are you know esper control fanboys this deck dump we saw abzan come back we saw grixis come back and look at this this is esper coming I back cannot, and, uh, having a good i can't time. find a single good reason to run oh no i found it i was saying why are you running thought scour and then i saw the three down in the dog and realized i'm dumb no no but, but drown in the lock is um a kind of uncommon spell the grixis deck we were looking at before was actually playing two copies of it and as you mentioned they were not playing thought scour this version of course yes. is playing thought scour um, and Thoughtscour also has the occasional marginal benefit. Um, if you're playing Aethergust, which this deck is, um, you can Aethergust the person's Titan, and if they put it on top because they're thinking, well, I'll just draw it and cast it again next turn, you can mill it off. Um, well, so you know, <laughs> fun story with fun story with Thoughtscour. There was once I was playing for some reason. I was playing Nave with Thoughtscour, Life from the Loam, and other stuff. And I was facing Dredge, and I won by Thoughtscour in his last card. Woo! That's I went fun. BTL for Thoughtscour. Yeah. Um, Thoughtscour can also beat up on Oopsal spells. Yeah. Uh, we don't know how deck how how um, successful that deck is going to be right now um, without Simeon Spirit Guides to accelerate it, but I'm sure there will be people trying it as without Simeon Spirit Guide, I have literally run into <laughs> someone who I'm pretty sure they were playing um, Neoform. What? Well, or Neo brand. well, I saw a Neo brand with four mocks. They were playing four mocks Amber as their way to fix. And a Pentad Prism. They went like. They played a one drop legendary, which I don't remember which was it, which one it was. Then four mocks. The four mocks Ambers, and I tried to combo that way. But now it's a combo that fails to removal spells. Yeah, no, it's definitely um, it's definitely different than it was. That's for sure. Um, 
but yeah, the, the, the moxes, they definitely can go with moxes and do a gristle brand, draw their whole deck and then use moxes plus, um, Penta prism to get the mana they need for the uh, morphosis fastest Oracle or, or, um, the, um, lab man. Exactly. Yeah. So it's possible. Anyway, point is, uh, yeah. Esper control, definitely good against a, a wide meta like right now. Uh, although I think blue white has been more successful consistently, but if you are interested in playing Esper now is probably the best time, especially when there's a ton of burn decks around, you can take advantage of the fact that you're playing main deck Kaya's guiles, um, and things like that. Hmm. Yeah. Next up, we have a totally oh, crazy when, deck. When, this is when like you said, black devotion. When you said anything can have five O, this is the yeah. proof that anything, anything can five O. Are you telling me that Phyrexian Obliterator is not a modern staple? No, I'm telling you that Phyrexian Arena is an unplayable card. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even notice it. Phyrexian Arena is oh, like one awesome. step above, and it's playing Eradicator Valkyrie on the sideboard. Well, Eradicator Valkyrie I've seen in um, Limited already, and that it's thing looks a, really impressive in Limited. It's a 4-3. It dies to Bolt. If it was a 4-4, four, four, sure, we could sure. having a conversation. But Well, yeah, I, I don't think this is for the red matchups necessarily, although it does have lifelink, so it's hard for me to say exactly where they want to have that <laughs> yeah. card. But uh, it does have hexproof, hexproof from Planeswalkers, but if you have a 4-3... Um, you can attack the planeswalker and kill it. I guess it's you, really they cannot death bounce it either Teferi three or Teferi five. Yeah, or Jace actually. None of those cards can remove this. Yeah, so exactly. Maybe it's for the blue matchups. I don't know. Maybe. Um, anyway, this is an uh, if you want to play something incredibly um, fair and try to win with it, this is an incredible choice. Uh, <laughs> They've got Gifted Aetherborn, the two mana, two, three, death touch lifelink. They've, again, they've got Phyrexian Obliterator, black, black, uh, black, black for so a five, bad. five trample. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is sweet it's if you want to just, like, play some ground panders and some discard spells. It plays four push, three path, four inquisition, three thoughtsies. It's like full on disruption and try to win with an obliterator that somehow sticks. Love it. Two gray merchants of Asphodel? Like, that's crazy. I do love Kalitas. Yeah, well, Kalitas is great. They're only playing the one, but Kalitas is great. Uh, definitely would... I think this deck would definitely eat burn for lunch. Oh. I mean, there's just no way. They're even playing main deck collective for, brutality. Four gifted Aetherborn, two collective brutality. I'm just a bit surprised they're mm -hmm. not running main deck Skya Skyle, which really seems to fit with the deck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And their sideboard is crazy. It's almost all one-ofs, right? Like, look at <laughs> why, this. why are they running this enchant? Why do they do this to me? Extinction event. Oh, extinction event is bad. Well, no, wait, wait, it, wait. It's bad, but the thing is, if you look at their deck, uh, all of almost all of their creatures are even. Yeah, cost. I was going to say, extinction and event kills... A lot kills... of aggressive creatures are all. Yeah, extinction event kills all prowess dorks and shadows and entity. Yeah, exactly. So there, there's some value to yeah. that. Yeah. Maybe it makes sense. Uh, next up, we've got um, what's listed as Orzhov Stoneblade. Um, the only black card in it is Sideboard Plague Engineer. Yeah. This is really Eldrazi and This taxes. is Eldrazi and Taxes, and that's it. Oh, it's it's yeah. not running Scholar. Uh, that's surprising. No, yeah, you're right. Uh, but they are playing the, the classic Eldrazi Displacer plus Thought Not Seer or Flicker Wisp combos. Yeah. Um, if you've never run into these, they are very, very good um sets of cards if they can get them all into play at the same time they, they do oh, form a very powerful i love that i used to love taxes the f my first real modern deck was taxes and eldrassian taxes so i just love the archetype but i just felt you just feel so underpowered 
in every single game. Well, that's the thing is the, these are very um, underpowered decks on average. I mean, if you look at the card Leon and Arbiter, it's um, <laughs> this is an incredibly underpowered card that is at the same time incredibly obnoxious and overpowered and causes just crazy amounts of non-games. Yeah. Um, if I if I could if I can say that. Um, Lean and Arbiter. I'm not saying it's not a fair card. It, I mean, it is. But it's just it is it's so by, obnoxious when you play it against someone on turn two, and they only have one land, and their hand is two more fetches, and they're like, "Oh, I guess I'm not playing." Oh, I guess I lose because I don't have one mana removal. Well, Spider Space was crying for the loss of 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 Monkey because he loved going turn one Lean and Arbiter, mm, mm, mm. and that's just. But you know what? Turn 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 two on the play is good enough, right? Like in 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 half your matches. Yeah, but turn one on the play was just non-game material. Well, sure. I mean, it's yeah, it's totally different. I'm just saying, like you know, that that's that is really really obnoxious. Oh like, yeah. Lean and arbiters <laughs> already obnoxious. It already leans into a type of variance that I don't love. Oh, exactly. Um, it's part of the game. I get it. You know, but um, it's a type of variance. That also, I'm not a big the fan. problem with Taxes is its reliance on two card combos without any way of fetching, like Leonie plus Ghost Quarter, Vial plus Flicker <laughs> Wisp. You need like two card, three card interactions every single time. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, it has two card combos and no way to find them. Exactly, that's a good way to say it. Um, and and its mid range strategy is um mediocre at best yeah and you're you're giving a, a compliment by saying that right right yeah i mean stoneforge mystic is a great card but playing stoneforge mystic with leon and arbiter is all of a sudden a little bit more awkward yeah the best card in the deck as in a lot of white decks is the skyglade operation yeah and they're only playing two in this version what they're very light on Sky oh Blades. that's that's a scene that's just yeah insanity. I, I don't know if that's uh the best version of the deck i've ever seen before but no no criticism to player kk dash um well played well done and um i think as with before lots of different varieties of taxes will be viable and if we scroll down to the next deck blue white taxes certainly is um this version again is playing oh. almost entirely white cards but this one does have main decked spell quellers um and one glass pool mimic. and the four correct um, apparitions yes so four skyclave apparitions definitely uh, are happy to see that they don't get to play things like um the eldra the eldrazi displacer to combo with stuff but honestly i don't think that that's the right direction for taxes to go most of the time yeah i think the kind of games that you win with um displacer and thought not seer you could win with these other cards but have more game against the field at if i didn't decide this is my... fun spice uh, Ifara, god of the polis. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know this, uh, this is one of the original Theros gods. Uh, two white, blue. It's a 6-5. You need seven devotion. Uh, it is indestructible as usual. And even when it's just an enchantment, it says at the beginning of each upkeep, if you had another creature enter the battlefield on your control last turn, draw a card. Um, so yeah, it seems like a reasonable enchantment to play in this kind of deck. It, basically, you draw an extra card every turn. Yeah, it's just combos with Vial in an amazing way. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, at the beginning of each of, upkeep. Uh, each that's crazy. Upkeep. Yeah, so that's a good part. Normally, normally you draw the, the card on your opponent's turn if you played a creature on your turn. But if you Vial in a creature on your opponent's turn, you will also draw the extra card on your turn. So you could draw an extra two cards per turn cycle. Aha, aha. I've never actually played with that before. That's, uh, wow, that's neat. That, that, that's the only good reason on, good on them. the card is almost decent. Almost. Anyway, um, most of the same taxes cards with a little blue splash. I think if I was going to play taxes right now, I'd always want to play the mono white version, or I could definitely see this version having um, some advantages. The one thing is Spellqueller doesn't deal with Titan so good, 
Um, but no. I guess they're hoping that the arbiters and uh, their their uh, um, field it's good enough like that will will do the job. Yeah. Uh, well, you hope so, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this one's actually not playing any field of ruins. Just ghost quarters. Yeah, playing field of ruin becomes a bit. Oh, I was surprised by the fact they're running zero islands. Yeah, yeah, but I guess they're not playing field of ruins, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, but if the fact that you can just attack their mana is ironical. Yeah, right, right, right. Like, <laughs> the, the, the mana attacking deck has vulnerable they only, mana. They only play it. four planes, so if you, like, place a Blood Moon, they will barely be able to remove it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on, next up we've got Lord of Puntlantis playing a uh, good old Yogmoth combo. What a fun deck. They got some crazy, crazy fun ofs in here. Cavalier of Night from M20. Playcrafter. Um, Playcrafter, yeah. So uh, another tutor package deck that is uh, able to leverage a, a combo kill and a reasonable mid-range plan. Exactly. F 15 full one-ofs in the sideboard. No, no, no. It has two Veil of Summer. That's consistency. Oh, it has two That's Veil of Summer. That's consistency. My bad, my bad, my bad. Yeah, no, no, yeah, the yeah. one of Leyline is uh, just... <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I feel like this person was doing some kind of bet, you know? Uh, why, running one Leyline is just having fun. That's crazy. That's crazy, yeah. You just, just lean into the variance. And sometimes that's a fun thing to do, you know? Next up, someone went in with the crazy classic Soul Herder. Um, this is at least four colors. They got red in there for Magus of the Moon and Avalanche Riders. So this is the uh, Soul Rider version of Soul Herder. That's a nice name. Um, so using Avalanche... Yeah, yeah, Soul Rider with uh, Avalanche Riders and Ephemerate. Avalanche Riders and Soul Herder. You can really wreck your opponent's mana in a hurry. Yeah. Um, also, is Spencer is the card. Spencer is the card that's extremely annoying to deal with. Oh, it's running four vials. That's new. Is it? Um, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, I think because the last time we saw this deck, they had um, Arc of Astrolabe. Yeah, they had a way to fix their mana and cantrip. You're right. Yeah, which they don't have anymore. So, Aether Vial helps you fix the colors, uh, as well as providing double tempo. Yeah. Which is, this deck. If you've never played against one of these Bant Ephemerate-style decks, or you don't remember, they can generate so much card draw with Ephemerate and a Coiling Oracle or an Ice Fan Codal or a Wall of Blossoms or a Watcher for Tomorrow. Or they like it's Sometimes it's crazy that you notice that, like, wait a minute, they played a Birds and a Noble Hierarch <laughs> and three cards, and they still have seven cards in hand and five Eternal lands. Witness. Like, what happened? It, this is the best Eternal Witness deck there has ever been. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, this one is not playing combo. Uh, yeah. a time warp or anything like that to combo. This is just playing a good, honest mid-range strategy that's going to um, pummel your mana with avalanche riders and uh, kill you with some flying creatures and a, maybe a big soul herder. Um, so um, uh, once upon a time, the uh, modern Maverick Aspiring Spike um, re posited that the worst card in most soul herder decks was soul herder and cut it. And uh, has led to the Bant Ephemerate deck, which I believe is somewhere in this deck dump. But it's nice to see someone coming in with an 80-card uh, Soul Rider deck and being able to put up the five. Ironically, this is only playing two Soul cards, so it's kind of true. No, no, I agree with you, but it is a very powerful effect. Oh, yeah. Just because it's not the most uh, efficient version of it doesn't mean it's not good. It just means that you want it in specific situations. The problem with it is the 1-1 one, one body that just gets pinged, lava darted. Something wrong is prone to happen to it. 
Right. Well, and uh, as as with uh, when we get to uh, talking about Enigmatic tonight, um, there are certain cards where it's great to have as a one of, but you know, you oftentimes you don't want. Oh, it exactly. Um, Soul Herder. Soul Herder, I think, is one of those cards where you only want it when you're ready for it. Hmm. Um, and just either so, so far you, ahead or in a non-disruptive matchup. Exactly. Uh, or or you need to pull ahead and you're just happy for it to buy you one card and then get removed. Because that's one of the things the Soul Herder can do nicely for you, is if they're tapped out, you're like, well, even if they have removal, I can play it, flicker something, draw a card, and then, yeah, they can remove it, but, like, I drew a card. Exactly. It's fine. It was a two for one. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on, we got more oh, Bant Stone Blade. Blade. Yeah. Yeah, this is, so this is uh, the new the new newest version of Vance Stoneblade. People are calling it Squirrel Blade. I think that's a bit crazy. Um, I've played against it a couple times already um, in leagues, and I am not impressed with Toski. What, what's your feeling? Toski's amazing, and you're a sinner. <laughs> <laughs> I am not. <laughs> well, listen. I saw a Naya version of this deck that was playing Toski alongside Stoneforge Mystic and um, Season Pyromancer. Now there, I was impressed with Toski. Um, but this one, this deck is not able to put that many creatures into play, and I, I'm just not Look, sold. Look, you might be right. That's what I'm saying. But I'm no, I am not able physically or morally to insult a legendary squirrel in any deck, or any deck that runs That's a fair. legendary squirrel. Right. Well, I think we can officially say that Wizards of the Coast has printed a playable legendary squirrel because they have people have five would with it, and that's that's what it means to be playable, in my exactly. opinion. Exactly. If you if you can five would, that's it, what I need. Clearly, that means it's playable. L that's like, all I need. To know. Like Phoenix and Arena. There you go, Phyrexian <laughs> Arena, infinitely playable. It's been in a lot of five O's, Let's be honest. L yeah, like. One over time, like one over every time. six months, and slowly getting, s <laughs> it's slowly getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, one every six months, then one every seven months, then one every eight months. It's just slowly less and less. But every now and then, every it now appears. And then. So yeah, Squ Squirrel Blade definitely an interesting version of uh, Bant Snowblade, um, and uh, has all the tools it needs to be a very good tempo deck. This was playing four main deck on thin ice, so. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly what they were packing for, but I will say um, over this week, if you do a close inspection, a lot of deck lists, a lot of people are aiming more against uh, aggro mid range than they are against control. And we may see that change soon enough. Yeah. Next up, good old Mardu Death Shadow. Oh, that's like that died a long while ago. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you would think, um, but here they are. Um, they like using the Ranger Captain of Eos uh, Hex Parasite combo to um, make their death shadows as big as possible in one turn and go for sudden uh, sudden lethal attacks. So Ranger Captain of Eos is a card I've been very impressed with every time I've played with it. Yeah, it's a really fun and, card. Uh, yeah, and being able to search out extra copies of Death Shadow or Hex Parasite is really good. I don't know why this deck is playing one copy of Dreadhorde Arcanist. Can you... Is there any... Unearth. Is it, Unearth. Like, clearly, Unearth is a great card, but that's it. Sure. I mean, Dreadhorde Arcanist is good in this deck. I just think it's one of those things where it's like, wow, they're they have no way to fetch this. They're just hoping that they draw it in the matches when they want bit, it, and they don't draw up in the matches and they the way they I'm don't. a bit more shocked by the first Stoneforge one sword of Fist and Famine one Battle School sideboard. Oh yeah, that's crazy. Stoneforge package on the that. sideboard. So this, this this deck, yeah, this deck has a transformational sideboard with Stoneforge Mystic. So I guess they probably take out all their Death Shadows in certain matches and become like a Mardu Pyro. Yeah. Yeah, which is cool. I mean, I like I mean, that. They even, have a young, very... they even have a young Pyromancer. They're just remembering the good old days. Yeah, they, they do have a young Pyromancer. I'm not entirely sure what all that's about. But 
I mean, if anything else, this is interesting and fun, and the the person five owed with it, and we get to see it. So exactly. Mario Gomez 097, good for you. Oh, it's uh, Mario. I mean, that's that's sweet. Yeah, that's sweet. Um, happy to see that one there. Um, next up, Matthias F34, Etron Master, back on the Etron. I mean, this deck was dead for a little while. Well, they could and, not be uh, that. I'm sure a lot of people. There was then if this in the misses group we had the meme of Elder Citron could not beat a six six and then they play Turo and we have two places of six six they cannot beat. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So yeah, was, once they printed Uro, it was like, oh, we have Niv-Mizzet and Uro. Yeah, it's just, Excellent. bye. Now, now they can't beat us. Yeah. Um, but no, Etron, you know, it's it's hard to uh, kill this deck, and the people who like it like it a lot. Uh, this version is playing main deck, two Warping Whale, two Dismember, and one All One dust. Gemstone Cavern. These are the cards. Yeah. Yeah, one Gemstone Caverns. Um and uh, only one Maze Mind hey, Tome. Well, I, I, I really like Maze Mind Tome in these what decks. What did you talk about the same thing? Why just one? I just love the card in the deck. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, they don't have one in their tutor package for Karn either. So they're they're clearly they're just thinking that that's not as relevant as it was. I will say Chalice of the Void is going to do most of the work that they need yeah. it to do against Burn. Um, but the other matchup where you really need Chalice to resolve is Shadow. And a lot of the time they'll be able to thought seize it. And Maze Mind Tome oftentimes gives you the buffer in a whole bunch of different ways to help you there. But this version is playing two main deck dismember, two warping whale, and one all is dust. So those are some of the flex slots that Etron has, and um, they've chosen to spend them this way. Um, sometimes you see warping whale, sometimes you see um, distortion, spatial contortion, um, and so. Uh, They've made these choices here, and I'm sure the Eldrazi experts could explain to me the <laughs> yeah, exactly. of these things. But I think just overall, uh, Etron players should be happy to know that the deck is back and it's doing just fine. I'm sure, and uh, I can't, I can't see it leaving again anytime soon. Hmm. Uh, this meta game seems perfect for so... Etron to be able to eat up a lot of these decks. Exactly. Next up, we have a no, n- yeah. new. I'm a bit. Uh, Insane I'm looking version at of M. Hayashi why the f- Red? There's no one drop. What is going on in here? They have no one drop creatures. Wow. They have. They really want to beat the Drusted Shatter Tron. Skull Smashing. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but. Four, but check this four out. This Goblin Crutcher really, really Maker. Is I want to beat Etron. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, I guess they were worried about Etron. But um, check this out. You look at this list and it says 12 lands, <laughs> yeah. which you're thinking... I, I was thinking, that's insane. And it's a fake 20. And then you look and you go, oh, okay, they have four Shatter Skull Smashings. Oh, and they have four Spike Field Hazard. So for those who are not aware, Spike Field Hazard is one of the um, Zendikar double-faced cards. On the front side, it's a one red instant that does one damage to any target. And if a permanent uh, dealt damage that way, would die this turn, exile it. Um, and then uh, on the other side, it's a tap land. Um, so they have four tap lands out of their 20 lands. Shatter Skull Smashing is also a, a maybe tap land. You could bolt yourself to have it come in untapped. And yeah, so it's like a fake 20. You're right. Um, and then they've got four Blood Moons. And once you have the Blood Moon down, your, your Shatter Skull Smashings and your Spike Field Hazards come into play untapped. Um, so that helps you out, actually, having the Blood Moon. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And four Blood Moons is, of course, amazing. I'm a bit surprised M. Hayashi is not playing any Cycle Lands that he tends to love on his... Blood Moon decks, the Forgotten mm-hmm. Cave, 
But he probably was just face prepared for an, a really aggro meta, and that this is what mm -hmm. he decided for. Yeah. And, and as with the previous list, for Heartfire Emulator, um, but also for Abbot of Carol Keep, but no copies of Soulscar Mage, no copies of Monastery Sphere. That's, that's I mean, insane. That's insane. I mean, M. Hayashi's known for playing four um, Soulscar Mage without any Swift Spear, but not playing the four <laughs> Soulscar Mage to me, I mean, I've never seen That's just another level. level. This is the slowest, yeah, this is the slowest, grindiest mono red deck um, I've seen in modern in a long time. And kudos for him to him for making it work. Oh yeah, um, I mean that's amazing. Um, so if you're looking for a very interesting way to play mono red in the format, check that one out. Oh. Uh, next up, we've got good old Luris Burn. No, this is not Luris Burn. This is Prowess, which, which oh my this is myth no, realized. No, but it's playing myth realized. This is Boros. This is Boros crap. Boros Myth Realized Insanity, and they have four mana morphs. I love it. Wow. I love it. That's love it. amazing. I love it. Four muted, or sorry, three mutagenic growths. I four mana probable. That's and and one of the things to mention with this deck is that so Myth Realized is a one mana enchantment for one white. Uh, it says whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you put a lore counter on it, and then you have one white until end of turn. Myth Realized becomes a monk avatar creature. Uh, with power and toughness equal to the number of lore counters. There's also another ability where you can add lore counters, but I don't think this deck uses that ability very often. Not at all. Mana. So basically, this is kind of like a sprite dragon. <laughs> um, you have to activate it every turn that you want to attack with it, but it also dodges all wraths and a lot of removal. Um, this is crazy. I mean, this is the kind of nonsense that I'm here to look at. This is the kind of nonsense we live for. Yeah, absolutely. And and the Luris uh, Companion, for Swift Spear, for Soulscar. Crash Day. through. I mean, if you... <laughs> yeah. M. Hayashi had the super tight, weird mono-red deck. This is a crazy... It's not mono-red, but like a crazy, crazy yeah. aggro deck. Um, it, this is this is as interesting to me and innovative as uh, Cave Dan's... Um, I can't believe it's not Hammer Time <laughs> deck with the sideboard. Exactly. Um, it's the same kind of, kind of like insanity. This, it's just neat. Like someone came up with a really crazy idea and said, "You know what? I think we can do this." And you know that what? Is. They did. They managed. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, modern people's format, man. Cool <laughs> capsule. And then yeah. we have Monies Titan staple playing Titan. Who would have sold? Yep. Yeah. Well, just like F Paulus, as soon as the bans went into effect. Uh, the Etron players came back, or not the Etron players. Well, the Etron players did come back, <laughs> but so did the Amulet Titan players. And Amulet Titan, uh, every time I've run into it recently, it's been the same kind of terrible massacre that it used to be. Um, these decks are incredibly explosive. They can grind very well. Um, this version is playing four Karn, which I love to see. Yeah, gives them a lot of flexibility. Yeah, they're back to the. Kill you with a Titan in one hit plan makes them a bit more reliant on amulet, but also a bit more explosive. So it's a they lost the capability of stupid grindiness without an amulet, but now they just have the turn three kills with an amulet, just go dumb. Yeah, I mean the the biggest hit to the Titan decks as a group is they're no longer able to diversify into other colors to have um, either safety or interaction yeah. the way they were able to do with the green white Titan or the green blue Titan decks, but Amulet Titan is so explosive. Um, it's just crazy how easy it is for you to die out of nowhere. Um, so like the other day when you were streaming, just top the amulet and 
kill you. Yep. Yep. I knew every everything that they had. They couldn't do anything. They top deck Amlin just killed me out of nowhere. I was like, they were short. yep, that's how it goes. The the two card combo deck <laughs> um, with eight copies of Titan. So uh, expect it. Um, do the best you can to prepare for it. And when you die to it, don't worry. We're all dying to it. You know, um, but 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 if you are interested in beating beating the Titan deck, you have to play something that has a very 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 good proactive game plan. Things like Storm can beat this deck. Things like um, I don't know, Burn can in fact beat this deck. Uh, you can just get under it sometimes. So um, super proactive decks do well. Uh, reactive decks not so often. Yeah, but it is possible. I I've played blue decks. Um, you know, when you get the four Aethergust sideboard, you can pull it off sometimes. Who doesn't? Aethergust is a card that really blew up the meta. It's an... it, 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 it definitely changed things for the better, I would say. You know, it, it just gave a lot of decks the fight in matchups where they where they didn't have it. I mean, it gave blue a way to interact with uncounterable spells that they really did need. Oh, exactly. Getting rid of a Titan through a cavern just feels the best. Uh, next up, Gift Storm. Morrison, 84. Uh, good old Gift Storm. Yeah. I don't think there's much to say about no, this. No, 3-0 um, division, as we said. Amazing land in between codes. Nothing else besides that. Yep. Yep, well done them. Um, I was not combing the deck dumps over the last couple of weeks uh, as thoroughly as we're hmm. doing today, um, but I think Storm has never fully left the meta. No, it always kind of exists. Oh, and then we have real hammer time. Yep, actual factual hammer time. And this is <laughs> I cannot believe uh, this is hammer white. time. Uh, this is splashing black for sideboard cards, but uh, yeah, this this it's stop hammer time. Uh, Colossus hammer has been. You know, transformative to uh, the uh, card Stoneforge Mystic. Stoneforge Mystic used <laughs> to be known as basically only a fair mid-range card, and now it's part of this super aggressive deck that can kill you on turn two. This um, is the, I, I remember uh, this starting as a meme deck, and how has it evolved? Is amazing. Well, it, bef like when the Colossus Hammer first came out, it was definitely a meme, but um, during the the original Luris era, that's when I remember it becoming actually a bit of yeah. a deck. I'm not a hundred percent sure what cards made. There that was happen, not any specific, but I. I think it's the same that happened with the shadow. Someone just snapped and realized what the potential was. There was not like a new mm -hmm. card or a spoiler or anything. So someone just clicked. Yeah, I, I think um the the, in the 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 innovation originally was to play four of Sigarda's aid and four of um, Galvanic Theft, which is a red... Yeah, it was a Boros. It was a Boros deck. Yeah, it was um, at that time. And, it and was four outfit... called it Boros, Boros Infect, right? Yeah, and four um, Outfitters, the two mana two two. Yeah, yeah, they would play the core Outfitter. Um, the most recent versions, and this has been about probably two months now or so, um, have been a lot, mostly mono white, or in this case, white splashing black. Um, and they found the card Pure Steel Paladin, which um, allows you to equip equipment for free. Um, I know the Dive Down did a deep dive, a full episode all about the Hammer Time deck recently. So if people want a full rundown of that, check out the Dive Down. They did an episode on Hammer Time, and they go in depth on all the card choices. But I think this deck is here to stay. I can't see it ever going anywhere. Um, and it, it, is, it is vulnerable, but it's just like Infect. It's incredibly powerful in a proactive way. Yeah. And next up, another proactive deck that, once again, was a meme for oh. a long time. And a few small cards came out. And all of a sudden, eight crab mill. De oh, you mean Demir Burn, right? Yeah, Demir Burn. That's right. That's right. Boros Infected Demir exactly. Burn. Exactly. 
And we have. I was expecting this deck to pop up just because of Crypt Incursion. Crypt Incursion being such an amazing card when facing prowess sort of decks. Mm -hmm. Do they always main deck two copies? Like no, this, they used to play one and two yeah. side, but it seems this meta allows it to do so. And in a, for a good reason. And and uh, you look at the sideboard, they're playing four Profane Memento. Yeah. Um, this is a one mana artifact that says whenever a creature card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, you gain one life. Um I'm sure that is very, very useful against Oops All spells as well as Dredge, but it's also just generally good in a format full of yeah. land. It's a fun, it's a bad card, but clearly that's it's showing this deck. Mm -hmm. Well, it does what it's supposed to do. I, right? I'm going, I'm going to die on the on this hill by by saying Mesmeric Orb is colorless. I don't know, of Great Rebels. Yeah, yeah, no, that's totally fair. Um, and and one of the things I would say about Mill to all the Mill doubters in the world, um, I mean, if you play a very aggressive deck, yeah, I, I can understand you thinking that either Mill is bad or it's nothing special. But anyone who plays mid range or control, Mill is actually a very scary matchup. The first couple times you'll play against it, you'll think like there's just no way they could beat me. And I, I, the first time it happened, I was playing your Ryan deck, and I was like, well, I'll be fine. Until you realize that your game plan was to win on turn 8, 9, 10. And Mill will kill you on turn 5. Yeah, exactly. And, and they will have milled 80 cards. You can gain life, but you cannot add cards to your deck. Mesmeric Orb is, of course, one of the, the most consistent long-term milling strategies they have. But the Crabs, 8 Crabs is so good. Oh, yeah. 8 Crabs is, is what makes the deck much better. All right, so moving on, we've got uh, a very interesting burn deck. It's a Swissphere, Soulscar Mage, Kiln Fiend, Bedlam Reveler. Four Bedlam Reveler. I love that card. <laughs> this is like old school prowess. This is like pre-entity prowess. Yeah, this is this is like the first generation prowess. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was, this is the first time that like a, a deck that wasn't burn was like the the burn deck and and for a little while it was more popular than burn kilfin is and, such an um, amazing car when it does not get removed yeah and even without the kiln fiend just when the people figured out wait a minute if we play swiss spear soul scar mage and then we go like lava dart lava spike lightning bolt you can kill people on turn three yeah like it's it's very very crazy very very powerful so this is a neat little history lesson because i remember playing against this in uh I want to say December 2019 or so. Um, yeah, pre quarantine so... times. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, pre Uro, oh. and then I remember when Uro came out in the first tournament I went to uh, playing that card in Mizzet. Oh, oh, Udo. I miss you. Good I miss us. Oh, oh, my sweet prince, I miss you. I know, I know. Well, my my poor Uros, I bought them, and then it was like, uh, was it like a month and a half later? Quarantine happened. It's uh, it's like they only got six months or six weeks of play in paper, and then they got locked up forever, just like the rest of us. But we'll be back. Uh, not so much with the euros. I miss you, Udo. Yeah. Next up, we have a Niv Mizzet deck that is playing Golos. Um, but it, this Why? is the uh, Niv Mizzet. This is the Niv Mizzet Sahili uh, deck. Oh. Um. So, uh, see, uh, Niv Mizzet decks playing eighty cards. Um, do have a lot of slots to play with, and sometimes people choose to play Felidar Guardian and uh, Sahili Rai in the deck. Uh, Niv Mizzet can, of course, draw you a Sahili, and um, then you can bring to light or naturally draw one of the four Felidar Guardians to come oh, with Sahili. 
forget four Faliari is a lot. Yeah. It is. A lot of the time I see these decks playing like three Sahilis and like one or two Felidar Guardians. Now, have you ever played one of these versions? Because I don't really think I have. I was, I, I'm not normally a fan I was of the first. Any... I think I was the first one to play this to a 5-0 with Saheli. Really? Okay. Yeah, I kind of liked it. But I was playing like two Saheli, one Felidar. I was playing one Saheli on the sideboard because we were running Leader in Wish and one Eladamri's Call on the side mm, on the main mm. deck. So yeah, Eladamri's Call is uh, is a card that I know Lawson Zandi. Uh, I know him as a, a Niv Mizzet player. He likes Eladamri's Call a lot. Yeah. I've never liked it much in Niv decks, but I'm also not a combo Niv we player. I've never enjoyed playing. Thing is, combo we started versions. playing Eladamri's Call when we were playing once upon a time with a lot of creatures. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So it made more sense because we had more creatures because we had four once upon a time because it was a nonsense card. Mm -hmm. And as with my previous attempt to play Niv-Mizzet, this person is playing Golos without Field of the why? Dead because, of course, Field has been banned. Um, well, I mean, the why, in my opinion, is just that Golos is a reasonable card. Uh, it's easy to play on five, yeah. even if your colors aren't great. Um what? But my problem with and with this list it, is not the Golos. It's, it's the four top lands. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely possible. Uh, you're you're only usually willing to go as high as what? Th if I'm playing three, no, I don't choose. Yeah, three and there are triumphs. I don't think I could ever be convinced. All, all triumphs. I don't yeah. think I could ever be convinced. Because this one is running. playing uh, Highland Forest to enable two copies of Ice Fang and Rainbow and, not... and Rainbow Falls. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm saying they're playing two oh, yeah. different uh, come into play tapped. Um, uh, Snowlands yeah. to enable two Ice Fang Codals. I mean, this person did 5 0, so I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm willing to listen to also, them about they it. Have Oath but of it Nisa. does seem very suspect to me. Oath of Nisa is fun with Felidar Guardian. Oh, I, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And again, I know uh, I know there are many, many people who are fans of uh, Cat Blinks Everything combos like Lawson. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it is definitely a good set of value cards um it's never been something that i have been particularly attracted oh, to but i i have seen more than enough people not running abandoned growth very well not running it. abandoned growth is e well they're playing the oath instead i believe is their strategy yeah yeah here. um which does it isn't a one-for-one -one replacement but i i think that that is the plan um now whether or not that plan is something you can actually do i don't helps know with the walkers does not help with casting decay and helix on curve Correct. Yeah. Um, although they, I guess they're just planning to play a bit of a slower game, and they're gonna hope that the combo gets them there. Uh, kill aspect is gonna get them there because they're not playing the growth spirals like the other version we saw. Exactly. Their only way to accelerate their mana is Utopia Sprawl, which is you know an eighty card deck for Utopia Sprawls um, is not quite enough in my opinion. No. Yeah. That's why. That's why the animatic runs Storks, which are really bad but necessary. Uh, anyway, another version of Niv-Mizzet with uh, oh. Sahili and Cat. Always happy to see more Niv-Mizzet decks. And uh, Sahili and Cat fit well into that deck and uh, give you the option to combo kill. So not surprised to see these guys around either. Grixis Death My Shadow. This is a Polito deck that I've Sissimo. heard a lot of people be really happy about. Um, and uh, If it has Royal Scions, it's a good deck. Royal Scions. I do love the Royal Scions. Who doesn't? Um, it's not really a modern power level card, but gosh darn it's it, so I love it so much. And it, you, you can you so can put it together close. with cards like Gurmag Angler, 
with cards like Snapcaster and Death Shadow to make it reasonable. One of Ch- one of Chandler is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I, they're playing two Snapcasters and one Chandler, where I think usually these decks play just three Snapcasters. Exactly. But yeah, Chandler is a not is not a bad card at all. Specifically, in a, no, no, it's a fantastic card. It does. It's a bit of a nombo with Gourmet Angler. But it's interesting regardless. Well, they're only playing the one, and I, I think they're using it mostly for the card selection, not as a 4 Yeah, exactly. It's more a value card than a, a, a beat on stick. I don't generally like playing these decks. Uh, I thought I would because I enjoyed Grixis Midrange so much, and I thought, oh, this is kind of like Grixis Midrange, except you're playing one of the best threats in the format ever, Death Shadow. Um, but the problem is, for me, these decks often get in a position where you need your Death Shadow to stick, um, and sometimes you just don't draw a Death Shadow because you don't have that many good threats in the deck. Um, and then when you do, sometimes you put yourself in a position where if it gets removed, you're really, really in trouble. Um, that said, the people who are great at playing these decks, they make it look easy and they make it look beautiful. Um, and it is, you know, it's quite, quite a good deck, quite a threatening deck always. Exactly. But it's a good all, good all that time deck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's good to, good to see it back. Good to see it doing. Manalik Sideward is interesting. Yeah, I don't think I see that too often. I'm sure they have a good reason for it. Um, there must be some kind of creature threats. Yeah. That they're worried about. Ex- exactly what they thought. They've got two Aether Gust for the. They've got two Aether Gust for the the Titan matchup, I assume, and then other uh, red cards. You know, sometimes, but uh, exactly. Manalik, I'm not sure. But, you know, it, it's all purpose. It's That's the nice thing about Mana League. Yeah. So yeah. in the slower matchups, I'm sure Mana League could do good work. Uh, then we have yet another version of yeah. Blue-White uh, mid-range. This, is, uh, this looks like Shark Blade. Like, this has two Shark Typhoons. Uh, it's later on Planeswalkers. No Teferi Time Raveler is a little crazy. No, it has Teferi Time Raveler. No Hero of Dominaria. Sorry, the other way around. No no Hero of Dominaria. It's You're running right. Seagate yeah, Restoration. Oh, look Look at the lands. There's some really spicy there. Blink Moth Nexus. Wow. Insanity. I mean, you can go turn four, equip the Nexus with a sword. and then Yeah, you could do. And then untap itself. Yeah, Nexus is quite good with Sword of Feast and Famine. That's, that's yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it's not insane, but it's not bad it's at spicy. all. Yeah, yeah, that's quite an interesting choice I've never seen anyone do before. I mean, I, I certainly see the value yeah. of it. I do. One interesting melody makes sense with all the agro meta. Also gets rid of shadows. Yep, yep, uh, yep. And they've got sort of light shadow yeah, in exactly. the sideboard. Surprise, no yeah. sort of ice, of fire and ice, which tends to be my favorite yeah, sword. Yeah, I think just for the matchups that they need it for, they don't need that yeah. card. The, the, it doesn't help this deck do what it's trying to do. Um so that that's not too surprising at yeah. all. But uh, yeah, another this this is a version of blue white that is super vulnerable to blood moon. Oh yeah. But you can see in their main deck they have four copies of force negation and they have aether gusts and uh, celestial purge. Yeah, only four. So they're, they're definitely ready for it and disenchant. <laughs> disenchant is always spicy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, yep, well done them and uh, yet another version of blue white that is uh, promising and slightly different. Then we have an old born stable. Yeah, yeah, Modern Staple. Uh, this is Teamer Scapeshift. So, yeah, I mentioned before, this is not playing Bring to Light because they're only playing three colors, but this is the good old controlling Scapeshift build uh, where they just, you know, they ramp at a reasonable pace. They interact with you every turn. Uh, this It often play, it feels a lot like playing against Storm. 
Is that fair? It feels a lot like playing against yeah, Storm. Yeah, sort of, but with a lot more interaction. You think so? Yeah, just look at... They have four remand. Yeah, I guess Arcanist so. They, they do have more lightning bolts. No, they have yeah, but four cryptic yeah. and four remand. Means you're not going yeah, to... That's, yeah, that, that is more. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. But it, it, in the same way that you, you're you kind of like... When it gets to turn three or four, oftentimes they they haven't done any ramping. And you're like, uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll play my spell and they'll be like, mana leak or remand. You're like, okay. And then they just untap and scape shit. Yeah, that's the worst part of <laughs> And but it's definitely solid deck. I the the co last couple times I've played it, it's always been very successful. Um, for me, it just feels a little bit too easy to be honest. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not um, I'm not criticizing the people who play it because once you play a deck a lot, you'll realize you know some of the matchups are harder, some of the matchups are easier, some of the hmm. like you do run into interesting play patterns. But it's just very straightforward. You know exactly what you're going to oh, do every yeah. game. You're just going to try to get into position, cast escape shift, and you win. You're somehow going to reach seven lands, either via ramping or interacting enough, and win. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's the plan, always. Um, yeah, and they do have a Shark Typhoon as the backup plan. <laughs> or uh, Ren and Six. Yeah. Uh, I do like the four Snapcasters and uh, one Brazen Borrower. Um, that does feel like a bit of a concession to a faster metagame where they need to interact more. So they can Lightning Bolt on one or two, and then Snapcaster lets them rebuy it on yeah, two, and, three or four. And four mana Snapcaster plus, plus Close Spider seems uh, like a fun interaction to ramp plus place a body on the board. Yeah, certain certainly not bad, right? You you grow Spiral on two, you Snap Grow Spiral on, f on yeah, three. Yeah, exactly. And surprised they're running only two Ren and mm, Six. Yeah, but uh, Ren and Six is bad in a lot of matchups. Oh, yeah. It's terrible against Burn. Yeah, yeah. Terrible. It's crazy how bad that card is against yeah. Burn. Every time I play turn two, and six against Burn, I'm like, please bolt it. Please, 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 please. Please. Waste a <laughs> bolt. Attack it. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Do any Waste any damage on my random six. Please. Even a lava dart will make me happy. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Anything. Anything. Just waste some resources trying to deal with my random <laughs> six because I just don't care. Exactly. Um, Next up, we've got uh, Respect the Cat with a deck that uh, I can't remember if you're the person who severely disrespects this deck, but I have never been impressed by these. This is 80-card uh, green-white taxes. Um, so from what I heard, green-white taxes popped up due to playing Archon of Emeria main deck and having some sort of chance against Valky, but yeah. I'm not a fan of Sharon Taxes. No, but this this deck has been around for three or four or five months. It's been around yeah. for longer than that. The thing is, um, th Sharon Taxes fails at drawing the best card of the deck, which is Erdor Bayal. <laughs> right. Well, so um, I, I've heard from legacy players that there is a real discussion between 80-card taxes and 60-card taxes, although most of it was centered around the, uh, the five-color Snoko matchup, which is no more because yeah. um, Oko has been banned in that format. Um, I, want, I do like wonder if there isn't something to be said about it in Modern. Because um, as we're going to get to, Urian is more than just playing 80 cards. It, it does have a lot of value in certain types of matchups for certain types of decks. And I do think this deck can leverage it very well. It's also playing Aether Vial, And Aether Vial is one of the sick things you can do with The problem with Urian in these sort of piles, it has the same problem in Soul Harder. Is when Urian is good, it's because you're already ahead. Like... You need to have a lot of creatures on board for it to be good, which means it, you're already ahead on board. Because all your permanents that you want to blink are creatures, instead of, except Butter School. Oh, and Oath of Nisa. Oath of Nisa is weird card in a 
Dynetic. But you can only have one at a time. That's the problem with Oath of Yeah. Because I, I don't need to. I don't need to tell you the number of times I've had three abundant growths in play and played a. Oh yeah, yeah. Oath of Nisa is a weird card in this sort of deck. Like it's one mana, do a bad C three get one. Mhm. Mm yeah. It's weird, but yeah. they fall yeah. over. And it can never. It can never get. You know. Uh, the the chance of getting removal with it when you need removal is you know almost yeah. done. You have to hit aberration or aberration. Mm -hmm. It's it's just it's slightly better than draw a card, but it it you only get to have one yeah. of it. So there's also the, f the the one thing I love about playing rain is the turn one here, turn two arbiter plus ghost quarter lines. Those yep. are just oh, devastating. Yeah, and I think I think noble hierarch is the number one reason to play a green yeah, white exactly. deck. Exactly. I think I think I think I would be very comfortable to say that's the best yeah. It's reason it's to play hierarch and witness as a second reason, but. Playing the dorks is like having some sort of acceleration. It's a hundred percent the reason. Because mm -hmm. you've played against taxes enough times, I'm sure. Where turn one eighth of vial is scary. Yeah. Turn one giver of runes is less scary. Turn one nothing. It's really is common. Like oh thank god. And it's common. Yeah, but but they but sometimes it happens because they only have the eight one drops. And I say only eight one drops in usually a sixty card deck, but it really if you play those decks enough, sometimes you just don't draw one. Yeah, exactly. You know. Um, or you go turn one giver, turn two nothing, and it's like conceding. Right, and this one is an 80-card deck, but they have... Um, so that that means the deck is 25% bigger, but they're playing 50% more one 33% drops. bigger. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry, 33%. That's, that's right, 33% bigger. Um, so Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was doing it the other way around. So, uh, But they're playing 50% more one-drops. So exactly. they, they do have a higher percentage of one-drops. Oh, yeah. Less control of which, over which ones are those going to be. We all know that Aether Vial is the best one, but you know what? Noble Hierarch can be better. Noble Hierarch is not that much worse. Well, no, and it can be better, right? Because it lets you get a exactly. two-drop on turn two. No, actually, if I'm playing Shorion, I, I don't dislike the... I, I want to say... I said that I dislike Shorion Taxes. I dislike the mono-white Shorion Taxes because they're not adding any new, new one-drops. This one, on the other hand, does make some sort of sense, and it has Eternal Witness as a great card with Shorion. But when they're playing mono white, they just add like yeah, yeah, archons and and um, one of the advantages of Urian uh, increasing the size of your deck is that you get to play more tutor targets when you're playing a tutor deck. Exactly. This deck is playing Sword of Fire and Ice, Batter Skull, and Mall of the Skyclaves. Fifty percent more equipment in a thirty-three percent bigger deck. Again. Exactly. So, uh, but it works in your favor this way is you're less likely to draw them in your opening hand, which you really don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Drawing Batter Skull is the worst. The best part about drawing Batter Skull, though, is that you fetch the other piece of equipment and your opponent thinks they're safe from Batter Skull. No, no, they never think that. They know you treated the Batter Skull. They knew your first draw step was a Batter Skull. <laughs> <laughs> There's no secrecy. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. Next one is another Bant Stoneblade. Again, not surprised to see another version of this. Um, it lacks, they, it lacks this squirrels. Again, yeah, no squirrels. 100% less squirrels than the last version, so probably not too worth too much talking exactly. about, but well done, Return to Dust. Um, it's interesting to note that Bant has that much flexibility, although part of the what we're seeing with these is some of these versions are running Ice Fang Kotal, and some of them are not. But I think most of the Bant ones are. This one's not running yeah. any Noble Hierarch, which I'm not a fan of. But I tend to prefer my the, the list with Hierarchs just for acceleration. Yeah. I just think you should... I would be happier playing blue-white if I wanted to not play Hierarch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, but that's me. And, my. Uh, this player has made their choice and done very well. 
Next tech is oh yeah, I love this next tech is super I, super spicy. I love so this so I, much. I just called this oops all combos. I, I um, love this. So this is a prime speaker Vanifar deck. It's got four prime speaker Vanifars. It's also a Kiki Chord deck. It's also a Sahili Felidar deck. <laughs> this is amazing. I, yes. I love this. It has everything. Yeah. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure what their combo kill with Prime Speaker. Vanifar oh, I can is. tell you that. Um, but right now, I, with with okay. Well, let me let me take a stab at it. So if you have a one drop, yeah, you pod the one drop into Corridor Monitor. Yeah. Corridor Monitor untaps your Vanifar. Yeah, you pod the Corridor Monitor into a Renegade Rallyer. The Renegade exactly. Rallyer rebuys your Corridor Monitor. You untap. Then you sack yeah. the Renegade Rallyer. You can get a four drop. The four drop you want to get is breaching, breaching hippocamp. Uh, breaching hippocamp. Yeah, breaching hippocamp untaps your Vanifar. You sack the hippocamp. You get Kiki Jiki. And you win because and then you monitor Kiki combos Jiki Kiki. to copy the 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 um, the monitor uh, corridor monitor. Yeah. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Okay, um, but they also have they do have you could go up to instead of getting Kiki, you can get Zealous Conscripts. Yeah. Zealous Constructs um, can gain control of target permanent until end of turn. You untap it, it gains haste, but you can target your own thing. So you could target um, Vanifar again. Yeah. Then you can turn the Zealous Constructs into a Woodland Bellower. Woodland Bellower is a 6-5. When it enters the, the, uh, the battlefield, you can search your library for a green, non-legendary creature guard with converted mana cost 3 or less. In this case, you'll get either, I guess, another Rallyer or... You get another Rallyer uh, and allows you to go again or, to it like a second shot. Yeah. So I guess the idea with that is that you would do that if you're in a situation where you can't combo kill them or something. I'm not sure. Exactly. It's really it's it allows for grinding lines, or it also allows you to have if you have not drawn any single of your. That that's the reason it plays two kikishikis because it allows you to go like double combo because you can go you go if you go you go you can ah you can go courier monitor. You can go the whole combo and then get Woodland Bellower and then repeat. But instead of getting hip Hippocamp because you only just have one, you go Fedial Guardian, blink, blink the Hippocamp and repeat. Ah, I see, I see. It allows like a Very double nice. combo on board if anything happens to your Kikishiki when you try to combo. Right, right, right. So you get to get the... you you Instead of comboing in a way where a single Lightning Bolt will stop you, um, they can still stop you with the Lightning Bolt if they want to, but you'll have like 15 power on exactly. the board. Now they have. To, now they also need a verdict. Right, exactly. Which if they have it, you're gonna be in trouble. But yeah. Uh, and then this deck also has Sahili and so three copies of Sahili and four, three copies of Felidar Guardian, um, which in theory you could pot into or or whatever. I mean, this deck seems insane to me. I don't understand how this was something that someone did. Um, but it is a creature toolbox deck, so they have some main deck ways. The mana Fun things, and this combo is probably pretty quick. I mean, I think you could do it on turn three, um, but you could reasonably expect a combo on turn four. I don't think you can combo turn three with this deck. You could play the Prime Speaker on turn turn. Oh no, yeah, only on turn. And let wait, wait, so wait, you wait, play wait. Prime Speaker no, on wait. three. You can mathematically combo on turn three. Yes, you can. If you go, let me raise a heavy ray for a second. Yes, you can mathematically mm -hmm. combo. It does turn give three. it haste. Yeah, you go. You go turn one dark into turn three triple dark. <laughs> into turn, into turn through to double dork, into turn three, have seven mana, play Vanifar, Sahili Rai to give it haste. 
like making a clone. No, no. And keeping can't the can't one you case? just play? Can't you just play turn one mana dork, turn two Sahili, turn three Vanifar, copy the Vanifar go? Well, if you're a smart person, you can. <laughs> I was just counting mana dorks to make everything in a single turn. Right, but I'm saying I think you can no, just no, do yeah, what yeah, I yeah, said. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Turn one no, mana dork, yeah, turn two Sahili, turn three Vanifar. I'm nothing because yeah. you said the smart thing and I was just going for the really convoluted. Yeah, no, no, no. I just, I'm just surprised because I couldn't see it at first, but I thought there's surely there's a turn three combo here. And yeah, there is. And it's also one that people really wouldn't be expecting, right? I mean, they would be expecting a failure guardian, not a prime speaker Vanifar. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Uh, but you know the funny thing about it is they can't beat it with a bolt. They can with a bolt. Because they can stop, but they can stop it with a lava dart or a gut shot, and that's really important. Uh, well, you get the corridor monitor. That's a oh no, they yeah they have to kill your your dork. Right, right, right. You, they kill the dork in response to the Sahili activation. See, that's why you go with triple. That's why you go with triple dork. No, but I mean yeah, yeah that's why you get a tri triple dork plan. Yeah, yeah. Once yeah. Start but 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 the point is, but the point is, if they have to use their burn spell to kill your dork exactly. in response you to the Sahili activation, you have a, you're okay. You have a two four. You still have a prime you have a two four that has to die. You have like a double you, you combo also have the coming. Still. It didn't die. You have a double combo incoming. Yeah. That's uh, that's pretty good. Okay, yeah. this this deck is uh, I gotta play this at some point. Yeah, we have to. I don't know if it's gonna be successful. It looks very difficult. We have to run this. It's fun. Yeah. Well, um, we are gonna do a co-stream at some point, so maybe we'll get that on the, the docket. All right. Next up, we got uh, Dredge. Um, no silver smote ghouls. Thank God. Um. <laughs> yeah. No more um, smiting helix. This is good old classic Dredge two. Conflagrates. I like to see that. Um, not as an opponent, but no. as a as a <laughs> no, person no, no. who thinks Conflagrate is a deck a card you definitely want to play two copies of at least in your dredge yeah. list. Don't play one. Um, you need to have the extra copy. Cyborg Ghost Quarter is spicy. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's definitely something that could happen. I, what do you think that's all about? Trying to disrupt Tron? Yeah, they're sick of losing shoot Yugin. Yugin is just game over. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably trying to avoid so if that. they rip through their deck on turn two or three, then they can loam to pick and it that's up. A and semi, that's a semi-lock because it slows them so much. Yeah. Well, and also, also they're going to have a good-sized board, right? So all they need to do is stop the opponent from getting O-Stone or Ugin, and they'll win. Yeah, exactly. Because they're not spending any mana creating creatures. They're doing enough pressure without playing any mana, so they could just spend every turn going life from the loam, ghost quarter, ghost quarter you. Yeah, and just hope to win with that eventually. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so not surprised to see Dredge back. The next deck, though, little surprised, Black, White, 8-Rack? Wait, what? Ned Is this 8-Rack? Nether Spirit. Yep. No, this is not 8-Rack. This is Pox. Oh, yes, you're right. This is Pox. It has a Maze Man. Black, White, Pox. It has a Maze Man Tome. Yeah, I like Maze Man Tome. It makes a lot of sense to me. Don't defend. Don't defend these people. If I open a ghost turn one, we work thought six. Turn two, reflections of trigger, small box, I'm conceding. <laughs> well, you you probably lost that game, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I just know I'm lost. I'm not going to keep playing. Yeah, but they, they have four Urborgs in this list, the classic, because they need to keep their mana that fixed. Exactly. And they, if they have an extra one in their hand, though, they can always sack the one in play to the smallpox and then play the next one. Yeah, or just discard to Lily to any effect. Discard it to Liliana. they got lots of ways to do it. And this is interesting. They're playing four Liliana the Veil. Vale, and they're playing uh, Liliana Waker of the Dead, which is the M21 Liliana, which everyone's kind of like, oh, it's like Liliana the Veil, but for, for mana. It's for mana Liliana the Veil. It's the same effects on everything. 
It's very similar. Yeah. 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 Anyway, interesting to see they're basically trying to play five Lily on the Veil. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Soren Solemn Visitor, Kaya Orzhov Usurper. So, I mean, for the people who are fans of this deck, uh, it's definitely great to see it being able to survive and uh, come back in this it's kind a, of meta. It's a fun and, deck. Uh, absolutely. And so is the next one soul sisters no um, no they actually don't have the soul sisters uh there's no um uh, uh what are what are the two cards Martyr, um soul sister is one and soul ascendant soul attendant is the other one right 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 and uh, this is playing the martyr of sands of course with uh, its best friend sarah ascendant um and then the newcomer from m21 speaker of the heavens oh and righteous valkyrie they've got squadron no no they have righteous valkyrie yeah righteous valkyrie is interesting so this is a three mana two four flying whenever an angel or cleric enters the battlefield under your control you gain life equal to that creature's toughness and as long as you have at least seven more life than your starting life total creatures you control get plus two plus two so i've played against a black white version of one of these decks that was playing um martyr of sands speaker of the heavens sarah ascendant um and uh, I was actually quite impressed by how quickly they could get uh, Speaker of the Heavens creating 4-4 four, four well, angels that, every turn. That's the power and of then, Party of Suns. Party of Suns is the best card in this sort of deck. Yeah, but even without it, there was a game where they managed to get their life total high enough. And this Righteous Valkyrie card, is it definitely seems really, really good. Yeah. And then it has, uh, as long as you have 7 or more life, uh, seven more life than your starting total creatures you control get plus two plus two. So this creature becomes a four six, right? Yeah, and if and, and then, it stacks insanely. Yeah, and then also, but if you just play another creature at that point, right? And if it's a angel or cleric, you're gonna gain like six life. Yeah, because it gets the bonus. So like, yeah, I can definitely see this deck. Sadly, I th uh, anytime I think it's the only anytime burn is going well. Sadly, I think it's the only ranger or cleric besides the one drops. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it's probably the only playable, uh, cleric, and then maybe one of the few playable angels that are <laughs> larger. Yeah. Most clerics are very, very small creatures. They're almost always 1-1s, one 1-2s, one yeah, maybe 1-3. Yeah, the angels are the big ones. Now I miss Resto Angel. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but they are playing Stoneforge. Uh, four pieces of equipment in this deck, which is a little high, but, um... It's, it's crazy. Yeah, but... Yeah, it's it's greedy. Uh, Twenty four lands. They're playing Emiria the Sky Ruin. I love to see this card in decks. Emiria is an amazing card. This is the that white never... white Valakut. It's an amazing card that never activates. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen it activate before. And like again, this is one of those decks that is surprising because like they beat the hell out of burn decks. Just burn and aggro. Just like have a very hard time winning here, just because this deck is going to gain so much life. But they actually can beat decks like Jund because of having things like Emiria because they can gain you know up to 40, 45 life. They can create a, a reasonable size board. And then even if Jun does start picking away at their threats from that point, they'll eventually get this Emiria going. And uh, if you don't deal with it in a hurry, it's gonna win. then you can be in trouble. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it's super powerful. Yeah, Emiria is one so of those it, cards. It, it, if it activates, it wins. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely going to get there. So um, I, I think you could definitely play some awesome magic playing. Oh, yeah. Next up, good old Bant Bogles. Band? Yeah, looks like it. Uh, nope, no, no. Nope. Uh, yeah, they're playing Staggering Insight. Oh, I was like, sometimes it says Band because Bogles is technically blue. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, no. And they're playing a uh, uh, Core Spirit Dancer, Glade Cover Scout, Bogle, and uh, but actually a blue card, Staggering Insight. <laughs> that's wow. That's not. At least it has Life Link. 
Yes, so lifelink is usually the thing that's more difficult for these to get decks to get. I mean, they do have Daybreak Coronet, but Daybreak Coronet is also uh, an awkward card to play, or Staggering Insight is a little bit smoother and cleaner. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean... Though that's, that said, the last time I played one of these decks, I was unimpressed with its inclusion. I, I think, generally speaking, the deck is better when it's just green-white. I just tend to prefer the stability it gives. Mm -hmm. It feels more consistent. If, mm, exactly. And it, it, the one thing you want your Bogles deck to be is consistent because you already have to mull to five sometimes. So you want to be so your remaining hand. Anything you can, yeah, anything you can do to mitigate the variance at that point is helpful. And you, you don't get to play a great um, mana base. You only have 18 lands. You want to have things like Horizon Canopy. So. Yeah, it has really few. It has like six or seven blue sources. No, it's, it's a little sketchy. But yeah, but, it uh, works. Quality 5-0 to Sipos. Uh, Sipios. Scipios? I don't know. Aha! This was the deck I was excited to talk about next up. So this is post Simeon Spirit Guide Ad Nauseam. So this is playing Ad Nauseam. This is playing Thassa's Oracle. It's playing uh, Phyrexian End Life and Angel's Grace. Um, as Same deck with main Exotsis. Yeah, exactly. They took out the Simeon Spirit Guides. They took out the Lightning Storms. Yeah. And they're just playing Thoughtseize. Uh, instead um, they've got the lotus blooms so um i honestly think that this deck is probably nowhere near as bad as lots of people say they they, they did say they were unimpressed by their results and one of the things that's awkward about the 5-0 dump is um, we don't know how many people 5-0'd with each of these decks so this exactly. could be literally the only person that 5-0'd with ad nauseum or one of thousands like right well well with burn I'm guessing the number of people who, who 5 would with variations of burn is very high. With this deck, maybe this was the only one. Exactly. But I, I do think there's hope for Ad Nauseam players. I really do. Um, and their sideboard plan does have the Lightning Storms, um, does have um, a lot of the stable cards. But the reason that I'm pointing out the Lightning Storm is the Lightning Storm was important before because it's an instant speed kill. Yeah. And I think the reason it's in their sideboard is for control matchups where you will have time. And you have enough and mana. you just have to find a window. Yeah, you just need like 8 or 9 mana, which is really feasible against control. Yeah, yeah right, right. But not against the RX. Exactly. Right, right, right. So you've got Lotus Bloom and Pentad Prism, and you can eventually put together uh, 8 mana. And then you could just top deck the kill if you have Phyrexian and Life in play. So um, I'm not saying this is definitely great. But I'm saying it certainly um, is feasible, and you have access to the quick kill lines with um, Spoils of the Vault, Thassa's Oracle, and Angel's Grace that I mentioned before. Uh, and this deck is playing three Pact of Negation, which can be very important in game one sometimes. Yeah. Um, because you can just force through your kill that way. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it's also playing four Serum Visions and two Sleight of Hand. Um, this is the number of cantrips I'm used to seeing at Ad Nauseum, and with the Thoughtseize along with it, I, I think. I think this is probably the better build. I think the inverter is a trap. You might be right. But yeah, I th I sadly think it's too slow nowadays. Yeah, it might be. It might be. But it also depends on what the meta solidifies into. Maybe being slower is okay. Ad Nauseam was already a kind of slow deck. Um, they never really killed you for tur oh, before yeah. turn like four. No, I'm, but they could kill um, you turn two. That's a thing. They could feasibly do so. Sure. I don't think that was any of the appeal of the deck ever. No, but... And, and they, you, they still can kill you quite quickly. I mean, they could still turn three you with this list. Mm. Turn two, Pentad Prism, turn three, kill, for sure. Yeah, with... Five mana is more than enough. Yeah, yeah. 
So, I, I, I don't, I don't. I, again, I, I think we just need to see over time. Oh, of course, we cannot tell for sure ever, but yeah, we will see how that goes. It's, it's definitely, it, it is definitely weaker. But I'm just saying, I think it might be good enough. We'll see. Uh, next up, the Dredge Master Sodak on not Dredge. He's trying to make, yeah, trying to make <laughs> Belcher great again. Yeah, so um, Charbelcher, one of the decks that got hit by Simeon Spirit Guide leaving the format for sure. Um, but already putting up a 5-0 here um, with the inclusion of Ornithopter and Infernal Plunge. Um, for those who don't know Infernal Plunge, it's one mana, sack a creature, add red, red, red. I assume it's to make recross the path pile with enough mana. Mm-hmm. But I have no I idea I think so. Why. So... You, a lot of the time you'll recross the paths on turn three. Guess you can you can you can do it on two if you go ritual manamorphos. Yeah. I've seen them do that before. I, I think you should too if you have the opportunity in this deck to do that. Oh, yeah. I think you should, um, because then on turn three you have your two lands in play, so you use that to miracle the reforge the soul, and then the stack you make starts off with ornithopter plunge. So that's two cards that make three mana. And then each oh, that's, ritual that's adds the, one more mana I get it. for a card. That's the only way to get two, two mana on turn three. Like, post-casting Reforge, it's the only way to start casting Rituals with the lack of Monkey. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying, yeah. is that, that um, you, you have a land drop available. So, sorry, you start the pile with a land, the Ornithopter, and the Punch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those three those three cards gives you three mana. A ritual. And then you only need one more ritual. Feet, then the Iron Crag. And the Belcher. Then the Belcher. And that's it. And then you can also have one flex slot. Yeah, pack the negation generally. Then you put the pact in the stack. Exactly. Too. So they've got a good they've got a good seven stack that will guaranteed win the game plus have an interaction. They're also playing two talismans of impulse, which I don't think were common before. No, but you need some ramp with no monkeys. I think I think that's uh, that's that's uh, that's smart because then they can go turn two talisman, turn three hardcast belcher, turn four win, which is enough sometimes, hmm. which is crazy. Yeah, it's a turn three win. One card combo. Yeah, kind Sadly, of. Sadly, it does shoot the fairy, kind but of. that happens. So yeah, belcher. We'll see if it's here to stay. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it sticks around uh, in some form. I think it's. I think it can stick around, but it will stick like Neoform does, like barely appears, and it's mm -hmm. not a tier deck. Yeah, without the potential of turn two, it's very different. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, next up, Heliod Company. Um, this actually won one of the challenges in the hands of uh, Faithless Brewer Extraordinaire, Mr. Ray. Yeah, I expected this to be one of the best decks in the meta, and it has clearly been, because, well... Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't hit by any of the bands. Um, mostly, its bad matchups were hit by it, and uh, it's great against uh, burn and a lot of the aggressive and early or and mid range decks. So yeah, um, just good old Heliod Spike Feeder for infinite life, Walking Ballista for infinite damage if you need to, Ranger Captain to tie it all together and give you lots of game against control decks. Um, certainly, certainly a force. Oh yeah. And Apparition is the best removal in Magic and White, so... Apparition, one of the best removal spells you can play. And Utopia Sprawl Arbor Elf, uh, one of the best acceleration packages you can play. Exactly. Yeah, so, Heliod Company, still rocking good, rocking solid. Next up, we've got Mono Black Nether Spirit um, the, Small Yeah, box. now we have a real rack deck. Yeah. Oh, this is this is 8-rack, yeah. Four Shrieking Affliction, four copies of the if rack. If it runs the Lidium Skins on the sideboard, it's, it's rack. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep, 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 yep. 
Um, I don't think too much about to say about that one. Um, yeah. They've got the delirium skeins in the sideboard, but... Uh, Just a square one like. Yep. And then uh, next up, Classic Burn. Boros Charm, Lightning Helix. This is exactly what you expect to see. 20 lands, 12 creatures, 28, 28 bolts. It's, it's super clean. <laughs> and no main deck Skullcracks anymore. But None. five effects Zero. Five, five effects on the sideboard with two rolling vortex. Well, and you can expect that, right? Like that makes sense. That's this is this is a little bit more quote unquote normal. Exactly. Whereas in the previous metagame they were playing Skullcrack's Bane and then the Rolling Vortex side, which is like they needed to. That's just that was just the fact of the matter. Yeah. Yeah, you, you always need some Skullcrux. Mm-hmm. Uh next up a potential boogeyman of the new format. We'll see what the challenges look like. Black, red, shadow. Uh, you know, powerfully grindy, yet also able to kill you incredibly quickly. This is uh, Bomat Courier, Death Shadow, Swift Spear, Scourge of the Skyclaves. Some burn, removal, Knights. Knight's Whisper for card <laughs> Knight's advantage. Knight's Whisper is amazing. I love it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love seeing Knight's Whisper in con- constructed decks. Absolutely, absolutely. So... A force to be reckoned with. Uh, I don't think any significant changes to this deck. No. Not many new cards from Faldheim or anything. But uh, definitely ready to rock and rumble with the rest of the format. We've got uh, Mardu Stoneblade. So uh, this is not Mardu Shadow. This is the main deck version. Um, Dark Confianza. Mardu Pyromancer. <laughs> Dark Confianza, Batter School. The, oh, yeah, this one's playing Dark Confidant with Batter Skull. So this person likes to live dangerously. It's Twin Left Twin. Um, they're also playing Dark Confidant with... Four, uh, seven, nine, eleven, three drops, twelve, three drops. So twelve, three drops, and a five drop. So they like to live dangerously. But uh, Mardu Pyromancer still alive in some form or fashion. Not playing any main deck Blood Moons. I think their mana is not that generous, so they can't really do that. But they do get to play them in the in the sideboard um, if they choose. This one is, has four Blood Moons and one Alpine Moon. Yeah, Alpine Moon is. Oh, Reign of Gore to with Heliod. Yeah, yeah. So Reign of Gore was a uh, totally unknown card that became a sideboard staple for the last couple months. Great against Uro and incredible against the Heliod deck. Just totally locks out their ability to do their thing. Oh, yeah. I don't. I have no idea how Heliod beats a Reign of Gore without topping a Skyclave. Yeah, they have to remove it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think... Oh, well, they can do the infinite... Uh, no, no, they, they can't. can't. They nope. like to hit. Nope, they can't do anything. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> no, Reign of Gore, great, great sideboard card, right? I was so close to running it in Eve. <laughs> well, you certainly still can. I'm not that insane. You certainly still can. Uh, well, I mean, if we can run Blood Moon effects in Niv, I'm sure uh, we can run uh, Reign of Gore. I mean, maybe. We do have Udo. Yeah, I mean, I said Udo. I miss Udo. We do have Omnath and Helix. No, no, I mean, if you're sideboarding, you would cut some Omnaths. Oh yeah. I'm looking at the next deck we have. Yeah, so this is the next and final deck of this deck, though. Best for last. Uh, this is, yeah, best for last, Soul Flayer. This is almost a direct port of the um, Pioneer deck, yeah. but with the addition of Birds of Paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're looking to flip the card Soul Flayer. This is four black black for a 4-4 four, four creature, and it has um, Delve. Um and basically, it gets all the keywords of the cards that you delve for it. So essentially, it's black, black for a 4-4. And a lot of the time, it will come into play with flying, haste, double strike. first strike, hexproof, double strike, death touch. You know, just basically every the, keyword. The fact you can get a 4-4 um, double strike, haste, indestructible hexproof is just... Mm. 
quality. Indestructible. Sometimes it has hexproof and indestructible. Yeah. Um, in this deck, oh, Glothis yeah. is indestructible. That's nice. Uh, and so is uh, Zetalpa. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, so Zetalpa is the, the main creature they usually try to exile because that gives you flying, double strike, vigilance, exactly. trample, indestructible. You want that and a hexproof um, stuff and you're done. Yeah, if you get if you get the Zetalpa and a hexproof, that's basically all you need. I say all you need, but like really, it, it's really not that hard for them to put together a pretty unbeatable creature. Exactly. Um, with the uh, with, with the um, soul flare, um, this is a deck that popped up in modern a few months back, and will come up. You know, every couple months, someone will manage to five zero with this because it's they're so feeling fun. sassy. Um, yeah, it's a very fun deck. It's it's fun. It's interesting, um, and uh, it's very all in. Oh yeah, um, it's a hundred percent. You can play almost the, the same. You could, yeah, you can play almost the same deck in Pioneer, uh, a little bit slower. But uh, if you are interested in that, you can see that. So 62 decks are, were in this deck dump. And, uh, and now that we're wrapping up this section, Mort, I have to ask you, what is your general feeling on the meta that we just talked about for several hours <laughs> um, going through piece by piece through all these deck lists? Uh, if, you, if you have an overall feeling. I think the meta will be mostly focused on aggressive decks and, and ways to stop them. For example, I think Iset Blades and Monorail Plus Ragdoll Shadow will be the, f the top three decks of the meta uh, that will be stopped by Heliod, which is exactly what we, I think we will face a lot of Heliod, a lot of Heliod matchups, and then the control decks that try to stop them. So if I, ha if I had to pick a top five decks for the following weeks, it would probably be like Iset Prowess, some sort of um, um, Asorius, Asorius Control, Ragdoll Shadow, Heliod, and five colors and the four color skype shift deck that will be my five decks for the following weeks mm -hmm. yeah teamer and five color scape shift i think they both have a lot of um a lot of good obviously they're quite different um exactly the, the, the five color deck is very greedy uh the teamer deck is very straightforward straight laced um but able to get the job done a lot the fact um, is blood moon is yeah. not good against the aggressive meta so you can be greedy with your mana base mm -hmm. Cer certainly but then you have decks uh rolling around like all of these mono red grind decks not the prowess decks but more the m hayashi style decks yeah they are packing four blood moons and they will punish you and like even the mardu Stoneblade deck uh gets shut down by blood moon really hard in game one if they don't see it coming yeah um so yeah certainly be careful about blood moon right now as um it's it's out and uh, people are incentivized to be greedy um i think i noticed the same thing as you generally one of the things i will say overall though is this is a generally lower power level on average yes um there's a lot more janky outlier decks than we ever usually see in a single deck dump and i think that's awesome i don't think we can expect that to continue forever but as long as you can can get in there and uh, get more wins with your sweet brew, your sweet jank, do it. Um, we got a brand new honeymoon period like we've never seen before. Um, when new well, sets come out, people like to play a lot of nonsense with new cards. But this is even more than that. Because even old cards that were unplayable before, you know, people are going, well, maybe it's finally time for this. And you know what? Maybe it is. <laughs> I was just looking at the... At the previous league, it had 15 less, less decks than this one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. So and, uh, even without new, just the fact that the cards got banned immediately got the, the number of decks increasing. And that's amazing. 
Yeah, I love it. Um, my other comment is just uh, in terms of diversity of control strategies, it's not as high as it was before in 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 my eyes. Um, losing all of the Euro piles, you know, I I hate to see it because um, I really did feel like they all had a sort of unique feeling to them. The the Euro Wilderness Reclamation decks versus the non Reclamation decks. The um, the four color piles versus, you know, some of the three color and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, they had the much more controlling stone blade decks or bant decks. Um, so right now, as I expected, basically the only playable hard control deck is blue white. Yeah. Um, there are, there are different versions of it you can play. I am expecting that a sky might be viable eventually with helix and path, but we will see. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see um, Jeskai Control pop up from time to time with uh, with uh, four bolt, two or three helix, um, and Snapcaster mages and things like exactly. that. Exactly. Um, but that is more of a tempo deck. Um, that's similar to the the Grixis Control decks we saw here. Um, but I will say, if you're a mid range player, man, the world is your oyster. Hmm. You can play like anything right now. Exactly. You can play freaking Siege Rhino. <laughs> you just slap Siege Rhino. Yeah, man. Well, no, it's just the kind of card I love. I don't even love Siege Rhino that much, but I love what Siege Rhino represents. You know? Um, that kind of fair mid-range play. I mean, we all love playing mid-range first strategies with Shank cards. That's, like, our goal. And uh, when uh, when you guys... We're going to take a little, little break on the recording, and then uh, Mord and I are going to come back in just a minute with uh, our big deep dive on enigmatic incarnation so stick around with us and see some jank four color and enchantments so we are back with the main feature quote unquote of this uh, very special supplemental episode of serum visions this is our Gitaxian probe of Mordekaiser and the Enigmatic Incarnation deck. Although, it should be said, Mord, there is a player who um, really deserves a lot of credit for the popularity and innovation of this deck. Uh, and who would that be? Um, Davius Minimus? Uh, yeah, Davis Minimus. Davis Minimus came to the Nib Discord with the original concept. Mm -hmm. And he's a very frequent 5-0-er uh, with this deck list. Yeah, I, he doesn't stream or produce any content of it, though, does he? He does stream, but uh, not on a regular schedule. Just like when he's feeling like it, he has uh, his own Twitch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, good to know that people can find him if they're so interested to ask him their questions, because I'm sure he has some incredible insight. Um, and he was actually able to, he said, over a course of a reasonable number of games, something like 30 plus, not matches. Was it? It wasn't 30 leagues, was it? it sustain an 80% win no, rate. No, it was deck, like so. a 80% win rate on like six or seven leagues. Okay, but that's still quite impressive, even in a in a small time. Exactly. Um, and I, I had a similar experience on on Monday when all the burn decks were out. Hmm. Um, so you were a Niv Mizzet pilot. I've been a Niv Mizzet pilot. It's not surprising that we're gravitated towards this um, four or five color uh, mid range soup pile. Um, so let's talk about this enigmatic incarnation deck. Um, so. 
Enigmatic Incarnation was printed in Theros Beyond Death, um, a incredibly powerful set with many, many cards that completely broke multiple formats in half, such as Underworld Breach. <laughs> and um, Enigmatic Incarnation is also an enchantment, but it's a little bit more fair at four mana. So it's two green, blue. It's an enchantment, and it says at the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice another enchantment. If you do, search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to one, plus the sacrificed enchantment's converted mana cost, and put that card onto the battlefield. Then shuffle your library. So basically, this is asking us to do a very strange thing. We need enchantments in our deck, and we need creatures that cost one more than those enchantments. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll call these like rungs. So you've got your, your enchantments on the, the one CMC rung, and then you've got the creatures on the two CMC rung. And then you've got enchantments on the two CMC rung and creatures on the three CMC rung. Um, there are some interesting rules and uh, interesting rules interactions to look at with this card, mostly in the fact that um, once this trigger goes on the stack, your opponent has to respond to it or you will get that creature into play immediately. They can't respond to the creature entering the battlefield. So certain static effects like Magus of the Moon, Phyrexian Revoker, Meddling Mage, etc., um, these will be in play before your opponent is given a chance to respond to it. Additionally, you do not have to sacrifice an enchantment when this is resolving. You can just choose not to. Um, and uh, the fact that you get to use this on the very first turn that you have it and that it puts that creature directly into play means this is a sort of mana doubling effect that is also a tutor. Um, I think these are the main reasons why this is a powerful effect. It is worth doing, and the, you know the deck has been created at this point, but I, I think it's worth stating the, the reasons why this is worth doing. And if you are considering other decks, look at the engine that that deck is using and compare it um, for for effect. Um, so, Mord, how do you how do you feel about this deck in general? Well, I feel the deck is a solid contender. Sadly, it has a terrible matchup with one of the top tier decks, which is of course Iset Prowess. But it's a solid contender against most other decks of the meta. You feel really comfortable against most combos. You really are able to beat aggro and hold yourself against and have a good matchup even against midrange strategies while holding on against control. So as long as you're, if, and if you're resolving an enigmatic, you're winning that game. Enigmatic is an amazing card and an extremely fun one at it as well. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, and to its credit, um, I would love to say that this deck is incredibly competitive, but there just aren't that many people out there playing it. Um, I'll be totally blunt and say that I went into yesterday's challenge and, and managed an O3. Um, but one of that was to time out. I was streaming the, the uh, challenge at the time and not to mince words, but I made a, mis a whole bunch of mistakes cause I was late on time. Um, it is a very punishing deck in a lot of matchups. It's very easy to let games slip away from you. And that's what I did in round two. And then I ran into one of the more difficult matchups that's become more popular, which is green Tron. So if you are going to be scared away by, by us saying things like, um, blue red prowess is a tough matchup. Tron's a tough matchup. And Titan is, I am not seems like it might be I, tough. I am not on the Tron is a bad matchup train. No? Okay, I just got, I've just gotten steamrolled the last two uh, times I've played this I have card. I have a pretty favorable record against Tron. I'm not going to defend the prowess matchup. That is an indefendable matchup that I'm... <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because the last two times I've played against prowess, I've beaten them 2-0. So um, it may be that I've been less than lucky against Tron and overly yeah. lucky yeah. against Blue Ring. I'm, I'm going to say um, exactly that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend mm -hmm. you on that one. Mm -hmm. but... So... Um, these decks are usually played as 80-card uh, decks. And just to get uh, one one thing out of the way, 
Um, Urian asks, uh, asks Dex to do one of two things, in my opinion. You can do both, and if you can do both, both that's great. Um, so Urian asks you to either have a lot of mana, which basically means it's a sort of free card that's a 4-5 flyer, um, and that's pretty good. Or you do what this deck does, and you say, okay, three mana to get it is expensive, and five mana to play it is expensive in modern. However, we have a ton of enter the battlefield triggers that this gets to re-trigger. And unlike most other decks, um, most of our, uh, or a lot of our enter the battlefield triggers that we get to reset are enchantments, which means they're not easy to remove. Um, they won't get wrathed. So you almost always have some incidental value sitting around. Um, additionally, because enigmatic incarnation is a tutoring effect, it means that we get to, um, have more room for silver bullets and less likelihood of drawing the ones we don't need in the matchups where we don't need them. Um, I know you had some thoughts about this as well, Mord. Yeah, I, the argument within 60 and 80 has, has been appeared since the beginning of the deck. The first version we played was on 60 cards, I remember, and you really struggled with space. Like, you need to start making cuts. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things that people don't um, often think about is they think about the, the hit to consistency, but they don't think about, like, you, you really, like, right now we're actually having a tough time fitting in um, some of the things that we do or don't want in game one versus game two, three. Um, and there's just not a lot of flex slots with the, um, the core of the deck being as solid and honestly quite powerful on its own. Um, yeah, exactly. And there's a fact that when you have an enigmatic on board, you can simply lose or win a game by the fact if you're running a specific one off or not. Like, we both lose, lost a game today because we don't have an 8-0 on the main deck and just lose to Storm. And the same applies to a lot of matchups. And just having one specific card is a difference between winning and losing. You want to try to hedge your bets towards having the specific card you, you're going to need, the specific bullet. Mm-hmm. So um, let's talk about some of the core enchantments we're playing because I think the playable enchantments really dictate what we're able to do with the with the creature slot. Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. That's a hundred percent. For some reason, there's not a single playable three man enchantment besides Oath of Kaya. Yeah, and Oath of Kaya is a little sketchy, yeah. right? I mean, and it's border, um, and it's a border it, it, Lightning Helix is a powerful effect. Three mana uh, helix. At the moment, we're only. Is yeah, exactly. But three minute sorcery speed helix. Exactly. Right? So th that's, yeah, that's if not, the not reason we're not running four drops is exactly that one. The reason we are not mm -hmm. running five drops is four mana enchantments tend to be slow if they're not enigmatic, unless you're running ley lines. So if someone finds a way to run ley lines with specific five drops, that could be interesting. But that's the only way to run five drops in a tempo matters ways. No, and um, you were saying in the beginning you actually uh, started this off as a brew with Niv Mizzet. Yeah. Um, because you could sacrifice uh, one enigmatic to a different enigmatic to get the Niv Mizzet. And actually, there was a standard historic deck that was doing exactly that. Yeah, I um, heard about that. And that's the, and that's the thing that Pioneer version is doing. They did the exact same thing that you did. They ended up cutting the Niv Mizzet because it, it just wasn't necessary. Like, because when you have two enigmatics, you would rather every single time get two three-drop creatures every single turn for the next for a reminder of the game instead of one five-drop one time. And if you're one enigmatic dies, mm -hmm. you might lose. Yeah. And, and one of the things you could do when you have two enigmatics in play, which we haven't mentioned yet, but if you do get two enigmatics into play, um, you have two triggers that say sacrifice an enchantment and go get something from your deck. Now, you can only do this as long as you have enchantments, right? But... What if the creature that you're buying out of your deck 
gets an enchantment back out of your graveyard for you or is itself an enchantment. So these are two different ways we can take advantage of the scenario where we end up with two enigmatics. Um, there's also other reasons to want to do that, which I'm sure. Yeah, we'll it's really common, for um, example, against aggro decks. You have like one omen of the force in play after your only enchantment, and first trigger you get Lurus, cast back the omen of the force. Second trigger get back Rallyer, get back omen of the force, and you end up in the exact same scenario. The omen of the force still in play, having done four damage to any target and two creatures on board. One that is a Lurus and must be removed. So you start really scaling up on value. So first up, we've got the budget, um, or sorry, the uh, the the little 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 kid brother of Arkham's Astrolabe. It's Abundant Growth. Now, Abundant Growth is a lot worse on average than Arkham's Astrolabe. But for our deck, it does things that Astrolabe can't do at all. So this is a one green enchant land. It enchants any kind of land. It gives the land the ability to tap for any color, and it draws you a card when it enters the battlefield. It's very straightforward. Um, but we are playing. Uh, I call it four and a half colors in this deck. Um, we're playing uh, white, white, blue, green, core. We're playing core uh, bant, splashing red, and then we have some black cards in the deck. Yeah, and a single mana source for them. <laughs> yeah, we have one, one uh, overgrown tomb in the in the uh, mana base, but abundant growths. Four copies of abundant growth allow us to fix that. Exactly. So this combos combos with Urian. Uh, it allows us to sacrifice this card. It's just going to sit and play, fix your mana as, as much as you need it to, um, and then when you get the Enigmatic in play, you can sacrifice this to get a two-drop. We also have Utopia Sprawl. We have four copies of Utopia Sprawl. Now, I don't think it's crazy to say Utopia Sprawl is one of the quiet, um, most powerful cards in modern. Do you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. It has slowly became the be the better birds of Paradise for some reason, since Lavadar and Brennan 6 entered the format. Well, that's it's not some reason, right? It, yeah, yeah. You can't you can't as easily be messed with. I started it. to realize um, what I was saying you, as I was talking. <laughs> oh no, it's it's fine. But um, uh, now one of the the downsides of it is if decks like Ponza are super popular, you do have to be very careful. Um, at the moment, it's not, but uh, just keep aware that uh, if they have land destruction effects, they can really screw you up. Um, by by killing your land with Utopia Sprawl on it, so there there is a vulnerability there. Um. But uh, it, it, it is able to accelerate you. Um, this deck is not playing Arbor Elf. And uh, really quickly, I'm sure you you could explain better than me, perhaps, why playing Arbor Elf in this deck would not be a good idea. A lot of our games rely on us dropping a fast mouse of the moon, like any combo strategy that flops to mouse or any greedy control mana base. And the problem with Arbor Elf is that it requires you to have shocklands in order to fix your mana. And you're always trying to get as many basics out into the play as fast as possible, either for your Blood Moon or your, post or your opponent's one. So if we were just trying to ramp, I would play Arbor Elf, and we are trying to fix yeah, and that's a the lot of colors right? at you, the same you, time. If you play um, While trying Arbor to avoid shocking and Utopia Sprawl on two, you have four mana, but you only have two colors. Um, which could be good enough in this deck, but most of the time it's actually going to get you in trouble. Or you can have more than two colors by placing your... If you place your top on a Shockland, but that's just calling for trouble with a Field of Ruin, with a Ghost Quarter, with a anything. And even with your life wrong. total, because, you know, the more you shock yourself... Exactly. Or your or your own Magus. Go, imagine that having a Forest without a on white means that through a Magus you already have three mm -hmm. colors. You are already playing Naya. But if you have a Temple Garden with a with a Utopia name in blue, 
through a mouse of the moon, you should have red. Yeah, exactly. You just choose so, full colors. It's very important to manage your, your mana very carefully in these decks. So um, anyone who's been a long-time Niv-Mizzet player is going to have an easy time. Anyone else coming from outside, expect to uh, do some learning. Um, <laughs> to suffer the first weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you're definitely going to um, maybe jam in the practice lobby or, or uh, find a friend that you can play on webcam with uh, and, and be ready to fail a few times. But I guarantee you it's worth it and it will improve your uh, mana for or your mana thinking for as many decks as you ever play. Hey, Nick. Um, and then finally in the one drop enchantment slots, we have a couple of copies of Seal of Fire. I really like this card. Um, just in general in modern right now, there's a lot of mana dorks, there's a lot of small utility creatures, and sometimes you can even pick off or threaten planeswalkers with it. Um, it's also, you can, again, sack to go up exactly. the chain with uh, Seal of Fire if you have to. The power of Seal of Fire in this deck over any other, like, Lightning Bolt, like, saying Lightning Bolt is its, in right, its versatility. Right. Being able to get it back with Rallyer or Lurus, getting, being able to just sacrifice it to Enigmatic, just make it so versatile enough for the one damage right. is and not the most relevant. When it can when it can kill a heavy a, a really large percentage percentage of the same and, card. And the other thing I love about it is that you just get to put it into play and it sits there and it's always gonna do its job. Um, so you can you can always just play it on, <laughs> exactly. on a turn and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. It's just set it and forget it. And when you need it, it's ready to go. Yesterday I faced against an Arayo deck and I just went throw mm -hmm. one seal of fire and I knew that Arayo will never nope, flip. Definitely not. <laughs> Like, exactly. It will just stay there yeah, doing they nothing. They do as much as work as they want, but you know how to win um, through through that. Exactly. Uh, next up, we've got two draft commons from Theros. Um, so this... this Six, Bob. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, six copies in total, but I just mean the two different cards. There's Omen, Omen of the Seas and Omen of the Forge. So Sea Ordain, or Omen of the Seas, uh, is one, one in a blue. It's an uh, enchantment with Flash. Uh, and when it enters the battlefield, you preordain, which is scry two, and then draw one. Um, so scry two, draw one is an excellent cantrip. Um, but more than that, it also has the ability for two and a blue to sacrifice it to scry for two. Uh, Omen of the Forge has the same ability for two and a red. Now, that ability is something you're not going to use as often. But uh, Omen of the Seas as a cantrip is excellent in this deck. And you can reset it with Orion, and you can sack it to Enigmatic. Um, Omen of the Forge is the same card, except it's one and a red. And it's Flash. And instead of the uh, Preordain effect, you have a Shock. Um I have been consistently amazed, Mord, at how playable these two cards are. Omen of the Seas, I always found a, play mm -hmm. a playable card. Like, when I saw it spoiled, I was like, this is almost um, a solid mm -hmm. control playable. This is a great card. The fact that you can go, like, five mana, scry four, draw on your opponent's sense sometimes when you look, like, for a really specific bullet. But Omen of the Force, I thought, was just... Chaff. Yeah, yeah, a shock for two mana, right? Instant speed, booze. <laughs> it's exciting. But when you start to doing stuff with it, just having that extra piece of interaction right now is super important. I have blown out hammer time decks. I've blown out spirits. Uh, I've managed to claw my way through the matchup against humans, and then being able to flicker it with Urian. I mean, I I really cannot overstate to um people and we haven't talked about the, the importance of the formula yeah the, but but like, we haven't gotten to the full list yet but these two cards give you an amount of reach you just would not believe sometimes you can just clo close yeah, out exactly. a game by hitting your opponent for six over over a couple turns straight to the face and uh yeah and sometimes that's all she needs and then i think this is probably just your favorite card in the whole 80 we're, go we're going to talk about spreading six yeah, yeah. there's something so beautiful 
As a taxes, I, I, I started playing taxes, so I got really good at reading mana bases. And I started playing Nib, so I got really good at mana bases, and I played this deck. So, when you can just destroy a mana base with a well-placed Spring Seas, you're just... Like, placing it against Tron or Rusty Tron, we all know how good it feels, right? Just stopping Tron with a two-man enchantment that can't trips. It's like Lensing Wildfire. But when you do so against, like, Shan, and you stop its turn 3 Liliana of the Veil, and its whole tempo is disrupted, you're just... Chef's yeah, kiss. It, it, it's, it's magnificent. It's shocking to me uh, how powerful this card is. And one of the things you, you have to learn as you go along is it's not always obvious to you what you prevented your opponent from doing. Um, but every now and then they'll give you the, the glimpse and they'll show you their hand at some point. Um, or you can use Brain Maggot, which we'll talk about later on. And you will see the real tilt. Wow, I just completely locked you out of doing things on turn three and four. Like, you had to bend your entire strategy around the fact that you now have one island. Also, it, two mana destroy Utopia Stroll, draw a card. Mm -hmm. uh, shuts down a Tron land, shuts or, down a yeah, Draz and Eldrazi Temple, Valakut. Um, combos, combos with Maus. Yeah, yeah. so it's, uh, yeah. Spreading Seas, I mean, we really, really can't say enough about how good this card is. Plus, it's a two mana enchantment that helps go up the chain with um enigmatic so they start lotus field yeah exactly so we'll, we'll get into that well and that's a very interesting interaction i just love that yeah one. we'll get in we'll get into it a little bit later but um just so everyone's aware the two mana enchantment slot is the premium slot these are the most competitive slots and as far as i've seen these are the best cards um in them um there are, are a few cards that are unproven and worthy of exploration and there are a few cards um, we're not currently playing one actually that I want to touch on right now um, before we, we get to these other ones is um, lithoform blight so um, I'd never even seen this card before um, and Mord the, the original version had four yeah um, so wh why don't you tell us what lithoform blight does uh, Mord so lithoform blight is one uh, one and a black for an aura which is Similar to spreading seas, but instead of an island, it transforms it into a city of brass that can type for color that can tap for colorless for free. So the the opponent's land gets the ability to tap for one life for any color or for colorless. So it was typically just a weird spreading seas, but you could use on your own mana base to get a city of of brass when necessary. When and when we were first getting into this deck, that was extremely relevant. Right, exactly. So um, th this is a card that people may not know. It was from the uh, the newest Zendikar set, uh, Zendikar Rising. So um, yeah. it, 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 again, sort of functions as... It's not as hosing um, for most decks as uh, Spreading Seas is, but it can fix your mana and uh, disrupt things like Tron Lands uh, or turn off a Valakut. So it, it's oh, exactly as the fifth through eighth spreading seas if you need that its original focus was a fixing engine that also attacked right. drone but then we realized the spreading seas was better so good in so yeah. many scenarios o yeah. overall better not better against tron but but exactly uh, specifically but not better in the specific right, scenarios right. but also more helpful on the mana and it is one of those cards that could come back from time to time i'm sure if either we need to be more um careful with our mana if there's like a huge number of blood moons or um we're just looking for exactly uh, more things because essentially in a lot of matchups this could be sort of um, a better than uh, cleansing wildfire i mean if your opponent cannot if your opponent cannot feasibly remove if your opponent cannot remove it easily like with an oblivion stone it's better than a cleansing wildfire because you can blink it uh -huh. 
it, it, it adds to our plan. Um, Path of the or Path to the World Tree. Um, this is a newer card. This is from Kaldheim. Uh, I did try playing it. I found it was thoroughly underpowered. How did you feel it was? Yeah, exactly. I got to activate a few times, but in those scenarios I was already ahead. And the two mana gets one basic land tends to be, to say the least, a bit meh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, this is a one in a green enchantment. Uh, does not have flash. When it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a basic land, put it in your hand, and then it has an activation for seven mana. It's two white, blue, black, red, green. Um, so basically that, that sits there to be like, well, if you get to the late game and you just happen to have infinite mana sitting around, you can you can you can get value if, out of this enchantment. It's clunking. If it had flash, I would play. Yeah, it. oh for sure. And there is a, an enchantment from uh, Theros that searches lands that does have flash, but it's three mana. So unfortunately, it doesn't uh, fit our exactly. criteria per, per, uh, particularly well. Um, Omen of the Dead was a card you were playing recently. Um, it's a single black mana. Yeah. It's part of the same Omen cycle we talked about earlier, and it rebuys a creature from your graveyard to your hand. Now you like that one more than I did, um, but how are you feeling on it now? I am trying one. The, the thing is, it allows for a stupid engine with Lurus or Rallyar. Like, you can go four mana. Do If you have Lurus on board, you can go three mana, suck Omen, play Omen. Mm -hmm. No, I, I yeah. And just I, get I, back I do, your I do understand the appeal, but it's just tricky for me to, to buy into playing a one-of enchantment like that. Um, but I, I see why you want it. Um, I, I just think we need some sort of recursion in the deck for a lot of scenarios. And to the to that effect, I think uh, Eternal Witness is generally going to be the, the better card, but we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. Um, and then last one, uh, I've never played with this in Modern, but uh, Trial of Ambition is a one in a black edict enchantment. Um, did you ever actually play with this in Modern? And, and do you think it would ever come back again? So we would need a significant mana base change because... I do consider Trial of Ambition to be a good card. Like, probably it's the next bet best enchantment to what we're playing. Like, if I had to add an enchantment in this meta, it would be Trial of Ambition. But we really struggle, as you saw, casting black mm -hmm. spells. Oh yeah, absolutely. We want black to be almost non-existent on game one, except the really bad scenarios where we top deck the brain mouth without an opponent yeah. roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we try to just. So we just try to avoid black, but Trial of Ambition is a good card. It's the only nice on-curve solution to NTD we could run on the main deck. And getting it back is a lot of value against any control deck. It's a, against any aggro deck. It's a way to kill Tarmogoy from turn 2. It does a lot. But it struggles with the mana. If I ever sit down for a while, reconfigure the mana, change the red to black, but losing Seal of Fire is yeah, so Yeah, I don't think I would want to lose Seal of Fire or um, or the um, Omen of the Forge right now. Uh, but Omen but the there Forge. could be a meta yeah, where it's better. Yeah, and you cannot lose any of the other colors because you need... Aberration is Aberration and blue yeah. is blue because you need it for the enigmatic. No, no, as, as I said, uh, this is this is primarily a Bant deck. Uh, it's blue-green for, for the enigmatic uh, incarnation. And then white just has some of the most powerful best effects um, in, in modern for what we're doing. Um, exactly. None of them are enchantments. And in fact, as you as you've seen, if you've been paying attention, dear listener, um, a lot of the enchantments we like are are useful red cards uh, and uh, blue cards and green cards. So blue for the cantripping, green for ramping and cantripping, and then red for um, some interaction. Um, 
at this point, before we continue into the creatures that we play more than uh, one of, basically creatures that we're playing multiple copies of in the deck, because a lot of creatures in this deck are silver bullets, I would like to make a mention that we are playing three Teferi Time Raveler, and we could even be playing four because we're a Bant deck and we need to. <laughs> because we are <laughs> people with brains and Teferi, yeah, Teferi. Teferi is, so is very, Teferi. Very, very, very good. Um, and I think you should definitely make sure you're playing it in this deck list. It gives you it gives you game against control in a way that's just insane, and you can play it on turn two because you have Utopia Sprawls. I mean, there's just no reason not to play this card. I know it doesn't really synergize with that much in the deck, although it actually does because you have so many ETB triggers that Teferi... Yeah, or Bouncing an Omen. Bouncing an Omen yeah. is amazing. Even, just even going two Omen and three Bounce fine, Omen. You know, and then um, a lot of our enter... Yeah. It becomes a yeah, divination. And then a lot of our enter the battlefield triggers are, are very, very good to rebuy. Like other ones, uh, Skyclave Apparition is good. If they kill your Skyclave Apparition and they get an illusion, you can bounce the illusion. And then there's just a ton of, you know, creatures, enchantments, and artifacts on your opponent's side of the board that you want to bounce. So, mm. Exactly. Um, so now we've got the, the creatures that we play more than one of in the main deck. Um, Mord is currently um, experimenting with a split of 1-1 one, one Birds and Gilded Goose. These are basically functioning as Utopia Sprawl 5 and 6. They don't actually combo in any way with anything your deck is doing, and you can't tutor for them. But you just want acceleration. one-man acceleration, that's right. One-man acceleration is so worthwhile. Now, Davius is even on three of them. He's on three birds, and he could even be right, but you just want six or seven mm -hmm. accelerations. No, I can could, could totally see that. I can totally see that. I'm, I'm usually not upset uh, in my version if I'm playing both birds. I'm usually not upset if I draw both birds. You know, it's, it's not a problem. You no, no, no. Um, now, I think you should really talk about Renegade Rallyer, because if anyone doesn't know this card... Um, oh, all right. All right. I'm going to get on Renegade Rallyer. Renegade Rallyer is a card I love since I started playing Modern. When I was playing Taxes, I went to Celestia Taxes just because I wanted to play Renegade Rallyer. So, when we t when we before we got Uro, I was running Renegade Rallyer in the Misset because it was a two mana ramp spell. And then I got the, de the deck for this deck, where Davis Manius was playing Renegade Rallyer as the best card in the deck. And that's what got me inside of this deck. The amount of interaction this deck has with Renegade Rallyer is out of this mm -hmm. world. You can say, just the simple play of going turn 1 Utopia, turn 2 Rallyer with a face and go to 4 mana, allowing which to untap on turn 3 with 5 mana, is already decent. You already played a 3-2 that ramped you. That's already a decent spell. But when you start going deeper, like for example the lines where you go turn 1 Seal of Fire, turn 2 do something, turn 3 Renegade Rallyer, the Seal of Fire to beat Agrodex, the interaction within Brain Maggot and Renegade Rallyer, like today I won a game because my opponent discarded a Brain Maggot and just getting it back was the best tempo advantage. Sorry, sorry if I didn't explain it, but Renegade Rallyer for anyone that plays meta decks in Modern <laughs> is a 3-mana th 3-2, three Celestia and 1, with Revolt that says if a permanent left the battlefield, return any permanent with the converted mana cost 2 or less from the graveyard to the game. And it includes a whole lot of stuff. In this deck, a lot of things go, you have a lot of fetchlands for this specific scenario. As you can see in the photo, we play 15 fetchlands, which is an insane amount that is something Shorian allows, and you can, and th this means you can get back most of anything in the deck. For example, the, the most common line: getting back a land, getting back an enchantment, getting back, for example, a charming prince and bringing Renegade Rider for extra value, or even like the dream scenario that happens a lot because of the tutoring: Renegade Rider getting Phantasmal Image, Hopping Rider getting any Omer or such into the game. Renegade Rider is the sort of 
first thing you always tutor for with with enigmatic because you go you have only one or two omens in board and you don't have any other in your hand you just go well omen of the force sack the omen get rallier get back omen and shock another thing or country with a preordain it allows you to just keep the number of enchantments the same get an additional trigger while adding a body to the board it's what allows you to grind so well and besides that you have lines where you just in late game the reason this deck has to can do so much with the mana is because the omens can suck themselves so when you're in the late game you can go three mana scry two with the omen of disease cast a rally and getting back and then you sh can just start casting a lot of spells per turn sort of kind of like if you're playing a really bad and expensive x deck on the late game yeah so renegade rallyer i mean it is kind of the the unsung star of this deck um, once you start playing it, you're just going to be blown away by all the things it does. Um, Mord obviously delved into quite a few of those wonderful interactions as we were going through, and I'm sure we'll uh, we'll repeat them as we hit the uh, cards it interacts with. But the most common one is when you first get an enigmatic incarnation into play. Uh, during your first end step, you sacrifice one of your two-mana enchantments, you get Renegade Rallier on, into, onto the battlefield, and you get that two-mana enchantment immediately back. If it's a Spreading Seas, you draw a card. Omen of the Seas, you draw a card with the Scry 2. Uh, Omen of the Forge, you get to shock something. I mean, it's just great. It, it's just... Relevant. <laughs> Relevant info with Spreading Seas, which makes me love Spreading Seas even more. Yeah, so this is the interaction you were talking about with Lotus Field. Yeah, exactly. If you return a any aura from the graveyard to play, like Abundant Growth or Spreading Seas, you don't have to target because it, you only target with an aura when you cast it, which means it enters the battlefield attached to any permanent that it is legally able to be attached. What does this mean? If your opponent lets the Renegade Rallier trigger resolve, the Spreading Seas can automatically go on a Hexproof land like Lotus Field and, and immediately make it useless, or go to a Fetch land, not giving your opponent less chance to fetch if they didn't do so before. So you just get a lot of free place with that that your opponent is like well i will fetch in response to the targeting and there's like there's no targeting it's already attached yep absolutely um so renegade rallier you know in that case you get to rebuy your enchantment immediately you can move a spreading seas if you want to and you get a three two uh body onto the battlefield which is great um so just cannot say enough about this and one of the things about this deck that's great is like the heliod deck um even if you don't get your full engine going this thing's a three mana three two Sometimes he just gets the job done. You just start beating down with him, and it's really impressive how fast people die in there. <laughs> exactly. How many times have you lost to Captain Ranger of Fios? Oh, yeah, down? exactly. Um, so uh, the next up is actually probably his best friend in a lot of situations. It's the Skyclave Apparition. So on three mana, this is probably the other card we fetch the most with Enigmatic Incarnation when that triggers. And, uh, you know, it's very, very infamous in modern right now, but it is one white-white for a 2-2 core spirit. does not fly, but when it enters the battlefield, you get to exile anything your opponent controls, non-land, with convert a mana cost four or less. I mean, I think this card is one of the main reasons this deck is able to be as successful it is, as it is in modern. Would you agree with that, Mord? 100%. This is the reason the deck was not built till a few months ago. Like, this deck would have never been built in Tedos because you have run to... You have to run three drops that made removal circumstantially, like nine of them, and the three minus three two from either revolt that does that's minus three minus three. Oh yeah, yeah. The black yeah, guy. Yeah. You have to run like really specific removal bullets instead of the best girl catch all removal ashok and a tarmogoyf with the same card. <laughs> it's the perfect. 
It's a perfect card for our toolbox deck. And it's so good in modern because, um, as you mentioned, things like Tarmogoyf, things like Death Shadow, these are huge creatures, but their mana cost is not. So if your if your opponent does exactly. kill the Skyclave afterwards, it's not the end of the world. They only got a one one or a two two, and you can even remove things as big as Jace. Now, obviously, in that case, they will get a four four, but you remove their Jace. I mean, that's a that's probably a big game. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, the last creature uh, you like to play two of this. Uh, I, I'm begrudgingly agreeing with you. I've played one. Uh, I, I think two is fine. You, you can play, play one. one, you play two. Lurus of the Dream one. Den is fantastic in this deck. Um, it functions similar to a Renegade Rallyer a lot of the time on the first turn, um, but then can be even better than that after that. So what do I mean? So um, at the end of the turn, you sacrifice your two-mana enchantment, you go get Lurus of the Dream Den out of your deck. Now, Lurus of the Dream Den's text says you can, spend, you, can, you can cast a card out of your graveyard with converted mana cost two or less on each of your turns. Uh, on each of your your turns um, and if it has flash you can still play it so if you have an omen of the forge or omen of the seas in your graveyard you can get that back during your end step um, so as long as you get the two mana you get your luris and you get a two mana enchantment back into play um, so you can sack a spreading seas to get the luris and then use the luris to spread to play an omen that was in your graveyard for any other reason um, then on the next turn you can use luris to start casting other things out of your graveyard and this is one of the things that really starts to crush uh, opposing mid-range decks very yeah. quickly. Really common is like getting back Lurus, getting back a Charming Place, blinking Lurus, and then getting an Omen on the Insta because it's mm -hmm. a new one, mm -hmm. for example. Yep. So, um, you can just start piling up yeah. on value. And there's some crazy, crazy interactions in this deck that you will learn as you go through. Um, so with all of these creatures out of the way, these are the creatures that we play multiple copies of. But the next up is the incredible list of toolbox creatures and one of <laughs> that appear uh, in this deck list. You ready for this board? Of course. Always. Absolutely. So, so the current sort of rock star of being a, a main deck silver bullet is core firewalker. I just want to start <laughs> off with this one because there's just so much burn in the format right now that being able to sack one of your one drop enchantments for core firewalker is very worthwhile. A lot of the time, Helps against burn. It helps against blue red prowess, but it, it will not win you the game on its own. You got to do more work. Yeah. So a card that we only play one of, but I think it's it maybe belongs in the previous spot is Glassball Mimic and Phantasmal Image. And why I'm talking about this mm. now? Oh no, that's okay. You can you can jump right onto anyone you want. Because no no, but what what I mean is those two cards maybe belong in the previous spot because they are similarly. But there's the fact that playing one core firewalker means we can get three core firewalkers in the same game. And not only that, yeah. we can get three Firewalkers on the sequential turn. Getting a, three, a turn of three core Firewalker into turn four, double Firewalker into turn, turn five, triple Firewalker, while we're not using our mana. We can use our mana for any spell while adding core Firewalkers to the board. That's the important part about running specific one-offs like core Firewalker and the others. It's not one. It can become three at extreme speeds, like slowly painting up one per turn. Yeah, no, yeah. So um, Phantasmal Image is one in a blue um, for an illusion creature, and it enters the battlefield as a copy of anything. But it has the rider. If it becomes targeted, it dies. You sacrifice. This is insane against red decks when you make a copy of Core Firewalker. And then Glasspool Mimic is two in a blue. Uh, it's a it's a clone. Uh, it can only clone your own creatures, but it doesn't have the uh, the illusion rider that um, Phantasmal Image has. It also has a uh, tap land on the flip side that taps for a blue. So occasionally you get to use it as a as a land. But you're you know what you're totally right. These cards do belong in this first category. Um, 
And so one of the amazing things you do get to do with this deck, as you said, is um, you get to play these cloning effects. So anything that is a one-of in your deck isn't really a one-of because you can copy it. Exactly. Yeah, they start piling up really fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Phantasmal Image and Glass Pool Mimic, definitely A+, and, and incredibly fun and interesting cards to um, play with in Spec this deck. I mean, specifically the one Image. of my favorite, I mean, one of my so favorite parts... Yeah, one of my favorite parts about this this deck is as soon as you get an enigmatic into play, um, every turn is like a puzzle because you know all of the tools you have and you have to figure out which one is the most advantageous to slot into this turn. Um, so we have three Scourge of the Skyclaves in the deck, but we have two other white-blue removal creatures here that are different from each other, but also, you know, very, very reasonable. Um uh, we've got Deputy of Detention and Reflector Mage. One copy of each, both three mana. So, Mord, what do you like about each of these? So, Reflector Mage is a way to remove a lot of the stuff that sadly qualify um, like a Skyclave apparition, or as you just said, Scourge of the Skyclaves. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. It is the Scourge. It's the Scourge of the Scourge of the Skyclaves. It's the Scourge of the Scourge of the Skyclaves, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, so it's Skyclave Apparition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, an, it's able to remove a lot of what it can't, like Gurmagangler or Matraskull Token or a lot of stuff, or even the Skyclave Apparition Token. So it's in, in this versatility to deal with a lot of stuff you cannot really Skyclave. Deputy of Detention fulfills the same role, but while Reflector Mace is amazing against a lot of... is mediocre against most stuff, Deputy ranges from really bad to amazing. Reflector is always a mediocre card, while Deputy goes from being really bad when you remove something and immediately gets bolted to stupidly good when you get a token, blink it, and get rid of something else. Mm -hmm. And I, I've done that repeatedly because we, we often are giving them creatures with uh, 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 token creatures with uh, our Skyclave apparatus exactly. dying, and then you have Deputy Detention to remove all the illusions. So, so the three four fours we gave them while we removed two chases and something else. Exactly. Um, but additionally, decks like Elves uh, becoming more popular. Deputy can remove all the Elf tokens, and then if we blink it, you can remove something else, so that's great. Yeah, De Deputy is is crazy. I mean, Deputy, I've even deputied someone's um, um, Tybalt Cosmic Imposter. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, <laughs> it just has no limit. It has no limit. It's crazy. Uh, Deputy is much lower floor and much higher ceiling than Reflector. Reflector is like a middle ground card every single time. Yeah, yeah, but Reflector Mage uh, on the flip side is crazy good against Stormwing Entity. Oh, it's our only good answer to Stormwing Entity in the main deck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then next we have the card that is probably more responsible for us winning games on the spot than anything else. The number of times <laughs> I've resolved a Enigmatic Incarnation trigger and had the game immediately end when Magus of the Moon comes into play is very high. That's because it works like a buy-in. The fact that your opponent can, has to float mana before they even see the Magus, assuming that Magus will come and telegraphing they have a removal for the Magus, makes it so like, if your opponent does not float mana, you just, oh look, a bear that wins the game. What a surprise. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And um, the way, again, the way Enigmatic works, they can't respond to it. It's exactly. just in play, and now they have nothing but mountains. Um, <laughs> obviously, the more popular Lightning Bolt is, um, the less good Magus is. However, 
Um, we we do. We, I've been toying around with playing one or multiple Fulminator mages, and I know you've enjoyed it sometimes. Um, generally speaking, I agree with your wisdom that Fulminator mage is almost always worse than Megas in the Moon, but there are situations where it's reasonable. Oh, exactly. I'm running one in the sideboard even. I'm not running the mm -hmm. same amount yeah, of yeah. but I think it's a great card, for example, on Curve, it tends to be better than Magus. A turn two Fulminator is devastating, to say the least. Yeah, and it, it makes it less um, difficult for you to manage your mana that early in the game. Exactly. This, this, this deck has no problem with playing through Magus on turn four, two or three. five, six. Yeah, yeah but on turn, turn two or three, it's very difficult to play through Magus. You you need a little more time to sack some fetch land. Yeah, unless you have like um, the nuts of like double abundant growth. Also, remember, sure, sure. remember we are right now playing around the bag, which is really annoying. Yes, um, so there, there is a bug currently on Magic Online, so you should know this if you're going to play this deck. Um, Magus of the Moon interact, uh, interacting with um, non-basic lands and abundant growth. So abundant growth is supposed to give your land an ability to tap for any color. And if it's a non-basic land, um, Magus will turn it into a mountain, and it is supposed to retain the ability to tap for any color. Is that correct? Exactly. It should be able to redesign it, but it, instead of working through layers as it should, it's working through timestamps as, as if it was a triad and Mago situation when it is not. Mm -hmm. um, now, I haven't gone and clarified with any judges, but you have done the work and they confirm this is in fact a bug. Not only that, I have like 11 empty shore investments because of this bug, so they ah, really excellent. admit it well, is a bug. There you go. Perfect. Um, so the proof is in the pudding, people. Um, now, one of the things that um, is, uh, again, a card I always think of cutting until I realize how many times it has saved my bacon and for such <laughs> low opportunity cost is our little boy Spellskite. So this is a two-mana colorless card. It's an 0-4, um, and it has the ability for a Phyrexian blue mana. So that's a blue mana or two life. You can change the target of any spell and make it target Spellskite. Spell or ability. Or ability. Sorry. Yeah, spell or ability, including things like Teferi, including things like anything. As long as it can target Spellskite, you can redirect it to Spellskite for two life. Um, so one of the crazy things is, let's say you want to get your Magus of the Moon and you think they have removal. You can set up a Spellskite first as long as you have a one-mana enchantment to sack. And Spellskite is just a reasonable card to be playing in modern right now. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. Also, it's amazing against Prowess. Like... Did, uh, I have won a lot of games against Burn where I just go turn one guide, I go turn two spell skite, they bolt the spell skite, block the guide, it has given me five life, and I go rally and get back spell skite, and I just tilt. And uh, yeah, I mean, it just, and, and uh, it's a complete blowout against Bogles, if uh, anyone's interested. <laughs> or infect. thing that can happen sometimes. It so, just uh, wins on its own against infect and Bogles. It's like, it's targeted to hate bear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Spellskite is the, the, the secret hate bear that is uh, incredibly powerful. Um, I mentioned the name earlier. Eternal Witness is my vote um, for a card. It's not currently in my main deck, but I'd like to work it in, so I should move this to a different section. But Eternal Witness, I think, is one of the better ways to rebuy things out of your graveyard, and it is a tutorable three, which is, of course, our most uh, tutored uh, number. Yeah, yeah. Thing is, I, I always felt it too slow on tempo, but it might have a place in the deck. 
But if you want to play a one of card that gets things out of your graveyard, I think Eternal yeah. Witness is, is my vote rather than uh, trying to Omen. Although, obviously, Omen interacts with Luris in the way you mentioned before. So Exactly. Uh, anyway. So, uh, Goblin Crater Maker. This was a card I totally forgot about until you brought, <laughs> I love brought it up. It. And I was like, oh my god, I'm I such an idiot. Because Crater Maker solves so many problems uh, that you that you didn't know you had well, with this deck. So if, if you ask anyone what Goblin Crater Maker does, say what Goblin Crater Maker does, they all will say, Chumara Goblin for a choo-choo. That has for one mana sacrifice till two damage to any target to any creature or destroy target artifact. Yeah, but it's Everyone's colorless permanent. Exactly. Everyone colorless thinks non land permanent. Everyone so you thinks can destroy Yeah, you can destroy artifacts, you could destroy colorless planeswalkers, you can destroy giant Eldrazi. <laughs> the world is exhausted. Yeah, yeah. Being uh, able and Batter Skull. Yeah, or Smasher or Thunder It's such a versatile mm -hmm. little guy. Yeah, yeah, I have definitely been thoroughly impressed with Goblin Crater Maker. For me, the the Bant uh, matchup, I, I was um, playing um, Collector Oof in the sideboard before. And Collector Oof is a pretty okay card in Modern right now. It hoses Hammer Time and it hoses um, the, the Bant uh, Stoneblade decks. But it's uh, it's very removable. And the nice thing about Crater Maker is Crater Maker comes down and then you sacrifice it to destroy what you're, what you're after. And you just get it gone. Um, so it's it's definitely worse sometimes, but it's uh, you, you can expect your opponent to have creature removal. So you do want something that uh, kind of has a permanent answer sometimes. Exactly. And you can just buy back so easily with Lurus and Valier. Um, next up is a card. So I haven't been impressed with um, this, and I, I guess I should take this opportunity to see get get, get your thoughts on uh, scavenging news. I know it's it's overall a very okay card, but the times I faced against Dredge, I really felt like it wasn't doing enough for me. Um, is this maybe an artifact of the Euro meta, or it could be part of the Euro meta? Scavenging news is not really there to beat Dredge because you barely win against Dredge because of a scavenging news. I mean, it can help, but it will not win the game on its own. It's mostly against decks that have greater interaction that you want to deal with, like Tarmogoyf, like Roxa, like Unearth, like Snapcaster Mage. You want to attack those stuff without dedicating, without dedicating just a pure silver bullet slot that does nothing else. The thing with Scavenging yeah, it's really, it's in a lot of scenarios, it's great while never being totally terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's got a reasonable floor, reasonable ceiling. Exactly. That's the and whole we, we, thing. We do. There is room for that in this deck. Plus, it's very, very castable if you draw it. Oh yeah, a two <laughs> mana to work. <laughs> two mana, two mana scavenging goes turn turn two is something that will probably eat a removal spell because it can really annoy your opponent. And right. most and, decks and have some synergy with the graveyard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next up is a, a dream team, uh, meddling mage and brain maggot. Um, Meddling Mage, of course, everybody knows. Uh, you get to turn off them casting a spell. This is incredibly good. And Brain Maggot is our version of Kite Sail Freebooter. So for anyone who does not remember Brain Maggot, it's an enchantment creature for one in a black. And it's a 1-1. One, one. Uh, you get to look at their hand and remove any non-land card. If they kill the Brain Maggot, they will get the card back. But with Brain Maggot and Meddling Mage together, just like humans, you get to see what's in their hand, and then you get to uh, name it with the Meddling Mage to turn it off. Now, we, we don't always assemble these two cards together, but it's certainly something you can do. And with the addition of Phantasmal Image and Glass Pool Mimic, you can very quickly cut your opponent off of a lot of cards in their hand and their deck. Yeah. 
it can really start to pile up. So the biggest problem with Brain Maggot is not actually being a 1-1, one, one, but the fact that the trigger is all together. That it's yeah, just yeah, one yeah. huge paragraph instead of two. That's its biggest problem. So you're saying it does not have the old school template where if you sacrifice Brain Maggot in response to its trigger, you could remove the card permanently. Yeah, but more importantly, they can kill it in response without losing anything. Well, you do get to see their hand, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, for example, Scalar, if your opponent has one Bolt and one Skyclave, you can just take the Bolt and force the Skyclave on it. Right now, they can just right, right, Bolt right. it and keep the Skyclave. For correct, anything. Correct, correct, correct. Yes, yeah. So it, it, may, it may be worth considering Tide Hollow Scholar in the future just for that reason. But Brain Maggot being an enchantment creature is a big deal because it's one of the only creatures that we could be playing and it's the only creature we are playing where you can use a one-mana enchantment to fetch the creature and then you sacrifice the creature to go up to, to uh, three. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It allows you to just uh, go up the rings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, up the rungs. That's right. Um, next up, Charming <laughs> Prince. This card is so innocuous looking so it's one and a white for a 2-2 creature a human noble and when it <laughs> enters the battlefield you get to choose one of three uh, abilities either you scry two or you gain three life or you slide a creature you own uh, until end of turn so you remove it from the game and it will come back at end of turn now you can use this to get cards that you own that have been taken over by your opponent although that's not very common um, but you could do that with the, the archmage's charm it but more importantly, your deck is full of Enter the Battlefield uh, triggers, which we've talked about, and Charming Prince lets you reset them. The most incredible one, though, is Orion. So if you've never experienced this... Um, <laughs> you should experience it. Yeah, it's a trip. Um, you can uh, have Charming Prince on the board, and if you get Orion from your sideboard and cast it, what happens is you can um, remove your Charming Prince and any number of other permanence from the game with Orion's trigger. At your end step, the Charming Prince and everything else comes back. You can use the Charming Prince to exile your Orion, and it will come back at your opponent's end step. So you get all your triggers, then at your opponent's end step, your Orion comes back, and you can do it all over again. So you can slide the Charming Prince and any number of your things, and they will be gone for the duration of your turn. Now, exactly. obviously, it's not perfect, because some of those things you might want in play um so you have to pick and choose at that point what you're um removing from the game and what you're not but generally speaking it's incredible in any mid-range or even some of the aggro matches exactly and there's only one other way to do that in the deck which is <laughs> if you have a rallyer and a phantasmal image you can make a pseudo charming prince by keeping making the phantasmal image copy the shorion sacrifice it to the trigger and then with the rallyer getting back <laughs> The Phantasmal Image, I repeat it. Yeah, and you can do a similar thing with Phantasmal Image, or uh, you could do it with Glasspool Mimic once, um, because you can clone the Urian and then uh, have it die. Uh, I, th I think Glasspool can clone Legend. Glasspool, yeah, can copy anything. Anything you yeah. own, you control. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you can have Glasspool Mimic... Um, do this once with Orion, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I haven't done that yet. I've never been forced to, um, but it's something you could do if you if you really needed to. So Charming Prince, uh, surprisingly very very also, good card. Also, without the without the blinking, just a two mana two two gain three. That it's really easy to get back with Rally or Lurus, or blinked or copied. Just gets you so far ahead against Agrodex. Mm -hmm, absolutely, absolutely. 
Um, and you can rebuy it. Yeah, rebuying it with Luris is definitely one of the appeals. So one of the things to look at in this deck list um, that's very interesting and it's sort of one of the one of the tensions is uh, three drop is the thing you're you're uh, tutoring for the most, but two drop has a huge amount of value because two drop is the size the biggest size that you can rebuy with Renegade Rallyer and Luris. Um, so there is a very interesting um, sort of back and forth on the value of creatures depending on their cost. Yeah, two drops tend to be stuff that keeps you alive and you want to revive to stay alive or, or like control the board, while three drops are the thing that closes the game. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, two drops keep uh, you alive, end... three drops give you health. Yeah, yeah, that, that is actually the way it, it tends to work out a lot of the time. The, the three drops are a little bit proactive and the, the two drops are a little bit more reactive on average. Um, but again, not, not totally, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, next up, I've got two interesting metagame considerations that I, I'm sure will come and go from the deck right now. Um, there's certainly Kitchen Finks is very good in this burn-heavy meta, and it has a very interesting uh, interaction with um, Phantasmal Image. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Getting any of the clones on Kitchen Finks means that when the clone dies for any reason, it will return with, a with the persist trigger, which means you will get back a clone that can be anything with a minus one, minus one counter. For, ex for example, if you have a, an idol for them, I, for example, if you have a Kitchen Finks and a Charming Prince, and your opponent, and you play a Phantasmal Image copying the Kitchen Finks, if the clone dies, you can get, get a 1-1 one, one Charming Prince with a new mm -hmm. trigger. And, and as you mentioned, it's very important to know it is coming back with a minus one, minus one counter. So if you try to copy something that has one toughness, you're going to be sad. Exactly. Um, yeah, there's not too many creatures in this deck, but once upon a time, Mord saved me from trying to do this trick with a brain maggot and getting myself <laughs> in trouble. That was going to be a very sad 0-0 zero, zero brain maggot. Yes. Um, so Kitchen Finks definitely is uh, a solid pick against burn and aggressive mid-range decks and gives you some really cool things you can pull off with the clones. Um, then we also have Knight of Autumn. Now, Knight of Autumn in the three slot gives you a big burst of uh, life. Um, Knight of Autumn is also able to enter the battlefield and destroy target artifact or enchantment. And the reason this is relevant right now is mostly Batterskull. Um, yeah. it, it's good to have a three drop that can answer the Batterskull um, in a permanent way. Uh, Reflector Mage doesn't do it. Deputy doesn't do it permanently. And Skyclave can't do it. It also cannot remove the germ token. So right now, um, Knight of Autumn is good because it splits uh, being good against burn for the life gain and being good against um, against these Stoneblade decks. And then occasionally, um, just, just the other day, I played it on turn two as a 4-3 and just started beating my opponent down. <laughs> yeah, and that... the rest of the things that I were... Well, the rest of the creatures I was playing were so much more threatening that they had to deal with them. This knight was just going to town. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, don't count it out sometimes. It's just uh, get it on board and start going. Um, and then the more important of these two that I have always been playing in the sideboard since I remembered it existed is Phyrexian Revoker. Um, this is a very relevant card in a bunch of matchups. The most important thing about Revoker uh, is that it functions as a pithing needle on, on 2CMC for things like yeah. Heliod, for things like Spike Feeder, for things like um, Walking Ballista. Uh, yeah. Um, but you can name, um, you can name any non-land card um, and you can shut down mana abilities. So you can name things like Devoted Druid. Um, that was hilarious. I played against someone playing Turbo Druid, and I played Turn 2 Revoker, and they conceded. Um, so that was interesting. Um, 
but uh, <laughs> um, it's just generally a, a solid card. It, it's, it does all the things Pithing Needle does. It, it, it names Prism. It names Prism with um, Pentad Prism, which is amazing. Yeah, it can name Pentad Prism. So yeah, the unique thing about Phyrexian Revoker is it can name uh, it can name any non-land thing, but it does shut off mana abilities. Um, whereas Pithing Needle can name lands, but it won't shut off their mana abilities. Um, so sort of a, a very interesting uh, split difference there, but obviously Phyrexian Revoker much more useful to us because it's a creature we can tutor for. Exactly. Um, it could it could even be main deck someday, uh, I'm sure. Um, and then Collector Oof I mentioned before shuts down all the artifacts. Uh, I currently don't have one in my list uh, just because finding Goblin Crater Maker and uh, Phyrexian Revoker in the sideboard were everything that I needed. Um, but uh, again, could definitely come back at some point. Yeah, um, we have a, a few creatures that I just want to hit quickly um, because I know we've been at this for a while. <laughs> uh, but these are some of the cards that we have considered and are currently not in the deck. Um, so I'm going to call these the benched cards. Um, and I just got to add uh, Kunaros, Hound of Aethrios. Um, I, I think I might have one actually right now, but um, I'm running one in the sideboard. Yeah. Yeah, it hasn't impressed me much. So Kunaros, Hound of Aethrios, is uh, black, white, and one for a 3-3 three, three, uh, lifelink vigilance menace. Yeah. Um, and it has most of the text of Grafdigger's Cage, um, specifically the, the half that's about the graveyard. So they can't play spells from their graveyard, and uh, creatures can't enter from the graveyard. Um, this card is... Um, it's kind of the three CMC Yixalid Jailer. Speaking of which, we missed Yixalid Jailer in our talks. Yixalid Jailer, staple of the sideboard. Um, it's uh, the best graveyard hate because it, how easy yeah. it is to rebuy it. Like having a dredge player spend some removal on Yixalid Jailer just to get yeah, it back with the Rallyer. Yeah, get it back with the Rallyer or Lurus is just like then sitting on the spot. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, so Kunaros is a little clunky. Um, uh, Yixalid Jailer, definitely uh, important. And then uh, Combal Council of Allocation uh, is a card I like a lot. Um, uh, but it's just, I just got squeezed out by some of the other sideboard considerations at the moment. Um, yeah. Clothis God of Destiny. This is a very interesting one. Um, I have not yet tried it. It seems like the kind of thing we would want. Um, but more, more. Talk me through why why you haven't. I haven't seen you try this yet, or if you have tried it, what you didn't like about it. Uh, well, I'm about, I was about to try it. I'm just trying to sell with a few stuff. It's a card I played before. Thing is, you really barely tutor for a clothics. Like, when do you want to get a clothics on board? Right, right. I, uh, yeah, I can. On agree end with step. That. Yeah. And yeah. that's the main problem. You barely want to get it. So. When we get done with this, I want to talk about some of the sub-archetypes we could add or change to the deck afterwards and that require some consideration that have not been done yet. Like more than specific cards, like concepts to the deck. Well, absolutely. So people are going to have to ta stay tuned for uh, seeing those things either on stream or uh, in the yeah, exactly. uh Discord, etc. Um, Perfect. All right, so that's that's uh, Clothis. But yeah, Clothis is definitely a reasonable option, especially if you were to put in any four-drop creatures you wanted to tutor for, because Clothis is an enchantment, so you could end up sacking the Clothis to go up the chain. Um, again, probably not likely. If you put the Clothis into play, you want to keep it, um, but it's an option. Um, exactly. Destiny Spinner is one that I've been really enamored with. So this is one in a green for a 2-3 uh, enchantment creature. Yes. Um, this makes all enchantments and creatures you play from here on uncounterable. 
uh, as long as it's in play. Uh, and then it does have an activated ability. I'm not sure if the activated ability could ever be that good in this deck, but it's a uh, three and a green um, target land you control gains trample and haste, does not untap, uh, and it gains power and toughness equal to the number of enchantments you control. I'm, I'm not really looking to use the activated ability. Just having a two, three for two that um, makes my enchantments and creatures uncounterable could be very good. Now, obviously, Teferi covers most of that, but um, Teferi is not something we can tutor for. And uh, do you think if the meta shifted particularly towards control, this would be something you'd be interested in? Or would you be worried about wraths and, and removal? Yeah. So it's a card that probably deserves some more testing. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm really interested by it. It's one of those cards that I feel like if if I do want to test it, I think I definitely want to try it in the main deck. Um, having it game one against some of these control decks, I just feel like could be so devastating. <laughs> they can suddenly. And uh, but the the trickiest thing about it is as I as I kind of said with um, Urza decks. Um. Having the card that um, is innate, like enables your four drop, needing your four drop to go get it, it's like it, this doesn't work. Yeah, that's the exact problem with it. If you're playing only one copy of it, the the way you're intending to get it is with enigmatic incarnation, and the reason you want to play it most, the biggest reason to do it, <laughs> it is to resolve the enigmatic incarnation. Right. So doesn't help too much. Anyway, um, then there's uh, Rydane, Protector of the Worthy. This is the uh, white god um from uh Kaldheim that is uh two and a white for the two three flyer uh it taxes your opponent's non-creature spells that cost uh four or more and it's a uh, flying vigilance uh it, does it have another ability oh um there's snow lands coming to play tapped. yeah <laughs> flying vigilance not coming to play tap non-creature spells that cost four or more require two additional cost mana to be cast I, I was actually I was very impressed by the shield half of this card. That, Against that Tagro, card it's amazing. Very, yeah, I mean it's very very good. The problem is the front side of this card isn't that good to tutor for generally, and the back half of it you, you can't access it that way. So you have to naturally draw it to cast the shield, and that's just not the way this deck is built. Yeah, exactly. I have the same scenario. Um, you tried this first, the Heliod Spike Feeder combo. So you tried it. I think you had some success with it, and then you cut it. Um, I, what was your feelings on that? I had some success, but it was not at all due to the Heliod Spike Feeder combo. Like, it never appeared. The, dis the, the deck just well, went well, and that's it. <laughs> but I didn't... Uh, taking two turns to set it up... I felt a bit too slow in most scenarios unless I top deck one of the parts. Like, fetching both felt too slow in most cases. Yeah, because this would be something to hedge against um, mostly aggro decks, but uh, even some of the mid-range decks don't have a way to beat you afterwards. Um, but it's also, I don't know, it feels maybe unnecessary. Like, if you could do the two, three drops If I could have got them, if I could have them, like, double rallier or lur lur rallier, I would have been in a better spot. Yeah, exactly, because you'd be dealing with their permanents more so. I, I tried playing it, and it was really funny because just playing the spike, spike Feeder uh, sometimes was really good because it was like a 3-mana 2-2 two -two that my opponent felt like they had to kill it, and I just got to gain 4 life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but that's that's kind of the same thing that uh, Knight of Autumn's already doing, so 
yeah. I'm not really that impressed by it. And, and Kitchen Finks kind of does that in a better way. Um, if Heliod was something that we really wanted to play for whatever reason, then then maybe... If we, could have, yeah. if we could get more advantages out of Heliod, then it would make more sense. Um, then we've got Archon of Emeria and Eidolon of Rhetoric. Now, Eidolon of Rhetoric definitely does not belong in this slot. It should be one of the uh, actual cards for the deck for sure. So I'm just going to move that on the notes. But yeah. um, Eidolon of Rhetoric limits the number of spells each opponent can play per turn, or each player can play per turn to one. But this is hugely important against things like um, Storm. Mostly Storm and, reason, and Prowess. Mm -hmm. And the reason we choose it over Archon of Emeria, even though our Archon of Emeria does have more text, it um, has all your opponent's non-basic lands uh, and are tapped. Um, but the, the reason that Eidolon is better is it's a 1-4. It dodges Bolt. Yeah, and it's very important. that. It's exactly because it dodges Bolt. Um. So we we had had we did have Archon of Emeria as um, actually usually the second copy of Eidolon during the sort of Tybalt era and and hmm. you could do that but I think Eidolon is just generally going to be better. Yeah, um, the upside of having once more being a two three is not sure enough and flying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just don't need it. You you, you can win later. Exactly. Uh, you, you need to get the Eidolon down first, um, and then. Um, uh, my, the final thing I added here was um, Spirit of the Labyrinth. So uh, this is was a legacy um, inclusion in their Death and Taxes list for one week. Um, it was really popular. Uh, it's a two mana three one, and it says uh, I think it's each player can't draw more than one card per turn. Exactly. Um, this this would hose us as much as it would hose our opponent, um, because we do have a lot of things that allow <laughs> us to draw an extra card. That country, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, being a two mana three one is also super vulnerable. So <laughs> I, I don't really think there's any chance for this guy. No, totally. It's a bit too clunky. Yeah, and I mean this this is me reaching a bit. Um, there is an almost endless number of creatures that could be considered for this deck. So for anyone listening to this that does have great recommendations, please make sure you uh, you hit me up. Uh, you can leave a comment on my one of my YouTube videos about Enigmatic Incarnation. You can join us on the Discord. There'll be a link at the end of this uh, at the end of this uh, uh, podcast and in your podcast player for the Serum Visions Discord. And you can hit us up with messages there. Um, but uh, there, there's a huge amount of customizability, and never never think that the idea um, that you've come up with is necessarily insane because if you've heard the list of cards we've gone through, I mean no, no. this is. I spent the whole afternoons going through Scryfall through every single playable card. I think, like, to change cards to additional ones, you have to change, like, what I want to talk about, which is, like, a change of concept, almost. What, we, what, what I want to say with this is, for example, the, the idea appeared the other day with a friend of playing, like, additional tutor, ways to tutor cards. Like, there's only two decent ways to, to add tutors to the deck right now, which is either adding Court of Calling slash Eldritch Evolution, which requires additional creatures, because we don't play enough creatures to sustain that, or adding Pyre of, Pyre of Heroes as a two of. Because if Pyre you look of at, Heroes? Yeah, if you look at the deck, most are humans. Mm, okay, okay. And so you would try to um, maximize the number of human payoffs and hate bears and that kind of thing that you were playing in the deck, right? And that had a single huge downside that this it requires you to play Noel Hierarch as a four of in Lavadart.meta. 
Mm, and also potentially cutting some of the red cards and, and cutting some of the black cards because you're cutting off your ability oh, to produce yeah. the colors of mana. And it it would involve completely cutting black, exactly. Mm, interesting, interesting. Uh, that's something I want you to test one of these days. The second thing that might require some testing, if we ever get a decent three-mana enchantment, is that the, the capacity of playing four drops is totally limited by the capability of what a three-mana enchantment can do. Today the two best three-man enchantments are Oath of Kaya, which is meh, and Treacherous Blessing, which is or amazing or terrible, depending on how the game goes. Treacherous Blessing, for those that don't know, is a three-man enchantment, ATB draws you three cards, whenever you play a spell, you lose one life. So it's a great value engine, but at a terrible cost, sort of like a bad dark confident. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So well, it's, it's. I mean, on average, I think it's probably better than Dark Confidant. You probably lose a lot less life. Um, oh yeah. A lot of the time, and I mean, this this deck. Um, when I was playing the standard version, that was one of the 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 better cards in the deck. Um, especially the the. I think it was one of the better. I mean, the, it was exactly the two cards you said: Oath of Kaya, which is um, essentially a lightning helix on an enchantment. Yeah, but if you're playing this, <laughs> if you're playing the same cards as in standard, we can easily see a problem with it. <laughs> With this sure, scenario. sure, but I mean, I mean, Oath of Kaya may be underrate for modern, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily oh, unplayable. Exactly. It's just you know, thing um, is, you have to have it in the right high synergy shell because we're playing a lot of cards that are similar. You could describe in a similar way. Yeah, but we would require a heavy black splash, which could lead us to play Trial of Ambition. Like we could replace red with black. The only problem with that is Omnath the Forge is not that much better than Trial of Ambition. That's not a huge problem. The problem is mm -hmm. de dead weight is a much worse seed of fire. Oh yeah, like that's that's just no comparison. Yeah, and that's the yeah. huge problem. But besides that, yeah. a black base over red base as a splash could work. Oath of Kaya is not unplayable. The four drops are good. Omnath is great. Headmaster is great. Shalai is amazing. You could make that work. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Because the they're. There are definitely some four drops, and most of them you just mentioned there. So I think you have them all in your back pocket. Um, that <laughs> oh yeah, are very very um, worth playing. And then one of the other things about it too. I mean, the the more I play this deck, the more I look back at certain games and I go, you know, I won that game because I drew my one of main deck thing. Um, sometimes on like turn ten, but you you just drew it. You never tutored for it. Yeah. And 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 it's good enough, you know. Um, and drawing a shalite turn six might be great. Right. And and the crazy thing about that is you say like you, you could say things like, oh, well, you know, you drew your one of, but no, how, I, I drew how, my how one lucky... out of five because I have four animatics and my one of. Sure. But more to the point, too, uh, I'm just saying like, well, but if you just look at my overall win rate with this deck, it's been very high. Now, obviously, oh, exactly. my challenge went really badly, <laughs> but I've had a lot of 4-1 uh, leagues. If challenges um, were a reliable situation of a deck, Nimisit would be f tier 1 because I played 4 challenges and went top 8 in 3 and top 16 in 1. I got lucky. Deck is not tier 0. <laughs> mm, right, right, right. Exactly. And, um, you know, I mean, we, we've talked about it, about the mitigation of it being fun too. And I, I find that I always um, can stay more competitive if I'm having fun. Exactly. Deck I'm 100%. Now, not everyone... Not everyone's the same as me. Some people just, uh, they will play the best deck they can, and that's the most fun thing for them, and that's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but for those of you out there who want to play something that's incredibly brain-wrinkling, um, 
but also fairly competitive. Uh, it's got a you know uh, a, a steep learning curve and then a smooth learning curve with you know a huge amount of customization and always we're finding more and more insane plays. Um, this could be your your next project, and you can uh, uh, play it when it is meta uh, reasonable to do so in a meta, um, and switch to a similar deck like Niv Mizzet when that is more reasonable. Um, that is that's my current plan actually. I, I think I love these decks both so much. Oh, exactly. And they're so sim they're so similar, but they're so different um, that they're just an absolute blast. <laughs> exactly the same. I will go for the same plan. So yeah, that's mostly it. Also the alternative, maybe one day running eight Leyland side and Elder Gargaroth and another five drop. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's something you could certainly do. Um, and in the first version I got from you, you were playing two of uh, Calyx, Calyx, Destiny's oh, Hand. Oh, yeah, that it's, went poorly. Uh, well, I, I actually, I had a couple of games where he was pretty good, um, but for anyone who doesn't know, it's sort of like um, Tezzeret, Agent of Volos, but for <laughs> enchantments. Exactly. And I really mean, like, it's it's kind of on that power level. It's it's not a great card, but it does synergize with all your enchantments pretty well. And It's a and, fun you know, card. Yeah, and there were games where I was a little impressed by it. One of the sad things is just like with Tezzeret, Agent of Volos, um, as much as you stock up your deck with the appropriate type, it definitely feels like every time you plus it and look at the top X cards um to draw a card you always miss it's, somehow it's the rat is if, if thing is the rat is like 70 70 percent so three out of ten times is a lot of failure possibilities yeah yeah it sure is i mean it's like when you niv miss it and you draw one card you're like oh that's how uh, okay i guess that's something that could happen <laughs> guess i would um, have to play this game after all yeah exactly um, yeah, so yeah, that's that's basically a, a good long uh, dive on Enigmatic Incarnation. More, do you have any closing thoughts on the deck? I think there's still room for optimization. The specific, like, the, the creatures we discussed at first are locked and loaded. I will never remove Rallyer, I will never remove Lurus, I will never remove Aberrations. But the numbers and specific one-offs are still to be tested. This is a deck that was originally brewed less than two or three months ago. So, and it's not a lot of people testing it, which means there's a lot of place for improvement. The Pioneer version just got its second 5-0, so it's also starting to get its legs. I think it's slowly will get more and more stock, and I think a lot of its troubles will be fixed. The mana base, the situation, red or black as the splash color. It's a matter of more people testing it or getting more reps ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I, I am certainly always uh, learning as I play it. Um, I mean, Jiggy said to me just the other day, like, wow, you're um, <clears throat> you're really high on playing this Enigmatic Incarnation deck. And I was like, well, yeah, it's super fun. Like, it just it's hasn't stopped being fun. It, like, I, t I don't know what to tell you. It just has not stopped being fun. And um, for, for the record, right now, you can uh, pick up copies of Enigmatic Incarnation for paper play for um 35 cents canadian i bought for skyclay foil foil fuller skyclay operation for a buck Ooh, well you got ahead of that one it was yeah, that full. seems really good um so is there uh anywhere people can find you if they're interested in uh, I, talking to you about this deck talking to you about magic any well, stuff? of course my twitter and Discord username is Mordekaiser with an uh, one instead of an I. If anyone played League of Legends, the name is from there, from when I used to be a semi-pro player. 
and nothing else. Awesome, That's just awesome, awesome. What got me into this game before, and now I just fun of playing five color shank, and I have not played less than eighty cards in one and a half years <laughs> <laughs> since since Shadow is released. Yeah, yeah, well, I I do. Uh, I'm a big big Urian fan, so um, it's a. Uh, it's definitely I'm definitely a fan of this deck uh, leveraging it uh, like like uh, very few others that I've ever played it it really gives me um, the vibes back to when uh, Jiggy and I came up with the uh, the Karn Erosa Urian pile oh yeah um, that that I just get the vibe of when you resolve the Urian and you see all those triggers go on the stack and um, it's so many opponent just seeing your mid-range opponent just concede and on the spot when that happens <laughs> it's is perfect a plus it's oh. a plus oh it's so good the last card um, i will try is trace of abundance someday what, what does that do trace of abundance is two mana for an enchantment aura that gives shroud to a land and it taps for an additional color it's a way to go turn three enigmatic and getting a three drop with just one card trace of abundance yeah of abundance yeah oh of abundance yeah Holy crap, that's a mana cost. That's a so weird mana cost. It's a Naya mana cost that I should drop. Red or white <laughs> and a green. That's a fear. That's a deep that's a deep cut. That's from, deep. Uh, from Alara Reborn. <laughs> it's the only only set ever printed with um hybrid and another color, so they're like gold in three different directions. <laughs> like um Thopter Foundry is another uh, is another famous one from that. Yeah. Thopter Foundry is the most common one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, another famous one. Just like Trace of Abundance, Thopter Foundry is very, uh, very... Trace very of Abundance, Modern Staple, like, who hasn't seen it today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm all the time running into that. Alrighty. Well, uh, we have been recording for a good long time. This is going to be an absolute blast for me to edit. Um, I really would I would really appreciate any feedback from the uh, listeners. So thank you so much for joining me. Um, this has been a special... A supplemental episode of the Gataxian Probe, the first one other, with the one and only Mordekaiser. And uh, perhaps I will see you again someday. And if not, I'll be happy to see you on the next episode and every episode of Serum Visions. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this supplemental episode 12B of Serum Visions. If you like what we do and want to get in touch with us, you can find us at twitter.com slash serumvisionsmtg Email us at serumvisionspod at gmail.com or join us on Discord at the link in the episode description of your podcast player or on serumvisions.podbean.com.